Hey, welcome to episode 10 of uh, season 2 of, of Inside the Heliosphere. The final, the closer, uh, and um, another one on the road, this time not in America, not in England, but in, in Adelaide. A recent road trip, as I, as I sit here in early 2019, it was last week that um, we drove across from Victoria in South Australia to Adelaide and uh, there's a there was a there's another interview at the, at the time as well which will be the, the opener of, of season three but this one the last one of season two with my with my mate Nick with my mate Mick not Nick there's there's been two Nicholases two Nicks and, and one Mick this is Mick and um, I I this is actually my second go at this introduction. The first time I said his surname, and, like, and then I remembered that he didn't really want his surname out there. And then I couldn't remember if uh, actually he didn't mind, so I decided to err on the side of caution and just say Mick, um, Mick K. Um, and Mick and I go back some, we're around about eleven, twelve years, something like that. And I know him through my wife, who who, who grew up in and around Adelaide and uh, Mick as you'll hear in this interview is a a kind of I don't know if this would embarrass him to say but he's a kind of cornerstone of the of the art scene in uh, in Adelaide uh, by virtue of some of the businesses that he has owned and run over the years and, and does continue to own and run those being uh, Urban Cow which is a an arts collective and um, and much more and you can Google all of this stuff, and it's pretty easy to find. Um, Howling Owl, which is a an, another business that he runs uh, with his wife Rach, and that's that's very much her baby. But but especially, well, in my mind, especially uh, this place called the Rhino Room, which is uh, which is a, a live venue, you know, a bar, and other stuff, but a, a live venue for uh, sometimes some music. And even and, and even live, I mean, club nights as well as so the DJs. But especially in my in my mind, uh, you know, Adelaide's uh, main comedy venue, so stand up comedy venue, which um, you know, through through the years, you know, I've I've, I've uh, back to London and the, the um, what do you call it now, the Comedy Store which used to be on Leicester Square. I always loved stand-up comedy. Loved loved the sort of gladiatorial uh, nature of, of, of a man and a microphone or a woman and a microphone, you know, walking out in front of a room full of people who are saying to that person, make me laugh. And, you know, through, uh, you know, the, the, in terms of the podcast world, I, the only one I listen to, is uh, WTF by with you know Mark Maron's WTF and you know one day my goodness it'll be lovely to interview him but um, Mark's Mark Maron is a, a stand-up comic and I suppose through him really I, I've um, rekindled my my interest in stand-up comedy um, and getting to my point as usual I've been rambling on too much uh, but getting to my point you know Mick as the owner and uh, long term support long owner of Rhino Room and long term supporter of, uh, of, of stand up comedy in Adelaide um, he was always somebody in my mind that I, I, I wanted to 
I wanted to interview and luckily for me when when we saw each other most recently before this interview at uh, my wife's brother's wedding uh, had a chat to him about it and his wife Rach and he straight away yeah I'm in love it and um, and and that's how it happened um, so a word on the length of these so the last few have all been well over three hours in fact the last couple have been over four hours now I know that that's a a long time um, it's, a, it's an investment of time for whoever wants to listen to these things and again without wishing to sound in any way grandiose I, I, I've always believed in that concept for this I've always believed in that concept I mean I don't have to answer to anybody and, and I've always in the friendliest possible way, I've always said, well, look, if you don't want to listen, you know, don't listen. If Whether five people or 50,000 people listen to this, it's, it's it's my intention to record a long-form interview conversation and allow people to tell their, their story or stories um, without feeling rushed, without, hopefully, I've got better at, without being interrupting, without me interrupting them so much. Um and and you know all all, all hung over this uh, this idea that 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 you have to choose seven songs and they're going to somehow somehow guide us through um, these stories. And so anyway, so so as you'll see, mix interview was one of the ones that that came in over four hours. Um, now I don't apologise for that at all. As I've said, the only person I would apologise or people I would apologise to that is is to Mick and to his wife because obviously it's it, it's a significant investment of time and energy to 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 do this um but and and here's where i am gonna you know big up the concept of uh, big up that's not what I, mean. I am gonna i'm gonna well i'm gonna um declare that that the that the format of this um is 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 the right format for me anyway and, and for what i want to achieve because um, people are coming out of this even before anyone's heard it and, and listened to it. I'm, I'm not talking about the feedback that comes from people that have listened to these. And I know people fall asleep to them, which is great, and turn them off and go back to them and all of that, and that's great. But when people are interviewed, the message that I'm I'm getting is is that they found it to be uh, something of a a worthwhile, um, enjoyable, you know, exhausting, absolutely draining, but um, some kind of a oh, it's hard to put it into words without without sounding um, like I'm uh, self-aggrandizing but 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 they found it a worthwhile thing to do which is in some way um, in some way been therapeutic in cases uh, or or even um, yeah, I mean, in, in you know, in, in revisiting certain periods in their life they might not have thought about for a while, uh, they found it to be um, a, a worthwhile thing to do. And I'm, and I'm and I'm sorry, I'm just bumbling around and struggling for the words. But all this goes to say, say that this this long interview conversation uh, that that I I enjoyed with Mick was was um, I think for both of us um, a uh, an enjoyable way to spend a few hours as the sunset over the over the ocean, just below where Mick lives, um, and and also listen to that the early part of the interview um, where we 
where we talk about his past um, and coming from this this town just outside of Adelaide called Gawler, um, it was it was an it was an example I think of of how you know I don't I don't go in with with anything other than the seven song choices and whatever biography that my interviewee returns to me and um, in this case there was this uh, this this um, sort of period of time where we, where I was sort of pressing him for more in information about where he grew up and you know his life as a child and before he left home and I, and, and I, I misread why he, he he seemed slightly reticent to talk about it and um, and it actually formed a cornerstone of the of the interview in the end and something we spoke about afterwards at length um, about how it made him feel because I think he a bit like my uncle Henry in um, in episode uh, three of, of season two, I think Mick had went into this with a with a clear idea of of how he wanted to set out the stories of his life and which areas in particular he wanted to visit and he wanted to relate and and we did that, but he didn't quite I think expect um, me to to in the nicest possible way force him to think about and revisit certain other times in his life and uh, not to say that I did it to make him feel uncomfortable because I, I didn't know they were making him feel uncomfortable but um, I think it was it was an interesting way to uh, perhaps uh, to, to get him to immerse himself in his own stories that that he might not have gone towards if if he was just given you know the complete freedom to uh to dictate the way that things would uh would unwrap uh anyway i've 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 gone on too long again and uh now i'm starting to think that maybe the reason they're coming in at four hours is because i talk too much oh boy anyway i i i enjoyed this and uh, mick and rach thanks for again for inviting me into your home using up so many hours of your time and uh again i'm sorry mate if uh if some of this was a bit uh, was a bit uncomfortable for you, um, I think I think we got a really good sense of uh, your your very very interesting story, um, and uh, I can't wait to come and come and visit you in the Rhino Room again and, and see some more of those stand up comics in the festival in a, in, a, in a short time. All right, enjoy. out over the beach somewhere not too far from Adelaide somewhere perhaps between Semaphore and um, and Seacliff Se- Semaphore and Seacliff yeah. are both, um, yeah, both beach suburbs yeah Semaphore mm-hmm. sort of uh, the northernmost beach before you get to Port Adelaide right and Seacliff is the beach you can just see just over just there uh, straight down below us is this as busy as it gets it's be- what time is it now it's like half past five beautiful summer day there's there's, on there's on a public that. holiday and during uh, yeah. uh, those those sort of times, sort it gets of really busy. But yeah, to, uh, we looked in the paper and saw this place um, that was advertised in Kingston Park. And she said to me, oh, yeah, we should go have a look. It's just south of uh, Seacliff. And I'm like, oh, south of Seacliff? No, that's too too far. You know, too far Seacliff, from work? From, oh, just from Adelaide, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought, no, too far not worth checking out she goes look just just come down we'll just have a look at it and see she goes it's a, it's a really nice little area Kingston Park right. 
And so, okay, I'll come down. And as we drove in here, I'd never been down here. I've been to south of here, obviously, mm. and to Mac- like McLaren Vale type uh, oh, areas, or even all, all, all down through Port Nolunga and mm. um, you know, uh, right down uh, Moana and all those sort of beaches. Moana. Yeah, different beaches down the coast there, but uh, didn't want to live there because yeah. too far from town. And then this one here, um, we walked down the stairs and within seeing it straight away, it was like, right. oh my God. Just here, yeah, yeah. amazing, yeah. beautiful place. Is there a bikey place about, uh, well, it's a bikey place everywhere. I don't know why I should expect you to know about bikey places, but is there a, is there a place about a mile or two back, like um, a clubhouse somewhere on the, on the sort of, Beach side of the main road I came in. Oh, it's a fair way back, I think, from memory. Few miles. Um, yeah, it's back the other side of Brighton. Yeah. Couldn't really tell you where it is, to be honest. Like but a, back that way like somewhere. 10, 15 minutes drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back, to, sort of, into, back into town. I thought so. Yeah. This, this, <laughs> yeah. Is that from your, is that from yeah. your earlier years, mate? No, no. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. It looked familiar. No, no. Um, no, just as I drove out, uh, these, three, these three bikes you know, three guys on bikes came out and, you know, experience tells you they're not always wearing their colors, you know, and the giveaway was that two of them came across the road on, you know, the, the standard kind of bikes, I guess there was a guy on a more of a Japanese bike who didn't come across the road. So, so one of the two guys who came across just parked his bike across all of the traffic and sat there <laughs> until the other, until the other side was, was clear. So the guy could join them yeah. and everyone just kind of sat there and went, Okay. <laughs> there was no, there was no horns. There was, no, you know, it was nothing. No. It was like, yeah, we'll just sit here and wait. You know, yeah. it's one of those. Yeah, let's not let's not mess with this guy that's holding up rush hour traffic. You know, for a kilometre back. Oh. Yeah, good on him. Yeah, yeah. he was a handsome man. If he's listening, he looks he looks he looked like a fine motorbike. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, so Mick, so we decided we're going to call you Mick. Yep. Even though everyone in Adelaide knows you and knows the place that you own and all the places. Well, that you everyone own. knows me as Mick. So that's true. Right, yeah. we'll stick with that. We we'll yep. stick with that. Um, although I'm going to talk around. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm going to talk around you. That I, I wondered about the Germanness of your surname, which we won't mention. Yeah. But that's um, <laughs> you, you can mention my name. There's no problem with mentioning. This is Mick Craig. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I think um, not not it's a huge a uh, not not it's a huge honour, but you are going to. This is the closing out. This is the final episode of season two of Inside the Heliosphere. Oh, that is an honour. I really wanted that to be yeah uh, to be you, mate. Um, and. Um, we are in Adelaide and it's around about half past five at, at night and it's a beautiful evening in your house. You've just told us you moved here 10 years ago. Your well, parent, Almost 15 probably. Bought, 15 the, bought the place ago. about 10 years ago, yeah. But you're, but you're from Gawler. Yeah. So why does a Gawler boy, well, I suppose it's a silly, silly question really, but why does a, you, you didn't grow up by the beach. No, you, the, the whole reason I wanted to move by right, the beach is right. I'd never really... You know, going, we did beach trips when I was young, but it was a, a daily, you know, full day trip. Yeah. Uh, we, made it, we made it down this way to Brighton a few times and down right. to Seacliff a few times, but generally it was semaphore. It's a fair, it's a fair drive from it is, Gawler, it is. isn't it? Yeah, that? yeah. Even to semaphores, uh, it was a good hour back in those days. Oh, a little no. bit quicker these days with some of the expressways and that. But is this in the Holden Tirana or something? Uh, the the uh, Holden Premier station wagon. <laughs> okay, the, the big uh, the, the EH for uh, many a year there. Right. We, that was the, that was the car, the big old EH. That's a, the EH is a, a kind of famous one, right? It's a, one of the 
Yeah, I wouldn't have ordered. No, it's not that. No, it is. I've been looking that, around to buy one myself. Oh, okay. I actually did own one myself for a while there, but um, smashed up the front end, so turned the back end into a couch, which is oh. up at right over Oh, oh, you still got it. <laughs> yeah, back end of it. Oh, ingenious. The, the boot. Right. But yeah, no, I'd love to. I'd uh, love to own another one. I've, uh, I actually took over the family one, but by that, uh, by the time I took it over, it was. Uh, getting a bit rough around the edges so. is this one of those holdens that if you've got like a box rest one that's been in the garage forever they're worth 200 grand now is it one of those sorts oh, of things the holdens probably aren't quite to that level because there were so many of them around right but for um i mean if you bought one in a, a, a absolutely immaculate condition or something like that yeah. it could be up to fifty thousand, i guess yeah but, right although a close friend of mine um his uh father uh used to own uh the holden place up in the hills yeah. and he passed away fairly recently in a uh, plane crash and so he's uh, they sold the family sold off all the holdings and unfortunately they didn't have an eh but they had an uh-huh. hr holding which was just the next model along right and that went for a bit over ten thousand dollars so expecting it to be double or triple that oh. uh, yeah so i almost i almost picked that up but it Why was didn't not you? oh it was not the one i was particularly right. looking for it's the eh has got that connection with me and so you're still holding out definitely yeah, i might do i might do one yeah. day i definitely would like to buy an old classic vehicle yeah. one day to something to well men of a certain age which we are mate mm. um do like our classic cars well i might trade my um norton commando 750 that i've still got sitting yeah. in the shed there yeah oh. well as as your as your physician, I'll say that's it's a safer option probably to to well, get Ra- rid of that. Rachel won't let me ride it anymore. <laughs> oh, is that right? Is it banned? But she's your wife's a very smart lady, very smart lady. And yeah, it's not it's not you. It's everyone else on the roads, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so so the um, so the Krieg family there. I've said it. Um, piles into the EH Holden at the weekend. Drives an hour to the beach. Yep. So yep. so's the seed. Um, the E.H. Holden has got four children in the back, correct? Uh, well, on, on those trips to the beach, yeah. Or was it a front, th- was it a front th- bench three, situation? Yeah, was there a three? yeah. Yeah, three across the front, three. three across the back. Right. And then probably another four or five in the boot when we were getting <laughs> picking people up from netball and football those around are, town. Those are the days. You'd have get up to 12 in the car sometimes, I think. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. I love have to these. lie down as you drive past the police. <laughs> yeah. You love these 1970s stories. With yeah. the 70s, right? We're yeah, talking yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Um, all right, so as I think I said to you before we started, I, um, and... I know that you and I are going to have lots to talk about. So we'll, we'll get the first song out there because that's always a good way to start. You went with the Stones. Thank you. We saw the Stones together a few years ago. Correct. It was amazing. Correct. It's the first they, time I'd seen them. Did they do this? Did they play this song? I couldn't tell you, to be honest. That was a great night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was, was that amazing. 2005, six? Yeah, around. It could even been three or four, possibly. Yeah. But. Wow. Okay, so... We saw um, the Stones. I can't remember lots. I can remember lots about the night. But I can't remember if they played this song. This is an early song. Why did you go with um, with this one? What is this song? Tell tell, tell me what it is, mate. Why you picked right. it? This is "Get Off of My Cloud." Yeah. Um, I did want to have a Rolling Stones song somewhere in my yeah. selection. Yeah, it was one of those uh, things that was... The first song's always the hardest choice, I guess, yeah. where to start, because uh, I think I was mentioning to you earlier, I didn't know whether to start at the beginning of my music, which was probably back in the late primary school, early high school, which yeah. would have been with uh, Kiss and Blondie, which I had all right. over my uh, diary in the first few years. Right. Tina said, I bet I know what he's got. And I think the second one she guessed was Blondie. 
Yeah, right. She did yeah, guess that. I was going to definitely have a blondie, but there wasn't. I mean, a little bit like Rolling Stones. It was hard to choose one particular yep. song. Yeah. But I had to have Rolling Stones. I mean, Rolling Stones are probably still one of my favourite bands to yeah, this for day. Yeah, sure, for sure. And um, also, you go back to the early stuff with the Stones still, or you're more of the you know yeah, the classic Exile yeah. kind of Sticky Fingers. Yeah, all let, of it. Yeah, all of that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and look, there's so so much diversity there. Yeah. And um, I was lucky enough to see him again when they came to Adelaide mm-hmm. uh, with Rach, and we got tickets not too far from the uh, front. And then I did oh. a bit of a did a bit of a cheeky before uh, the band started. They were letting people move between different areas, and uh, I just sort of slowly wandered down to the front, and uh, the security were coming past, and uh, would everyone please get back to their seats and. Uh, Rach at this point had gone off to the uh, bathroom and she'd come back wondering where the hell I am and I'm just sort of hovering around hoping they're about to come out because the you know they'd announced them yeah. coming out. Ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and I was using that. Oh, just waiting for my wife to get back. She's just gone to the bathroom and right. managed to hover there just long enough uh, before the guy was like, "If you don't get back to your seats, we're going to be kicking you out of here." And just at that point, they came out on stage and wow. I was only you know. Um, 20 metres or so away from stage before so they were, kicked, kicked me back out. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, uh, I can't... When we saw him, when we, saw we, we, we were miles right away, right? We, yeah, which yeah. was still great. It was. Yeah. It was like, brilliant. Great sound. Uh, good but, thing about Adelaide, I guess, is you get, or often <laughs> with bands, you get to see them that much closer. closer. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, they've very much... The, the way that live music's gone for those bigger bands now is that... the my impression is the first few rows are, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds. They might have oh, some fan club guys, some people. Generally for, um, just for businesses and that sort of yeah, thing, isn't it? Or yeah. some sort of yeah, entourage. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a shame a bit. It, it is. Yeah. Um, but so you had a great, um, couple of great experiences. So you seen them twice in total? Yeah. yeah. Only, only the twice. Um, yeah. yeah. It's um, funny with the, with this list that we're going through with you, there's probably not, uh, although I've seen most of the, uh, bands live. There's a couple, couple that I haven't. A couple I would have, but would have liked to. But um, they, they've very different list to what it would have been if it was if I was choosing live music concerts. Right. Which, you know. Yeah. It's one of those interesting things, isn't it? You choose yeah. different lists. Totally. I, I mean, did you? I'm just just mentally going through your list now. You've not got any live renditions of songs on your on your playlist, have you? Did you? Did you come close to sticking in a live song or two of of uh, any of the songs that you've picked? No, probably the. I mean, I guess albums have always been the the big point for mm-hmm. me, and I guess even this one here, even though um, the you know uh, as as per the selection we've gone, we've chosen a song off of each album yep. so that we can listen to this. The probably the reason I chose this was because. From memory, I think there's. Uh, I don't actually have the album. I've got several other Rolling Stones albums here, but I don't have the, the particular one that this came off of. But I, when I used to put it on, I used, basically it was at that time of life where uh, I just left school. Um, I just finished school. Uh, my mum and dad were both working at the time, and so I was still living at home. Yeah, hadn't had a lot of space to myself. Hadn't had a lot of uh, my own space. Yeah. Uh, if you like, and they'd go, and I'd feel I'd have the house to myself. I'd wake up a little bit late. Yeah. I'd get out the uh, get out this album, pop it on, and it was the first song that belted yeah. out off of the album. And I just yeah. remember that the feeling it gave me, and the, right. uh, and it wasn't like. I was saying to my parents, get off of my cloud, but it was no. just saying to the world almost just, sure. uh, you know, just it, it just felt like it was the first, one of the first times I really had a bit of space in yeah. life. You know, I, I love, and, and that's, I mean, that's 
pretty much what you what you wrote and, I, and I, when I read that I loved that I love because I understand exactly what you mean it's that and in fact you said the 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 first sentence was this song marks the point of of me leaving high school and moving into adulthood and there is that just that kind of watershed isn't there there's that there's that transition from schoolboy even though you're 18 or whatever it is into adulthood and and that sort of realization that oh I've yeah. got a bit more freedom. Well, I kind of felt at a weird place to start my list because music was such yeah. a big part of my life in my yeah. uh, high school years. And I was, uh, there were so many, like uh, I was almost going to go with Bowie changes mm. or, um, uh, the, you know, Midnight Oil, yeah. uh, which is such a big uh, part or, you know, all many, you know, so many Bob Dylan tracks or, you know. Oh, I'm but, so sorry. But, uh, you know, it's too, you've, I, got, I, to, you've I, got to start at some point. I've got I to thought apologize. this was an appropriate <laughs> point. It was my adult, the beginning of my adulthood in a way. Yeah. It's interesting you've 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 gone you've just you've I mean you've obviously thought deeply about it. It's interesting you've gone you've made that decision. Okay, now I'm going to start when when the adulthood began. Yeah, but I think also it probably still did capture. Uh, I mean, I was uh, Rolling Stones was something I listened to throughout yeah. my youth, and it was probably just prior to um, a lot of my music taste not changing but expanding yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, I think um, with only within within a couple of years, I was moving to Adelaide and meeting up with people and share houses and that sort of yeah. thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, my music, music taste sort of exploded. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the okay, so the the song I, I, I just because I'm such a professional, <clears throat> the song um, was actually written, I think under pressure of being asked to come up with um, a follow-up to Satisfaction. So they, right. they had a huge hit with Satisfaction and then they thought, like, life's good. And then everyone's going, right, where's the next Satisfaction? And, and to my knowledge, no one's ever followed up Satisfaction. No, you know, it's a pretty no. hard thing it to do. It was a great song, yeah. <laughs> um, but they wrote this, and it's kind of a Louis Louis um, yeah, riff. Yeah, yeah. But it was a single it wasn't on an album originally oh really right, right. So, it must so, have been a greatest hits or exactly. something like that that I had so you might yeah, have had that go. you might have had that uh, I know my mum and dad did or my dad did that that hot rocks where they, uh, it was it all, was, was it that one yeah, with all yeah. of the heads yeah, kind of, yeah absolutely alright we'll make the out. well okay I'm giving you officially let it be known I'm giving you the double hot rocks album yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this great album right with all, the, all those um, I mean it obviously doesn't go uh, when does it go through to like 71 72 maybe yeah, something but yeah. it's really good album from the early days of the Stones I think it was probably my, my favourite era of yeah, the Stones as well yeah. I think that late 60s into the very early 70s yeah, yeah. alright well you get that's in my large S on yep. there you go you can nice. have that alright let's have a listen to this song
Did, was that just fading out? Was that the way that they just... <laughs> they do. They, they, just, they, they just dropped the faders. They got right. They, that's enough. Over that now. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Was that Andrew Lou Goldman who was there? It was like, no, nope, right, boys, that's yeah, done. Yeah. Done, another one. <laughs> God. That was, the, that was the most rapid fade I think I've ever heard. Yeah. That's funny. Um, so you don't get to see that many films now. Do you, have you got the Netflix Oh, no, we, we do. Uh, just not at the cinema, probably. We, we yeah. still get there, probably. Oh, look, I don't know what's, what's a lot of films. We get there probably still half a dozen times in the year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll sort of, we always plan to and then just finding the time. And yeah. next thing, it's off the cinema and we're seeing it on, um, on DVD. Yeah. We've still got a little DVD shop down the road. We actually don't download. Oh, we actually go down to see really? it. Yeah, we support the guy down there. It's fantastic. Wow. Yeah, walk, do the old school walk around and yeah. use the DVD and Take, that's great. discuss what you're going to say. You yeah. know, that's I'm saying wow, which is which is which kind of shows you how um, how quickly things move on now because it's not been that long. That, no, it's that funny. They've just you know blockbuster is ancient history. No, it really only well how long ago? Like five years ago, it disappeared or something. Yeah, something like that. It's not yeah. been that long, but it, it feels like a long time because everyone's got Apple, Netflix, whatever mm. it is, Amazon now. Um, but you still support the... Yeah, when, when we mention it, people are like, really? There's yeah, right. near you? And it's like, and it hadn't even occurred to me until a couple of years ago when you sort of yeah. look around. It's like, oh, gee, there actually isn't really many of these in existence anymore. We're not going to be able yeah. to do this for much longer. He'd struggle to be handing out late fines to people, wouldn't he? He wouldn't, he'd have to, he'd have to like, it's like, really, mate? Yeah. <laughs> do you know we've oh, got we Netflix? Slip, we still slip him a few dollars to oh, keep dear. him going if we've, uh, you know, if we've held on to it for a week or something. I'm, see, I'm seeing a wizened old guy, you know, 90 no, he's no. actually No, he's oh. actually about our, well, you know, yeah. we're, we're getting on. We're but getting on. Uh, no, he would be, he'd be um, around about 50, I guess, pushing wow. 50. And um, yeah, he's just been in it all, all the time. And Have yeah. you ever gone, mate? We need to have a discussion about business here. Can I, can I, you need to be you need to be branching out. Oh no, I don't want to mess with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, quite happy. Just with, happy I'm with quite it, happy so. with it. The way yeah. he's not even in there that often himself. We're, oh, we're yeah. quite happy when we see him. He's got his maybe young it's, lads in there. Maybe it's a front for the bikies up the road. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I, I don't better know. not say that on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay, so Rolling Stones, what else did you say about this? Although I had not started full-time employment. Yeah, so every morning, and you said, every morning I wake up my parents' house, and after they went to work, this would be one of the first songs of the Rolling Stones I would put on the turntable, and you'd sit on the front porch and listen to it. What do you think it was about that in particular? Because, all right, if it was Hot Rocks, there's about 30 songs on a double album there. Why that song today? I guess, like we said, like I said before, it, it was the one that. Um, look, I could be wrong here again, but from memory, it was the uh, first song that would blast out as soon as I put that side of the album oh, on. So it was number one, and it was number one, and it yeah. also it has got that. It just has got a um, a bit of a feel and a bit of a sort of you know fuck you to the world sort of thing yeah, uh, so. to it, and that that time of year that, of that age. Um, you know, I wasn't exactly rebelling, but I was, I yeah. guess, sort of um, broadening my horizons yeah. and you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Totally. Yeah. So, okay, that, that, that triggered a question <clears throat> that I ask a lot of people, I think maybe everybody, so we'll, we'll ask, we'll get it out of the way, which is how you hear music, because what you're alluding to as well, I think, is that the, the lyrics are, you know, get off my cloud, mm. which everyone knows the name of the song, but do you, are you somebody... Um, it's not black and white response necessarily. Are you somebody that when you hear music, you hear lyrics or do you more just sort of hear the music and the instrumentation, the production, the arrangement? That's a really interesting one um, because I've actually probably sometimes regretted the fact that I'm not always 
great at picking up all of the lyrics of a song. Mm. Uh, and maybe that regret is because um, lyrics are so important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess a classic example of that is um, through the through the 90s with a lot of grunge rock. Mm. Uh, I was a huge fan, but I very much lent towards the bands uh, that were far more lyric-based than your real sort of heavy guitar-riff-driven bands. Right. You know, um, Such bands as. a bit like Smash, Smashing Pumpkins yeah, and bands okay. like that, I guess, that are, are very, uh, you know, are very much uh, got a long sort of a lot of guitar in them. And, yeah. Uh, and even some <clears throat> uh, even some bands I love, um, you know, um, take the Danny Warhols that we pick up on later. Yeah. Um, they've got a, a, quite a few of their albums are very what you term stoner rock yeah and you go when when i've gone to see them live i've been almost somewhat disappointed uh, with them right for the fact that they'll get out there and they'll do their full you know uh, Bix playing air guitar at this stage for everybody that, yeah. that can't see. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some of the effects they're creating are amazing. They're yeah. deliberately going for some feedback against the speakers. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. And these long, drawn-out um, songs. Oh, I see. Whereas I'd much prefer... I mean, some of my favourite music is, um, you know, a, a two-minute punk song. Yeah. It's got, um, you know... I, I love uh, No Effects, Tegan and Sarah, you know, stuff like that that's right. meaningless, but right. you sit there and listen to the lyrics and laugh at it and right. stuff that you can really hear the lyrics in and stuff. So, so given the choice, you like to be able to hear the lyrics and, yeah, you go, and you go for it. Okay. Absolutely. It's a really important part of music to me. Yeah. And it, it definitely so, has to yeah. be backed up by, uh, I don't choose a song because of the lyrics. Uh, well, perhaps different in the case of Tegan and Sarah, just because I love that song. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, generally, um, I'll choose, uh, choose songs based on the music. Yeah. But uh, then when I think about them after... It is very, very much um, bands that are, um, you know, bands that you can really hear the lyrics uh, in their songs, yeah. not bands that are purely um, uh, have long guitar riffs or. Yeah. or um, so you're not really. Like, so Radiohead, for example, I never got into because right. of the, because of that. You right. know, it was because uh, he can because because the, the lyrics can be hard to yeah, understand. Yeah, no, no, not because they're hard to understand, to hear, but uh, just because it's not a <clears throat> a dominant part of their music. I think. Mm. I mean the um, the long. I think uh, they're very reliant on the uh, you know those long guitar chords and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, and mm-hmm. it's really something that you yeah. know hasn't. It's not that. I, uh, dislike um, those sort of bands. I just haven't been drawn to them as yeah. much as, um, you know. Yeah. So at the risk of going off into a, a 90s grunge rabbit hole too much, mm-hmm. if, I, if I just uh, give you the names of yeah. a couple of them, so in terms of what you think, over yeah. Soundgarden. Yeah, well, probably, probably not something, not my thing. There's a couple of songs of theirs I love, but yeah, certainly not something I really got into. Lyric, because of lyrics? Or, yeah, 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 because of that, yeah. Pearl, Pearl, Pearl Jam? Did for a little while early on, but you're like ten. You like the first maybe, yeah, yield or something, yeah, yeah, but not so much the later stuff. Yeah. Um, what about um, and wouldn't listen to it anymore now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Alice in Chains. I uh, did like Alice in Chains yeah. for a while there, but yeah. yeah, probably not. Yeah. Lost you again, so it's the. Yep. Okay. Actually, you 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 made me think of a question I've never I've never asked anybody, which is. And, and the reason is because it's what you said uh, when you sell the Dandy Warhols. Hmm. When you go to see a gig, by and large, do you want to hear the songs as they, as you know them, as you heard them? Or oh no, I'm more than happy for happy them to for do. Them to. Yeah, yeah, 
In fact, I, I probably like that. I was a, um, a little bit disappointed last time I saw Green Day, for example, right. just because there was uh, there wasn't that uh, there was sort of the get out there and play the play the anthem type thing yeah. and. Uh, yeah, that's what I used to love about Nirvana. I was fortunate enough to see them uh, live, oh, and really? yeah. they're a band that will just mix something up every time. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, obviously I've only saw them once uh, live, but you know, seen them live on TV and that sort of thing as yeah. well. And you know, they are a band that will change things up a lot. Did they? Are they blown up by that stage? A, a, a Nevermind hit. Uh, yeah, just, yeah. but I was fortunate enough that they were still playing at um, the Thebi, at Thebi Town Hall. Oh. So it was amazing. I saw... Um, so what, a couple of thousand people? Would... Yeah, about 4,000, I think, wow. would get in there. Good gig. Saw Chili Peppers in the same week. Oh, yeah? And it was not comparable. Like, right. Nirvana were amazing, right. and right. Chili Peppers, it was, they were going through that stage where they'd... Um, I think... Was it was it after Blood... Flips? Blood... Yeah. Um, Sugar Sex Magic? Yeah, it would have been, I think. Um, but they'd just gone through that sort of mini breakup and then re right. got back together. For, the concert had been planned several months earlier. Um, and John Frusciante sort of left for a moment and, yeah, and came back. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And uh, there was, they seemed to just be going through the motions. I mean, it's, it, maybe mm. it was just me. Maybe it was just because I'd seen Nirvana three days earlier or something like that. And I'd just <laughs> well, be blown away. Because right. a few other people talk about that same concert, that same Chili Peppers concert. And say, oh, how good was that? Uh, it was sort of, to me, they seemed to be just more going through the motions. That's but interesting. I do though, love Chili it? Peppers. They are a great band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. That's, yeah. that's interesting though, isn't it? How you, yeah, well, you can, ha- you can ca- catch band just on an off night and it can colour your sort of view of them and also you can be at the same gig as somebody else who thinks it's the best gig they've Absolutely. ever been to yeah yeah um, maybe they were standing in a dead spot and you were standing in next to the sound guy and it sounded fantastic or you yeah. you're, you were in a great mood when you went or whatever it was it's, yeah it's interesting how music comes to us Pixies have been a bit like that for me oh. and Rachel have seen them a few times and yeah. each time there's always been something that's just not quite you know, oh. that sort of let, let them down yeah. at the time and yet I know they're a great live band I just really yeah. want to really haven't had the fortune of seeing them in that sort of uh, you seen them you know, overseas or just, it, saw just them, um, yeah saw them once overseas uh, was it no no, it was in Sydney, sorry. I think mm. at the Opera House we saw him once. At the um, Opera House, okay. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that was probably more the, possibly more the atmosphere and, uh, and the crowd just really, really let down the feel of it. Just a well. bit too buttoned up or something. Yeah. And then once that, we uh, caught him once at Thebi as well. And uh, it was just, it was a 40 degree day and Thebi's just can get absolutely stinking hot oh, really? and by about uh, halfway through the gig everyone's almost passing out right. just was, it was one of those things that right. probably pulled down just like you said things like that yeah, can just yeah. totally change the gig for yeah. you yeah um and you're sorry, Thebden Town Hall is what you yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, Thebby. And that's a, is, that, is that like a one it of the was top a little like iconic little uh, yeah. music venue in Adelaide. It yeah. was where most of the concerts were held until they built the entertainment centre. Uh, um, and you still get uh, quite a few concerts there, um, uh-huh. uh, but it is a, only yeah only about four four or five thousand seats. Yeah, or a stand that generally stand. about the seats down the bottom and it's standing down the bottom and then you've yeah. got the classic old theatre. Uh, oh, that's one of the oh, top. That's great. So it was actually an old theatre. So good sound usually. It is amazing sound. Oh. Yeah, it's really good. Great space. Great place to see a band. I mean, because well, I mean, obviously, we're going to come to um, your club later on, but I, I can imagine that you would, uh, you know, you you would have quite strong views about 
acoustics in a venue, even though you know you're you're in the comedy game rather than live music mainly, or you know, the club obviously it's club as well. But um, you know that idea that you have to see a a band in a in a tennis court or you know um, some kind of a you know what's the well in Melbourne the 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 uh, the, the um, what do they call it the festival hall is is basically an aircraft hangar. Yeah, a few, few of the uh, spaces at uh, Wavell Showgrounds were a bit like that. A few yeah. fantastic, but a few really bad ones as well. There was one um, that they used for the big day out uh, for the boiler room for a right. couple of years, and it was just terrible. Does I that aggravate you? Do, you? do you struggle oh, was, with that? It was shocking. The yeah. Ramones played in there, and it actually sounded better outside oh, than what it really? did. Really? And unfortunately, it was the uh, around the same... It was just before... when I Was it around the time In Excess were just breaking up yeah. as well? Um, um, and I managed to catch them, uh, the full lineup of them before yeah. uh, Michael Hutchins passed away. Yeah. And um, it, it was in that same uh, building, t- tin shed sort of thing. It was just horrible sound. Yeah. So it really spoiled do it. Do you think, yeah. and you know, it sounds like I'm leading you, but do you think your, you know, your ability to um, sus- to suspend that irritation at bad sound has changed at all since you've owned, you know, venues yourself? Uh, in regards to if you see a pub gig, yeah, absolutely. Mm. There's certain times you can put up with certain certain things. If mm. just if the uh, if the band are having a great time and right. they're, they're yeah. still yeah. they're still getting it across there, and as long as they as long as they care enough as well. Right. I mean, there's certain aspects of it. I mean, if it's just terrible sound across, you you can't. You yeah. can't put up with it, but yeah. generally, the in a smaller gig, I think the the band has a little bit more control as That's well, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so um, yeah, I think they'll often react to things and and get the sound guys to change things if they need to, yeah. uh, enough to make it um, you know at least listenable. And yeah, yeah I think yeah, I think a bit you can do. Yeah, I mean, I guess the old Rhino Room probably never had a, a perfect sound. It was great for acoustic music and great for, great for electronic music, but yeah. unfortunately, the concrete walls probably limited a lot of the um, quality of bands that we had in there. It's probably the main reason did we you have, became such a hip hop. I was going to say, did you, okay, so I didn't realise that you had. Um, I don't think I ever saw a band in there. I didn't. I didn't realise you did that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, a lot of lot of bands play up there. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. You still doing that now? Yeah, yeah. We still have okay. a few few play every now and again as well. And yeah, hip hop. We had uh, no. We don't really do much in the way of hip hop anymore mm. since a lot of the good Adelaide hip hop bands have progressed and are doing quite well. Mm. A lot of the new crew they probably don't have quite the quite the respect that a few of the older crew used to have. Right. And I think they used to um, teach them to have that respect. So these days, you know, some, I'm sure some do, but you're at the, you're sort of at risk of a lot more, um, you know, fights and tagging and that sort of thing oh, going on in the okay. place. Than, and we, I guess it used to happen a bit in the old days and we used to put up with it a bit, but quite often, a few of the um, bands like, you know, Hilltop Hoods, your Terra Firma, yeah. these guys that had been around a bit would pull the younger crew into into line a little bit and the, teach the, them to respect the venue because the crowd. we're the ones. The crowd yeah. and uh, particularly. And, um, yeah, just the, uh, their, their respect for the for the venue, I guess. Yeah. Was that particularly a, 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 an issue with, with hip-hop crowds? Oh, I, I think it's... And known to be an issue with hip hop yeah. crowds, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some of the um, uh, indie crowds of today, um, 
can get still, you know, violent wise can still, uh, you know, fights can break out and that sort of thing. But yeah. used to, it was something that we dealt with on a regular occasion when, right. in the early days. Yeah. Interesting stuff. All right. But I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much. I'm going to loop back to Gula. Yep. I'm going to loop back to pre you sitting on the porch with your yeah, uh, Rolling Stones going when your parents got off to work. Yep. Was was music a big part of your of your household? Like mum and dad, sisters, what, you know, who's who's introducing you to music? No, at not home? really. Um, I mean, my sisters were. Uh, my oldest uh, sister was getting into um, uh, a few bands like Sherbet and this sort of thing. Sherbet. Um, but uh, <laughs> that was probably better than what some of my other sisters were no, no disrespect, if Sherbet, no. if you're listening, whoever you are, I, no. I mean no disrespect. Um, I just have. But heard no, it was. Uh, my, my parents were certainly not really into. Mm-hmm. Uh, Music whatsoever, but um, they had they was, had a they had a turntable. Uh, they had a proper yeah stereo. yeah yeah. Um, but my my dad was playing really really old records, and my mum was playing um, what stuff we? like Nana Muscuri. Oh and, yeah, uh, Demis you know, Yeah, exactly. These sorts of things. Yeah, for sure. So great for their for their ilk, but you yeah. know, certainly not what I was at all. You know, nothing. There was nothing cool in that mid sort of range. There wasn't any sort of thing coming. Any blues artists coming out no. of the fifties or sixties or anything like that. No, so, no, uh, no Beatles, no Stones, no, nah, nothing at all. So I felt, I feel, feel, uh, you know, fairly proud that the, the first albums I was uh, bought were were probably Kiss albums. I mean, for a while there, there was a there was a stage <laughs> where Kiss was actually you, frowned upon. You did say you feel proud. Well, proud considering the background I had, <laughs> and then the first single, actually the first record I ever bought was a single um, ACDC Black Back in Black. Oh, that's cool. That and is. Uh, this was a this was coming the, from an eleven year old kid as that's well. That's the first so single. You first bought. single I ever bought. Okay. First record I ever bought. Okay, and then a couple of Kiss That's albums cool. and a Blondie album I think yeah. like I said and they did well there yeah. so okay so Kiss that's interesting now Kiss keeps coming I, I get this feeling like Kiss was a big thing I mean I've obviously got selection bias here but you know Luke's a huge Kiss fan you know um, yeah I lost my lost my love of Kiss for a long time there probably from mid high school right up until not that long ago, I sort of, I wouldn't, I certainly probably wouldn't put on one of their albums now, but uh, we did go and see them for a bit of uh, fun yeah. a few years ago. A few years ago. Yeah. yeah but I, I guess what I'm wondering is whether there was a particular, whether whether it's my sort of, the bias of me being exposed to, you know, just a few people that loved them all, but, or were they really huge? Because I don't remember them being so huge in London and, you know, certainly where oh, I grew up. They were considered but, the greatest rock and roll band in the world <laughs> in Australia for a period there. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I wonder what that was. And I, I actually, when I spoke to Emmanuel uh, a few days ago, another interview, um, I tried to understand what it was he he picked um, I Was Made For Loving You. Oh, right. As, as one of his choices. Interesting. Um, and I was not, not in a not in a sort of accusatory, not in a snide way at all. Um, although in my mind, the, the whole bed covers and selling coffins, you know, mm. the, the commercial side of it always seemed a bit tacky. But I was trying to understand what it was about Kiss that, that struck such a chord, no pun intended, with people. You know, mm. what, what was it about Kiss? Look. Back in the day when um, Peter Chris and Ace Frehley were still part of the band, yeah. they, they were, um, I think their their music was actually still quite brilliant. It was overlooked because of the, um, you know... The theatrics. The, yeah, the yeah. Things. You know, a little bit sort of uh, in the same way, I don't know, um, 
Bon Jovi and okay. Guns N' yep. Roses yep. is, I guess. I mean, I never got into Bon Jovi and Guns N' Roses. Rach has always been a big fan and I've always been like, oh, really? There's no, <laughs> there's no. And to be honest, I've probably, you bring up Pearl Jam earlier and in yeah. some ways uh, until I looked in the history of Pearl Jam and realised uh, how you know, brilliant they are musically as well, it was yeah. sort of considered just one of those anthem rockers that are just yeah. really don't have a lot behind them. But yeah. no, I think um, there probably was a lot there. Um, I think they did definitely sell out. Uh, there was no doubt there. Uh, and yeah, the whole paraphernalia. Yeah, 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 the whole yeah. paraphernalia and everything that but went they with They started it, that know. way though. I mean, the, the whole, the face makeup was there from the start, right? It was, but um, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, there wasn't uh, just because, uh, in spite of that, the music yeah. was actually really yeah, good. Yeah, good, yeah. You know. So was it, I mean, Sounds silly to even ask the question, I guess, but it's just good rock and roll, just yeah. like good, good tunes, yeah. good playing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and was was alive too, or Kiss Alive? Was that like the 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 um, anthemic album for you? Was that the one? The no, favorite? probably uh, Dynasty or Double Platinum. I right. think were probably the two that I did. They call an album Double Platinum. Double Platinum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ballsy, confident. <laughs> Call in an album double platinum yeah. before it's released. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, so um, now I'm just going back uh, to. So you've you've said that one of your sisters. What did you say the name of that band was? She liked. Oh, Sherbet. Daryl Braith. You surely have heard of Daryl Braith. Daryl Braithwaite's Braith yeah. the lead singer of Sherbet, uh, who's then gone on uh, to do uh, the song Horses, which is is terrible, yeah. and it gets played at all of the football. Do you agree and, that that's a terrible oh, song as well? Shocking. I, I wasn't a great fan of um, Sherbet, but they were probably actually better than his solo stuff. A little bit like. Um, uh, Cold Chisel, you know, Cold yeah. Chisel put out some great yeah. stuff. Some of Jimmy Barnes stuff, a solo yeah. stuff, probably really getting a little bit, um, you know, a little bit ordinary. But yeah. uh, I very nearly put um, uh, Cheap Wine from East in, in my oh, list yeah. because it was a big part of my mid-high school years. Cheap Wine and a three-day growth, yeah. that, that song. Yeah, yeah. That's Chisel, e- The it? album East in general East, and right. Circus Animals were both huge. I think I owned both of them back as a, um, a mid-high school yeah. person and... And you're playing through, um, like, there's a vinyl. You're playing through your old man's yeah, yeah. or your mum and dad's. Yeah. Um, so, and they had a good good bit of kit. They had decent speakers. Oh, look. Turn enough that I could turn them up and still yeah. listen to it right outside. Yeah. Blow, yeah. Blow, you know, upset the neighbours a you, Yeah, yeah. It's a <laughs> consistent, consistent theme. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Angela's in the sherbet, is it? Or uh, was yeah, it Kathy? Yeah, Angela. I couldn't even tell you what. Uh, I know... Um, Really couldn't. Tell. I know my, uh, Janine was into ABBA and a few things like yep. that, but that was just probably went with the. Janine's two and a half years older than you. Yeah, so I it, wasn't. I wasn't really getting a, a lot of my music taste from, from any of my yeah, sisters. From, <laughs> yeah. Kathy's uh, five years older. Yeah, um, and I think she'll admit herself she probably didn't really even get into music that much. Yeah, right. Yeah. What about play music? Anyone in the family? No, nothing musical at all, which was. Disappoint. I, and look, to be honest, where I got my absolute love of music from, I, I couldn't even tell you, because uh, yeah. it did start at a very early age. I remember in grade seven um, listening to uh, Kiss play and also having pictures of Blondie all over my diary. And Yeah, uh, that, y- that young. Yeah. Yeah, 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 grade seven, first year high school. Well, right I, can t- I can tell you what that, the, the pictures of Blondie all over his I can tell you what that was, that was about. Yeah. But yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. What, can you really not tell me? Was there no, um, you know, you didn't have any uncles with cool tastes? No, or, nothing at all. Yeah. No, I don't know where I, um, I got that from. I, th- I just explained explored through music i guess yeah. i guess live music was 
uh, a big part of things. I did. Well, in, um, in round Gawler, was there was there pubs that applied live bands? Yeah, we still like this was probably just after school. We were really starting to get into bands like that, but yeah. Um, was this the, was going this... to concerts as well was a big thing for us. Like yeah. we went, to, we'd see go come down Adelaide to see um, uh, Midnight Oil right. play. Midnight Oil was a huge, huge part of us growing yeah. up. Yeah, they they really they really I think form an important part of a lot of Australians. You know, I guess for people born what between six sixty and what I don't know. 80 or something I yeah. know they're, they're, they're really an important band yeah and then band. Hoodoo Gurus as well right, go and see right. go and see them uh, at um, down at Lenny's I remember and places like that and this is down in Adelaide the, down or the bay. in Bay yeah. right yeah. And, and this fabled um, you know sticky carpet pubs pub rock scene of Australia in the 70s and 80s was that a thing in, in South Australia was that more just sort of Sydney and, and Melbourne oh no no very much big, over here as well, as well. Yeah, yeah yeah still is I yeah. mean we, me and Rach go out and see our gigs regularly yeah. uh, now yeah. we'll go out and see uh, uh, you know Regurgitator and yeah. uh, um, Super Jesus. Uh, oh, just, really? Yeah, I've seen them both of them this year. Uh, but last, la- just last just year. Just 2018, gone. yeah. Um, and yeah, regularly see pub gigs every couple of months. Yeah, yeah. She's... Probably see more pub gigs than we do movies, to be honest. So, and, and they're playing smaller venues. Yeah, usually you're... down the Gov or uh, yeah. somewhere like that. So just for the people that don't. No, Adelaide, the Gov is... Governor Hindmarsh Hotel Hindmarsh, on yeah. Port Road does a great thing for music. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah, a couple of other good little venues that's a cracking, around the That's a cracking pub, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and Super G's are, South, are an Adelaide band, aren't they? Um, what's the name of the lady, that, the girl that's the lead singer? Sarah someone's it is yeah i couldn't tell you off the top of my head we yeah. actually saw her in thailand uh oh. at a little rooftop bar we were right. over there right. googled and saw heard that she was uh playing and we oh went, she's went playing to, a gig there yeah yeah just yeah. playing an acoustic gig there and uh i think she was she um there was a there was another australian susie someone who married nuno betancourt the the guitarist from extreme i can't can't remember what her name is now but they were doing a thing do you know what i mean susie Someone she was in a bang. Gone. Gee, whiz, this is a great interview. I can't remember any of my references, but uh, I think the two of them were doing a kind of double tour a few years ago. You know, the lead singer of the Super Jesus, Sarah, uh, Sarah McFarlane. No, not McFarlane. Sarah. Anyway, we can go- we'll Google that during yeah, the next song, yeah. shall we? Um, so, thriving scene, both in Gawler and then with your mates. Presumably, once you got your P plates, if there was such a thing in those days, and you could drive into town. Yeah, look, um, I guess uh, I guess this almost leads us on to my next song because, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I had, I guess, the, mu- the music we've been talking about has not really been that diverse. I mean, we were um, basically, um, you know, talking about a lot of old bands that I sort of discovered and listened to. And to be honest, a lot of the uh, uh, guys at school who were listening to The Cure and The Smiths and these sort of bands, they were the weirdos, you yeah, know. You yeah. sort of look at them and like, what the hell's this guy? What's yeah, going on here? the big black overcoats. Yeah, well, even, they weren't even dressed like that, but we just thought, what's what's this shit you're listening to? As I love The Cure yeah. now, you know. Yeah. I love listening to them. Not so much The Smiths, but, you know. But um, it was just post, uh, post-school when I would... Uh, moved out of home and I'd moved in with uh, Susie who uh, was to become my wife a few years later yeah. and uh, she had a flatmate called Carolyn uh, Jenkins at the time, Carolyn Kavanagh now. How did that happen? 
How did um, the so you you moved? So out. I moved in. She was she was going to Underdale Uni. Let's so okay. So you you finished school. Mm-hmm. This is um, you said matric, but year twelve, yeah, yeah. so you're eighteen. Worked, worked in Westpac for a year there, but then was I uh, saw that. Now yeah. is that is that? Sorry to interrupt, but but um, just to uh, be clear, we you you take a year to earn some cash yeah, yeah. ahead of going. Yep. Got offered a job in Westpac, so took up the job. Worked there for. What are you doing a, in Westpac? Oh, just. You know, work on the counter, right. basically. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Got put on a, a management training scheme to become a, a bank manager, and I was right. I just sort of laughed because I had no intention. Was uh, so always... already been accepted to right. study okay. engineering at Adelaide Uni, so that was the plan. And so, okay. And did you? Was it? Was it that? I mean, you're, you're one of four children. We've heard. Was it that? Um, and I can I can only I can imagine that in those days, probably like England, it wasn't quite so expensive to go to university. No, uh, Hex hadn't even started at that right. point, so it so was free. Free, yeah. right. It's the yeah. same as England, which is it seemed normal then, but now it's like the halcyon days. Yeah, yeah. So was the idea, like, obviously still there's some costs. I can't imagine that your parents would have had squillions floating around. No, to, no, to, they were to... they were quite poor, um, uh, <clears throat> although we didn't consider that in Gawler. Most of my friends were struggling a lot more than uh, my parents. My parents did very well mm. for having four children and um, pretty yeah. much single single income for yeah. a long time, a lot of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess a lot of it was left up to, to me. I'd have part-time work and have money saved. Yeah. I mean, I, I had part-time jobs since I was nine years old yeah. in various different spots. Paper uh, rounds. Yeah, yeah, a couple of paper rounds yeah. and worked for Coles Nightfill and yeah. worked in a service station and before I worked for a year and saved some money in um, in the bank and then so, moved down to town. So was that, uh, was it that you were, I'm trying to get a sense of, of, of Mick at, um, you know, 18. Was it that you were already, you were, you were sort of planning ahead, being a bit smart about, about um, surviving and living and money and thought, no, I'll do much better at university if I take another year, get some cash behind me. Was it that sort yeah, of a plan thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was very much a case of uh, saving some money. I Look, I did also ha- have the idea in my head of uh, getting a Bedford van and driving around uh, the coast of Australia and uh, spending right. a year or two doing that as well. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess there was the whole, um, you know, maybe because of... My parents and family, and uh, there was that whole idea of no, you really should go to university right, while okay. you can, and okay. uh, there was not pressure, but <coughs> definitely an expectation. Right. Um, and so, where's think, that coming from? From I guess from my parents, as particularly equally, yeah, both because they they no went to university for any particular ro- uh, job or anything like that. But so was it like a classic sort of? Um, and what, were they they born in Australia? Yeah, yeah. Their yeah, parents? grandparents as well. Um, oh. So, uh, great grandparents came over. Okay, from Germany. Yep. Was it? Were, were you the first? Was you? Were you and your sisters the first generation that that could have been expected to go to university, or, or was there others in the family before that had gone on and done the tertiary education thing? Ah, oh, probably the first. I guess I couldn't be a hundred percent sure what my dad or his five brothers. Um, did but you don't know if your dad went to university? Oh, I know my dad did uh, technical uh, college, yeah, okay. um, but I don't know about his brothers his whether brothers. it was a university degree or whether I know uh, what a few of them did jobs and that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, another one, um, my um, 
uh, mum's brother also worked for telecom as well yep. and they were uh, technicians not linesmen so they did actually have to study technical college for uh, a few years down Adelaide he's often sort of taken me down and shown me and pointed out that sort of thing so I do know that but it wasn't a university degree but then university was probably a lot less common back then yeah. I think yeah. and even in our um Years. I mean, I don't think any one of my friends from school went to university. Oh, well, that's what that was going to be my next question because yeah. you did. I mean, I hear engineering and I go, right, well, immediately smart cookie. I mean, even aside from knowing you as a smart cookie anyway, and I think smart cookie in maths, which to me, I just, you know, I, I'm always impressed by people that get, the, you know, that mathematical side of things which is obviously if you're going to do an engineering degree I can only imagine you've you've got that aptitude but you mentioned I think you came out of your whole year you were like third in the end of uh end of year exams is that right yeah that was in a very large school but which I thought was quite good at the time and then I get down um when I finally actually get into civil engineering and one of my close mates there went to Adelaide High and uh, he got exactly the same score as I did at uh, Matric (laughs) and uh, we talked about where he was graded in his school and I think at Adelaide High which was a school of probably a quarter as many people he probably was very low down in the not even in the top hundred perhaps I don't know I'm I'm guessing now this is a long time ago but I just remember being squared up that uh, not that I ever was cocky about uh, being third or anything it was just one of those things that just happened, happened to come up as, as well in uh, chatting when you talk about your scores at uh, when you're just starting uni and that sort of thing yeah. and um, yeah realized that uh, Gawler High was probably not the um, uh, the the best place for education perhaps yeah it wasn't necessarily pu- pushing loads of people through to to, no. uh, to higher education oh, look, i remember later in my <laughs> um in matriculation me and uh, my only friend who did go do matric the other guys did the um ssc or whatever it was called oh, at the time into different subjects which lead on to a different stream you know i see so um, perhaps those go to more more sort of te- te- technical, technical sort college of things. Things. yeah yeah, yeah okay, that's right um, and then the, um, my one friend, um, Mark, who uh, did study with me, I probably dragged him down a little bit because we'd be going to the going to the pub some lunch times and going off <laughs> oh, and mucking around doing that sort of year thing. Year twelve and, at school, yeah, and he uh, unfortunately <laughs> failed by three points. So, oh, <laughs> although he has gone on to do very well for himself huh. now, he say uh, went on and did a. Uh, whatever associate diploma which led him on to a degree which then led him on to become a um a very high in the building uh, supervisor right. game now yep. and he's yep. uh, doing extremely well for himself so maybe the kick in the butt was what he needed at the time yeah maybe kick in the butt was what i needed at the time because i just scraped into engineering yeah. and still took it very easy at university yeah and um uh, probably also because it wasn't really my thing it wasn't something that uh, you know i chose it i got uh, we, you never got very much back then school never gave you any sort of yeah. direction as to what you should yeah. be doing yeah um you know i look back now and i considered architecture at the time and that would have yeah. definitely been a lot better suited to me but gee five year course who's going to study for five years <laughs> that's ridiculous yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I said, and, and, and um yeah i mean i'm getting the sense we probably went to very similar schools in a way um albeit other sides of the world and there's that there's that um well some people thrive as the as the big fish in a small pond and not in a big headed sense but just in that you know if you're coming top in most exams which you probably were Mm. um that's that that bolsters people Mm. um and, and sometimes to be in the uh what did you say the adelaide high where 
doing exactly the same work, but there's, mm. you know, you're, you're not even at the 50th centile. That can be off-putting to some people. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember there was, a, do you remember there being um, like a jump up in difficulty of the, you know, the, the in, in terms of engineering, the technical side of things, the mathematics, et cetera, when you got to university? Oh, I guess it, so, but it wasn't really that. There, it was more just a lack of application. Um, so you didn't get in there and go, what? is going on no with this. not at all i was yeah. uh, got through first year okay and i was halfway through second year and i was still um passing physics and engineering subjects and chemistry yeah. but was not uh, uh not doing uh, and there was one particular maths exam that sort of did square me up a bit where i was like that's a little bit more than a little right. bit beyond me i really should have studied for that i guess um <laughs> right so you didn't so you were getting through without without really busting I a nut i was to... really not studying at right. all i was probably huh. um yeah probably taking it very easy and uh, yeah. you know enjoying my social life well as as i said i've just moved down to adelaide right. i'm staying in a share house yeah. <laughs> i'm working part time i'm getting into music i've just been introduced to bands like the cramps and iggy pop and yeah. And the Violent Femmes, which we're just leading on to now, yeah. going out to see the bands like the Violent Femmes at the Old Lion Hotel and going out to see Iggy Pop at, yeah. uh, at a pub and, and going to see the Cramps down in Hindley Street and various other Sunny Boys and, you know, Puda Gurus, yeah. all these different bands. I'm spending my, my life getting out. I've got myself a Norton 750 Commando. I'm riding around. Back the then place. you had... Yeah, yeah. Oh. That's what, that was my sole form of transport. So the same one you've got now? Yeah. Oh, so, so your, your world's just gone. Yeah, just exactly. Exploded. I'm a Gawler boy who's got down to Adelaide, and I'm, I can't. Yeah. I wouldn't like to suggest that I'm uh, that I've actually, you know, fully embraced the world yet. But I'm. Uh, I've certainly, <laughs> and my certain world's certainly changed. Well, tell me what. Tell me what the archetype of a Gawler boy is. Oh, look, I don't think there is one particular. I think it's a a, a mini microcosm in, in itself. Blue I collar think. type thing, or I mean, I'm. Assuming it's the same these days as then, which I yeah yeah I'd say <coughs> I'd say it is, but Gawler has a very diverse. I mean, it's like uh, like asking what the microcosm of Adelaide is, or asking what the microcosm of Sydney is, or mm. asking what the microcosm of London is. I mean, mm. each of them are a uh, you know have a diverse world in themselves, and I guess perhaps you don't have quite the um, the, uh, the ends each end of the spectrum that you've got. Uh, in a small town sense, but you've so still got a, a diverse. Big, so so Gawler's a, a quite big population. Um, well, no, it's not a huge population, but it's big enough to have a huge diversity yeah, of people. Yeah. yeah, Although you did refer to yourself as a Gawler boy. Yeah, but that's more in reference to moving to Adelaide. Mm. Like if I'd grown up in Adelaide and I'd moved to New York or London, I'd refer to myself as an Adelaide boy. Okay. You All know, right. it's, it's, that, so it's, it's just moving a, to a bigger a bigger pond. So it's a geographical you know, label rather than a sort of social No, no, social no. no. It's a moving from a smaller, uh, a small pond. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's harder for you to, uh, I'm not sure where in London, where in England you grew up, but if you can The dodgy part. But, yeah, but you, you had, you, it's very, large pond still isn't oh, yeah. it um, Whereas, well, yeah yeah I, I see what you're saying i suppose coming what, from almost a country town into what is adelaide people consider a country town almost as well but yeah. to me it was like moving to the big city whereas yeah. if i'd grown up in adelaide and then moved even to sydney or melbourne perhaps maybe yeah. maybe there's not enough difference there but certainly if i'd moved say to example new york or london or, or, or definitely a big city, yeah. it would have been exactly the same effect where I, uh, I felt uh, I would have been that somewhat um, naive, um, 
think think I know the world, but all of a sudden thrown into this whole new world right. that has a whole lot more to offer. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, I guess that's what I was getting at with okay. the term, yeah. And, and so, because I've, I've been to school, I mean, actually, um, Tina's, Tina's aunt and some of her family live out there. Mm. What I'm, well, I suppose what I'm getting at as well is, is it considered a suburb of Adelaide or is it... It certainly own, is now. It is now. Right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Look, okay. back in the day, we had some connection through the train line and that sort of thing, but it, uh, I, I think it's still very... Looking back, it still had a very um, small town, maybe not yeah. country town, but certainly a, a bit of a small town mentality, absolutely. Right. One more question about Gawler before we leave Gawler alone. Mm-hmm. What was the... Why were, why were the Kriegs in uh, Gawler in the first place or why were you... In, they grew up there. Um, Mum and Dad were uh, living next to each, uh, across the road from each other as kids. And they, and their uh, parents, uh, yeah, oh, their parents grew up not too far away themselves. So it's just the area yeah. where 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 Look, they settled. That's probably not true. My mum's uh, parents did. Uh, he used to uh, farm various places okay. throughout South Australia, yeah. uh, and then settled in Gawler eventually. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it was Gawler region, okay. but uh, a different areas around from around uh, as far out as you know, uh, Angerston and up further again, sort of thing. Okay. But then they both came to settle, and then um, my parents' formative years would have been um, certainly across the road from each other. And and that's how that. they met, and they so moved they, to the other side of Gawler. Right. So they grew, they grew up as kids opposite mm, each other. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And they're still together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Still lived in, living in the same house they did uh, for their whole life. That's beautiful. I've, I've got to, um, I've got to, I've got to give a shout out to your parents because um, they're because they're listening to this, no doubt. Um, Father Ray uh, and Mum Joan. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, <laughs> I think they're so sweet. So they've known each other since they were tiny kids. Absolutely, oh, that's yep. beautiful, man. Yeah, that's lovely. All right, okay. Um, we're in a shared house. Yep. It stinks. There's socks that haven't been wiped. There's plates in no, the sink. No, not quite like that because no. you've got to remember it's girls sharing the, the place. Oh, I'm, there's I'm girls. You know, this is, wow. my, this is my wife wife to be in a couple of years, a few years' time. And we've yes. uh, we've looked for a, a flatmate and found two flatmates. So does, does, does romance come... Uh, first, and you move in with flatmates, or oh yeah, yeah. We, me and Susie were together as uh, high school sweethearts. Like she was fourteen, and I was Got it. six, six. Just turned seventeen, and we okay. were dating right through. Um, she uh, she moved down, and me rather than getting a separate uh, house, I was still living in Gawler, um, but would spend my majority of um, my days down there. Right, so she moves in her house. So she, she was sharing before a house. You, before you go to university, mm-hmm. she moves from Gawler mm-hmm. to She's Adelaide. just finished school. She's two years younger, so she's yeah. just finished school. Yeah. And uh, she's moved straight down to Adelaide. Got it. Okay. Going to Underdale to study uh, interior design. Yeah. And um, moved in with two other girls that are on Underdale. We're just down the road from the under, Underdale High. Yeah. There's three of us there. So you're, and, living, with, um, you're living with three girls at this stage? Well, like I said, I was I was just the ringing boyfriend. Okay. I wasn't I wasn't really even living there, but okay. I was there ninety percent of the time, I okay. guess. Okay. Yeah. And where does where does Violent Femmes come into it all? Well, uh, one of the one of the girls who I'm still very close friends with now. Yeah. And ironically, it was that uh, it was her who introduced me to my current wife, uh, Rachel. <laughs> right. Um, what's the lady, what's the lady's name? Uh, the Cupid, what's this Cupid in human form? Carolyn Cavanagh now was oh, Carolyn right. Jenkins at the time. Still yeah. goes by the name Jenks. Jenks. Yep. Good day, Jenks. Yep. Good job. Well yep. done. Yep. 
she um, found me tinkering with my uh, motorcycle out the back of the house and right. came and sat next to me and handed me a pipe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a pipe, and, some, it's, a, it's a form of a spanner to remove yeah, the wheel from that, the bike, isn't yeah, it? That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, yeah, we uh, sat around and uh, we'd, we'd go to numerous gigs uh, together. She was the one yeah. who uh, took me to the Violent Femmes at... Yeah. Uh, at um, uh, the old line, and I still remember Po going to Jesus walking on the water and uh, Is that stuff violent, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Violent Femmes the, again. It's been like kissing away. This this song seems to just have a special place in Australia because because it's an American band, right? Violent Femmes are very loved. Well, um, uh, now. Let me get it right. Is it Brian Ritchie? Gordon Gaynor? Brian Ritchie, I believe it is, has got the... Uh, actually lives in Tasmania and okay. actually runs a festival down there and he's... Uh, he's one of he's the still, Violent Femmes. Yeah, that's right. Um, he's a guitarist. Well, the great thing I love about the Violent Femmes and why they were my very favourite band for many, many years and still still is to a degree um, uh, is, I guess, the fact that they're a three-piece and yep. you can really... You really get to appreciate it. A three-piece that play... Um, plethora of other instruments okay. like they actually uh, were one of the main bands at WOMAD Festival oh. one year because of the fact that I'm thinking Violet Femmes that's an odd odd choice for WOMAD and then you sit there and see what all the different instruments they pull out from you know um, xylophones to uh, oh. all sorts of different um, you know odd odd instruments that make part make up the sounds of their songs and yeah. Yeah, but the, when they play as a three-piece, uh, particularly, I, I love three-piece bands because you can yeah. you can really hear everything. Yes, yep, and yep. it's 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 great. You know, it's it's um, such good music, and also they are. When we were talking earlier about styles of music and yeah. uh, the sort of style I like, they they are that sort of band that has a quick catchy i wouldn't say it wouldn't say punk but it's not pop either right uh, it's sort of that in between um yeah. uh and it's uh yeah very much uh based around the vocals as well i think did they ever get uh because this is a I, you know i must have heard this song a hundred times just since i've lived in australia mm. um and it's an incredibly acoustic song in in terms of the instrumentation and Absolutely. It's, it's a very delicate song and there's that kind of well I don't even know if it's famous but to me it, it always blows me away that 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 middle section where he kind of goes down to that whisper oh know. absolutely um it's just such a an odd song an unusual mm. song but as I say acoustic very delicate did they get did they ever strap on a you know a, a Les Paul and, and go to a Marshall and go through go go heavy as well? Or? Oh, a lot of their songs. Um, in fact, I'd say a majority of their songs use electric guitars, yeah. but they do pull out the double bass on a lot of occasions, right. um, no doubt. And also, uh, even with the drums, they'll uh, they've done gigs where they'll sit out, uh, pull the drum kit out the front and actually have it right up the front and play the drums either um, uh, with brushes or just in the toned down sense straight out the um, front there and also right. yeah, a lot of acoustic guitar played as well um, by Gordon Gaynor he, he'll play, he'll play uh, so, so so I what I'm hearing is a really inventive skillful very band. eclectic yeah. eclectic good yeah mm. um, mm. obviously it's got very loud and clear uh, this is a this is a time and a place album for you this is associated with that time in well it did continue on because i actually a few years later after i'd left um the <clears throat> um uh, left adelaide university and i'd gone on to study conservation and park management yeah. 
and it was actually a, I was actually remember watching a um, the reason I did that I was watching a clip on TV and this uh, guy who was a park ranger was up in Kakadu and he was telling saying to people oh yeah look we might not get uh, paid much but everyone else comes up here to uh, for, <laughs> for, holidays. for a holiday for yeah. uh, for one month of the year right. and we're up here for eleven months of the year right and thought, right that's the job I want to do plus I was uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back to that story because that's interesting to me mm. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about that but uh, I did very much get all of my whole <laughs> conservation and park management crew into the violent right, you, yeah, and it was yeah, the, yeah. the band that everyone would put on every time right. the party starting yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know one of the dance floor happening and that yeah. sort of thing that was very much it yeah. but ironically when I first heard Blister in the Sun I actually thought it was the Violent Femmes doing a cover song. I oh. didn't realise it was theirs at right. the very first stages. And I don't know. It was just yeah. one of those songs that you hear so much that you thought, oh, that can't be theirs. Oh, so you'd already heard it. Yeah, know, I'd heard it. And I just thought, I just thought, oh, they must be playing that as a, as a cover. And I guess, uh, look, the same happened when I, uh, not that long ago when I first saw the Smith Street Band, yeah. uh, an Adelaide band play uh, down the port. And uh, they were playing a few songs and I thought, thought oh they're, they're playing a cover and then I realized no that's actually their song yeah just because it's one of those songs you've heard so many times right. but never heard never actually seen them do it right yeah. so you yeah. so so to quote you back at yourself uh so blister in the sun violent films this was my share house song and one of the many bands I got introduced to by very capital letters two very close friends yep Kevin Jenks Mark Cavanaugh and Carolyn Jenkins. I don't know if you mentioned Mark as well. You may have done. Yeah, look, Mark, Mark was very much into his music. And I remember uh, there was a point where I'd even say to him, oh, so what do you think? Uh, what's a, um, what's uh, someone you should uh, keep, I should keep my ear out for? And I remember him saying to me, oh, there's this up and coming band that's worth checking out called Green Day. I reckon they right, might be all right, right one day. Right. You know, things like that. You so know. He's, he's one of those guys that, that that's uh, had an important place probably for lots of reasons, but yeah. also introduce you to some cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. New new people in bands as well at the time. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we'd, ha- we'd hang out with them, go to big day outs with them. Yeah. And big, big day out was always a huge part of our yeah. life at that point. You said time. you've only missed one of them over the years. Yeah, I've been to 20... Wow. Four of them or something like wow. that. In fact, I very nearly got to the very first one in Sydney. When I say I've missed one, I've missed one Adelaide one. Yeah. I also missed the Sydney one, which was the original one, which had uh, Violent Femmes and Nirvana headline. Wow. And uh, <laughs> very, very nearly went to that, but it sold out as we were buying the plane tickets and getting organised to go. Oh, was that so, still at the showgrounds in those days? I imagine, or? yeah. yeah. Um, and just before, because we are at an hour and eight minutes. Yeah, we, we, Told you. <laughs> very slowly. <laughs> oh, sorry, I've, I've got some big stories coming up. So, okay, mate, you're, 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 in the, you're in the hands of a pro. Mick's looking, Mick's looking down at a cheat. Is this a cheat sheet to remind you just, of stuff? Just oh. what I've got coming up. This is the engineering you. This is, <laughs> isn't it? The preparation. No, it's probably my uh, getting used to being interviewed so much nowadays yeah, that I don't want to get prepared. off. I don't want to get off topic. Well, it's my. <laughs> you, you're the this, one taking us off topic. I'm trying to keep us moving. And you, inside you, the helios. You're taking myself into my Gawler days and my family days, and it's making me quite awkward <laughs> good that's good that's good i mean in, in, a, in the nicest possible way it's good because i deliberately skipped all that style all yeah. that time of music so i thought we'd skip over it yeah you did you, when we spoke on the phone the other night there was a i won't bring it up and embarrass you but there was yeah. just one off the cuff remark and i thought and i just tucked it away um and it kind of relates to what you just said but um yeah i mean if you could the the subheading of inside the heliosphere is 
off topic you know oh, I, totally. I like to just dive wherever totally. it's going yeah, and, yeah. and, I, and I, you know I wouldn't ask this stuff if I didn't think it was fascinating mate okay so we're going to listen to this song now <laughs> but it says uh, the song became your first mobile ring yeah I just leave you that. that's a bit cheesy and <laughs> I was almost not going to mention that but I'm glad you, know. you did yeah <laughs> <laughs> Disappeared. I think it was. I think it was because the phone was yeah, too close yeah. to the whatever. Yeah, um, so Mick was just saying enough for, with Gawler already. <laughs> 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 he wasn't. He was. He's far too kind and polite for that. But um, I was just for, for the record. I won't. We will. We will. We will explore where you went to Parks and Rec from uh, from from your um, engineering days um, right now because I want to know all about that. But what I was saying was that. Um, this no, not about Gawler but this 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 whole thing if, if people are going to listen um, and make it through three or four hours of this stuff I sort of I like the idea that it's a conversation and that that you know people get to hopefully get a sense of, of who you are because you know a ton of people I know you you know thousands of people all of whom I'm sure I've got an idea of who you are. Oh, absolutely. But it, I'm also not, a, uh, if, if you want to fast forward through the uh, early, early part of it, I've got. <laughs> but maybe some of these people no. are going to go, oh, I want to know. Because yeah. we, we all know Mick, the, the Rhino Room dude. Yeah. We all know Mick that, you know, for the last, you know, uh, you know, 
30 years or whatever it's been, 20, 25 years. Um, but sometimes there's a bit of mystery from stuff that we might not see as, as quite so interesting that other people are... Yeah, know, totally, totally. Yeah, look, I, I don't feel my... Uh, I certainly don't feel my life was uninteresting, uninteresting. Uh, even from a music perspective, like I was mentioning yeah. to you off air, a lot of the um, a lot of this music we were getting into at school, it was me introducing the other kids into it as well. Yeah. But um, I think I just felt my uh, moving to the city, my music music expanded. But then that's happened several times. Looking over this list, um, I think there's uh, eight, almost with each different song, I've gone into a different uh, area of music yeah. and. Uh, um, uh, there's areas I've skipped over as well. Um, like right through my late twenties, I was um, into um, house music and uh, oh, dance yep. music and that sort of thing a lot more uh, than anything else. It's probably through one of those years when I missed the big day out because I just wasn't really getting into rock and roll as yeah. much at that point in time. But you know, did you? I'm putting you on the spot here. You've obviously mm-hmm. you've obviously thought very deeply about this and and, and you, as I said to you right beautifully and the pro forma that you returned was was just lovely to read um did you think very much about the concept of of being on the edge of the solar system alone with these musical choices and, and how that would feel look probably not a great deal um no it was probably more so I was trying to it's funny because you can make so many lists in, in so many ways can't yeah, you in fact sure. I mean Rach just last night we were, uh, happened to be watching uh, High Fidelity on um, oh yeah on TV yeah, and the, great. the way they talk top about fives. their top five yeah <laughs> oh, do you mean your top five to listen to on a train or do you mean your top five yeah. to listen to at home <laughs> yeah. you know this sort of yeah. thing yeah and it's True. a bit like that with this list <laughs> yeah. um so I guess the angle I took it from was um, songs that in either influenced me or perhaps came along at a point in my life um, where I was being influenced by the music, yeah. if you like. Yeah. yeah. So how are you going to go on? Well, this, we're in this, the sun is becoming increasingly magical and golden as we sit here, the birds are singing. Um, if you can, I'm just going to pause. And then the birds stop singing. Um <laughs> Uh, but stuck on your own. I, hey, am hey, I allowed to bring the album, or have I just? Yeah, got you got the album. You've oh, got seven then, albums. You got, you got Nitrous Rockside, so I'll they don't get old. But yeah. hey, but the broader question, in, in seriousness, is how do you go with your own company? Oh, fine, totally fine. You could. Yeah, be- I actually like my own company, and quite often. Uh, I, I would probably actually be somewhat of or a, a great, int- a huge introvert, um, and. I was blessed by the fact that I fell into Rhino Room and it forced me to be a social being. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, um, I would struggle to go out as much. I would struggle yeah. to socialise as much. Um, even now, I sometimes feel a little, uh, slightly awkward. In fact, mm. there was a period in my life where if I had to go out but I wasn't leaving from Rhino Room, if yeah. I was leaving from home, I would feel really weird. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, no, I've always been very much... Uh, a bit of an introvert but that aside even now that I'm not even now that I love talking to people and love company and I love socializing and I love going out I love seeing bands all of those things I still crave uh sitting on my own mm. lying in my hammock what looking at the beach right. Or, right. or walking along the coast or uh quite often when I go walking uh Rach used to come with me a lot but um often she just lets me go on my own now yeah. and I've got a little share property down um, uh, south in my Ponga and I'll just go out there and walk out there for a few hours on my own okay. and sometimes right. just sit out on a rock 
out on the hillside and just stare out into space and relax. So that's not the that's not the coast. That's um, no, no, just inland, yeah. just um, along the Hyson Trail. So, so it's basically you, you go uh, bush bashing bush, on your own. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, quite yeah. often, and I could do it um, you know, anywhere. In the, when we were over in WA, um, she dropped me off down the coast, uh, mm. down um, uh, uh, south of Perth. And uh, we were staying in a little place by Margaret River and yeah. uh, dropped me off on a on the path a couple of hours away and I just meandered back on my own and right. uh, just uh, along the path. Just what is, what, is, what does Rach do when you're doing that? She, she sits around and reads magazines reads and, and stuff. or cooks. She yeah. quite likes to cook. She likes to just do... I mean, she's a person, ironically, who loves her own company as well. Right. So although we love doing things together, I think that probably are the biggest benefit to both of us is that we like time apart as well yeah. we really like time on our own so look um i don't know how many how many years we're being stuck here i guess yeah. until we die so that might no, become a little bit uh, no, a little I've, bit much I've, uh, um that's a stop press announcement for the series two I, I decided that it was it was just too bleak the whole you might never get rescued thing so i've softened mm. um in the in the conceit and um i think i i've I've said now that look, it's going to probably be a upwards of a year, maybe two years. But there's a there's a rescue craft making its way yep. um, incredibly quickly because you're about forty or billion miles away from work. so it's a long way. But you you know you're you're good. There's there's not there there will be a reunion with your loved ones and things. Mm. But it's going to be a good period of time, a year or two. I, I mean, I'd I'd say at this point that I'd I'd be totally fine. Mm-hmm. But then. Um, as we get on to the, the next song and I, I talk about this, my, my six-month trip over to South America yeah, and yeah. the loneliness and isolation you feel on, on a few occasions, mm. even during that, yeah. although that was back in the days of um, pre-email, pre-internet, yes. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. a telephone call to Australia is costing $10 for a couple of minutes, yeah. if you're lucky, you know. Yeah. Not that long ago, is it really? No, well, 20, uh, what are we? Twenty five years ago, or twenty three years ago, or so now. Got the post restante uh, mailing. Yeah, exactly. Thing. And only half of them would get back to Australia, and yeah, um, and yeah. So you, uh, during that period of time, that was only six months. There were very, a lot of periods where you feel very isolated. Yeah. But that, to me, even though it might not be something um, that makes you happy or that you love at the time, um, some of those moments are, are life forming moments i think yeah and probably it's probably something we don't do enough of um in our lives now is throw ourselves into those sort of situations which are a little bit confronting and Mm. a little bit daunting and um uh, i've actually been looking into those um intrepid journeys that uh lately that not only raise some money for good things but you know do things like uh, climb mount kilimanjaro or uh you know these sorts of things and just to i mean i know you're not on your own there you're with with basically with almost a glorified tour group in a way Mm -hmm. but you are throwing yourself amongst a group of people who you don't know and um you know you're away even just for just for you know a few weeks or not even Mm. at some points but um it just does these sorts of things do i think expand the horizon yeah and um, yeah, I think it's something everyone should do at some point in their life is yeah. uh, travel for at least a few months on their yeah. own, if not a year or something. Yeah. And it and it just really does change the person you are. Would you want to? Um, we we can carry, we can talk about the situation that that sort of led up to your first big trip, which I know was a huge, you know, um, you know cro- not crossroads, but you know, a huge 
a chapter in your life for all sorts of reasons the first time you went away for a long time and did that travel or do you want to talk more now about how you transition from engineering into uh i keep calling it i keep i call it parks and rec in my head because of the tv show that's come out in america but yeah look there probably wasn't a lot of transitioning um i had a had a little bit of time off um but like i said i chose pretty quickly but hold what on. I wanted to do. You were you were halfway through the second year of engineering? Yeah, yeah. And, and look, there was a couple of things. I was, uh, I was uh, although doing fine with um, physics, chemistry, engineering, the mathematics subject was struggling with a little uh, through lack of application. And then there was also, I remember doing geology um oh, and we, geology yeah it's part of engineering I one of the subjects. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and we were uh, looking at the kangaroo creek dam um and we were basically um uh talking to some engineers up there and talking about where they got their um uh, rubble from and to, for filling it and this various things like that and they say oh well you choose to take it from the other side of the mountain like why are you doing that so so people don't see it so they can't complain about the open cut uh, areas of the hills and that sort of thing there was no there was no um environmental survey there was no there was really very little done in that sort of way it was all a matter of how cheap can we do it and how can we get it passed without um uh getting any flack from uh any government bodies or from the public mm. was that a sign um, of the times in those days or still is, is now is it oh absolutely I, I think it's worldwide isn't it i mean um you look at uh, the adani mine up in queensland and that's certainly not complying or going to pass uh, any sort of environmental uh um safeguards up there at all that's isn't that it, shouldn't be happening but it isn't looks it like harder it may with, still isn't it harder to um hush that stuff up with with social media internet these days i don't think so i think um it can become public knowledge uh, and then there are protests but then how far do those protests go and how much um do the general public even care in the end Mm. and how much um how much can you make the public care and how much can you then make uh, sway the government's decisions through that those sure, public care. Sure. I mean, clearly uh, you can a little because through some uh, some of the groups that have worked hard against uh, to stop the Adani uh, mine, they've managed to um, you know stop uh, the government providing funding. They've managed to stop the banks providing funding. No banks will. Uh, originally, it was going to be um, a free for all, uh, but through protests and that sort of thing, a lot of it that's been stopped. Yeah. Yeah. But even through that, it looks like it may still progress. And if it does, if it does eventually progress, even though it's on a much, much smaller scale, it will open the way for several other coal mines in the same area because mm. they'll create the infrastructure mm. and the mm. uh, train lines and everything that will mm. allow for it and it will destroy the barrier reef. Yeah. And it will um, destroy a lot of the uh, water table up there as well. Mm. And there's, that's that's no doubt. There is no question about that. So... Um, these sort of things still go on. I mean, we wouldn't be fighting climate change now uh, and trying to get action on that if it was that if it was simple thing of changing government opinion through uh, social media. Yeah, good answer. Mm. And you 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 didn't even repair that. That was just just for the record. He was he was freeforming there. He was uh, freestyling. Hey, just for the record, all I've got written down here are my songs and a few other bands that I'm that I missed out that I was going to. Sorry, I've got a tendency sometimes to to stray towards the clip, and I didn't mean to sound that way. No, no. Um, the uh, so there was an element of you know increasing environmental awareness and sense of injustice at some of the practices going on. There was the story of the man uh, in in um, in the territory who's saying, "Well, look." 
look at where I work yeah, and, and, and absolutely. Good. So it was a little bit of a lifestyle choice, uh, and I would like to say it was um, it was the environmental side of me coming out. But, yeah. you know, I probably convinced myself of that a lot as well. You know, I tried to feel that I'm doing good, um, but you know, perhaps don't do anywhere near what I feel I should be. No, a little, little bit like uh, now as well. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. don't feel um, we've tried to do some work towards um, uh, saving the rhinos with yeah. uh, with Rhino Room and yeah. we haven't sort of progressed that anywhere near as far as we'd like to. Um, but, you know, these sorts of things, you'd like to think that we can always do more and will do more in the mm. future. But, yeah, back then a little bit the same, I guess. You know, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, at least you have perhaps the right ethos and... Uh, and, um, you know, the right um, idea behind it. But, yeah. you know, after studying conservation and park management, um, this is a three three years. So you, three three year uh, degree. So yeah. What year? Are we, what year are we in now? So this is like late eighties. Yeah. No. No. Probably no. even the not uh, probably early nineties. Early nineties. Yeah. So you transition. So you you're you're at Adelaide University. Uh, no, no, we've been to Adelaide University now at uh, University of SA, Salisbury campus. So you, you leave, so you, you, the engineering degree is University of yeah, Adelaide. Yep. You go to see the dean or your tutor, whoever, go, look, this isn't for me, this is not working. Yeah, course advisor. Yeah. Uh, he tries to encourage me to hang around because they need people who have, uh, you know, uh, a love for the environment and that's how things change. And, and I think in my mind, look, if, if I cared enough, maybe I would as well, but... <laughs> Look, I did. I, I, it wasn't like it wasn't that simple. It was a yeah. case of um, I, I, I wasn't. I knew that even if I um, applied myself and got uh, through, which I would have if I'd applied myself, but I wouldn't have enjoyed being an engineer. Yeah. It wasn't something yeah. I, I yeah. no longer did. And ironically, I um, uh, halfway through studying conservation and park management, I realised that I was probably. Um, upon graduating really not going to be much more than a glorified tour guide at best mm. um and in some ways uh that uh is why i didn't pursue that although yeah, a lot yeah. of my friends have gone on to do very well in it and yeah. um to do some great things yeah. although some have chosen other paths as well some have worked for uh, groups like Santos and yeah. uh, other uh, groups where you know you'd hope what they're doing is a is a good thing but yeah. they tend to be probably more just signing off on things to create an impression but mm. I don't know I'm that's a, that's All right. a hard one yeah. so get, get, getting a sense of the timelines here so we said early 90s mm -hmm. you're, you're halfway through a, a, a university year when yep. you leave is that and, and presumably you have to wait until the beginning of the next academic year to start the the new degree. I may have even taken a year off in between. I right. think I can't I can't recall now whether I, uh, it was the following year I went to. Um, you married at this stage. I think I may have been. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go. Now, at what point does the? Oh no, sorry. You've I've, I've just read it in your thing. And so I was thinking it's around now, but you were. It was twenty nine before you went for this South American. Oh yeah, yeah. Well and truly, we started urban cow. cow. This is the whole right. urban cow period. Right, so right, right. Okay. I've just finished conservation and park management. I'm working for Greenpeace at the at the time. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, not considering there's going to be any future in Greenpeace, but yeah. thinking, oh well, I'll decide now where I branch into. I've saved money to go to South America, and I'm thinking I'd love to go to South America. And uh, Susie, on the other hand, has already started working as an interior designer and has realised that in Adelaide as an interior designer, you cannot make any money. 
um, and unless you own your own business. Right. So um, she's. Is she a ceramicist? As, as well, well, she went on and did a. Uh, at this point, she's then decided to go on a, and do a year, a bridging year of ceramics, right. because right. Um, that uh, you know you don't make money as an interior designer, yeah. unless you're working in Melbourne or Sydney. So um, you're, you're you're married probably a few years. Yep. You've you you've you've finished. Uh, you're working at Greenpeace. She has realised that she's maybe the finished, interior design is not going to be... Oh, no, that's a year earlier. She's right. just finished uh, doing her bridging year of ceramics. Yeah. And then um, she tells me she's uh, she'd really like to uh, open, a, open a, shop a shop called Urban Cow. And I'm Cow. like, well, what about us travelling to South America? Right. And she's like, well, <laughs> yeah, okay. I've got these three girls that we want to open a shop together. Oh, okay. And so um, at the time, I'm like, well, all right, I'll, I'll help you. And they'd, discover, they'd um, researched and found this uh, place that became the Urban Cow and Rhino Room. This that is the building. place I know, the, the yep, place. The old place. Yep. Yep. And uh, basically there was four of them originally, but mm. one of the girls was a bit older and she decided it was too risky and decided to pull out. Yeah. So then there was three of them, three ceramicists, um, three artists, uh, plant, uh, a kiln out the back, yeah. a couple of kilns out the back and a workshop, hence the name Urban Cow Studio. Um, they, uh, I helped them along with a bunch of other friends renovate this building, which so was completely derelict. Who builds the kiln or, or is it a... No, no, you buy You buy, buy a kiln, kiln in, yeah. right. Okay, yeah. okay. And, and just in, in terms of, I mean, because for anyone that doesn't know Adelaide, and I, I've got to assume that the people in Iceland and Japan are at least a bit sketchy, the, 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 um, the real estate that you occupied until... Three years? How long ago now yeah, did you move? Three and a, three and a half. Three and a half years ago, years. was just about as good as as can be imagined, right? You were you were just in this incredible um, part of the city, which, which remember was, what we started in was completely derelict. Well, well that's I mean, my there question. There was actually yeah, uh, yeah. in the in what is what became next door the Howling Owl. Yeah. Uh, years down the track was actually the Adelaide University's music examination room. Right. And what was Rhino Room upstairs was a ballet school. And oh. we, we got hold of this um, uh, little uh, little house, basically, yeah. that was built in 1854. Yeah. Uh, one of the first buildings on the square of Adelaide. Yeah. Uh, but it was completely derelict except for the outside walls. In fact, the floors were dropping in as well in fact we nearly i've nearly died twice in the renovations one <laughs> one time in the upstairs gallery we thought the power had all been completely killed throughout the building and me and another guy were pulling down the old metal conduit and as we pulled it off the wall it um creased and uh sent the uh, shorted the power out and sent us both flying across the room. Oh, and there was no RCD so protection or anything like there that. There was no at that bro- circuit breaker or anything. No, no. So, but, but you've got the you've got the old. I mean, this is the. I guess this is kind of running dangerously towards you know uh, a discussion about gentrification. But you know, you've got the old Royal Adelaide Hospital, which unfortunately, in my opinion, unfortunately now has been put into this new edifice. But you've got that. You've got the Botanic Gardens. You've got, um, you know, Rundle Street, um, 
And as you, when you said the Adelaide Square, you mean the, the, the central block of within those parks in the, in yeah, the middle of Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. There, so, looks, there was a lot of gentrification going on at the time. But, I mean, there was Ruby's Cafe down the road, which was a beautiful old uh, art deco building and yeah. Frank's Gents um, hairdresser and these buildings all along Rundle Street, which were all beautiful old buildings. Yeah. And they came and ripped them, ripped all, um, the guts out of all of them yeah. and made all that glass frontage that you see right, along there, right. which is, um, oh, you know, um, very like Rundle Mall now. So, so it was going on, it, and it continues to go on all the but time. But you could still, yeah. I mean, it's what it, it's it is what it is, I yeah, guess. But but yeah. but my point being that at that time you could still get some something in that part of Adelaide without you know it needing to be a I don't know you know an office block or an apartment building or whatever. You could still open a small business in that in that yeah, part. Yeah, I mean, you probably still can. We wasn't that many streets away that, uh, that we three years ago we managed to come across the, yeah. what's now the Rhino Room. Yeah, sure. I mean, that was a derelict building and the original Faster Pastor and the mm. last time it was the, the actual Rhino Room, that building was anything with Soda Room back uh, in the early 2000s. So that's yeah. 18 years ago it had been sitting there doing nothing for. So there right. are still a lot of buildings like that around, yeah. but maybe, I mean, that building was probably built in the 19... 19- 40s or so I'm guessing Um, whereas what was Urban Cow was Mm. actually should have been a heritage building I mean that's something that was really really beautiful in its day we used to have the um, the original owners come through and we chatted to them a few times Um, the father had passed away fairly recently but we got to meet the um, the son and the daughter and the granddaughters uh, in various different occasions. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, they were really sad to see that it was getting knocked down. But, uh, and it's know. a ballet school above where the, where the Rhino Room was. Uh, yeah, well, uh, basically, um, uh, I guess we'll lead on to that a, a, little, a little later, but uh, after, yeah, uh, when Rhino Room started, uh, we took over the ballet school. Yeah. But that was, our, that was post... Um, Post travel, and Urban so, Cow was what? What did you say that was originally uh, res- residential? With the the uh, the space where Urban Cow was, um, oh, it was just derelict, derelict old building. But what was the? Oh, it was a it the, was a house. It was yeah. a house. Yeah. All right. Okay. So this is mid nineties now. We're, we're mid nineties. Yeah, getting towards late nineties. I mm-hmm. guess we have we've had Urban Cow open for a few years, and then um, me and my wife. Uh, Susie um, separate um, and because she's basically uh, I guess what uh, sorry le- we sort of skipped over leading into the yeah. urban cow what, yeah. what had happened there how way that started was um, the we basically renovated this old building then um, fairly soon afterwards they've st- opened it with an exhibition uh, and with the exhibition, each artist has put one piece of artwork in, so the whole place is completely sparse. Um, and, you know, it's uh, people have walked around uh, the building, uh, and it's quite funny, actually, we'd uh, just put down this um, environmentally uh, friendly floor polish, and we hadn't left it long enough to... Uh, um, for it to uh, take properly right. when the exhibition happened and everyone's walked around with these high heel shoes oh and completely my. torn it up. So <laughs> I've had to spend the next few days after we've opened the place actually sanding the floor back. Oh. And so we've uh, I'm sanding it back and uh, um, I'm t- taking the dust and everything out the back and emptying it out the back, not far from this wood pile out the back that's uh, we've uh, demolished from, uh, from the kiln area. 
And as I go out there, it's really late at night. It's about one o'clock in the morning because we're working through the night. So at this stage, everyone that's coming to help us has left because they've helped us for a month to get the place right. <laughs> right. But we've completely stuffed up the floor from this oh opening. My gosh. And Susie's asleep upstairs in the room. And I go out, next thing I go out the back and there's a flyer, fire blazing up the side of the uh, building next door. Oh. Um, and I'm, I run out there and I'm trying to cover it up and put it out. But every time I move one of the uh, pieces of timber, it flares up again. We're talking lump jumping sort of 10, 12 feet in the air sort of thing. So I'm yelling out to uh, Sue's, call the fire brigade, call the fire brigade. So she gets the fire brigade and um, I... Um, uh, run around, finally find a hose and plug that in. And by the time the fire brigade have got there, I've managed to put it out. Right. But what it was was um, self-ignition from the uh, from the dust from the uh, machine that I'm um, wheeling around the place. The sander, the yeah, industrial yeah. sander. And so, uh, so the industrial sander's got that hot that it yeah. that it sets fire to. Yeah, just by putting all of the uh, the sawdust with this oh. environmental floor polish on it. Is oh, because it's yeah. yeah, it's got the chemicals yeah, on it as well. Yeah, so it's just self ignited. Wow. The so fireys was- there at the time were were loving life. They're like, oh, we haven't seen a self ignition fire in years. This is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so it was that. So it was close to uh, like just almost destroying urban cow almost as soon as it opened well probably the more so destroying the building next door but (laughs) nathan nathan our mate who became mates with us years later they would have never had that old house to live in (laughs) almost and and um you say you said so susie was asleep upstairs were you living above no no we just 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 stay there what what point does um uh i'm I'm gonna guess chantelle was was pretty around this time she's throwing pots well not quite um, so at the time, I thought... Chantel, if you're listening, I love. <laughs> so at the time, um, we've, uh, we basically opened this, uh, this place with a smattering of art that's been yeah. put there for the exhibition. Yeah. Um, so I've sort of said to the girls, well, you can't sort of function like this. Why don't you girls spend a few weeks? Because their idea is to spend a week in the shop each and then two weeks out the back and take it in turns. To, to, like to, to staff, Rotate. To staff yeah. the shop, like yeah, exactly. to sell stuff in the shop. Exactly, because, okay. yep, you yep. know, it's an artist collection. Sure, you can't sure. afford to pay somebody. Yep. So I said, look, I'll, I'll sit out the front and I'll uh, run the shop yep. while you guys work for a couple of months and make enough stuff so we've got stuff to sell. Right. And so um, th- while they're out the back making stuff, um, I'd uh, be out there sort of, um, you know, working the shop. But I think it was about two weeks that lasted before um, things were getting things that were, things were happening, like uh, one of the girls decided to move the front counter into the second room um, without saying anything, and uh, and we both me and Susie rocked up and we're like, how are you going to have the counter out there? People are just going to walk out the front door and steal things, and you know things like this that were just not. There was basically yeah. three girls, three artists, um, you know, working trying to run a shop and produce at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so eventually uh, we basically said, went to our accountant and said, okay, well, what should we do? And he said, well, you've got two options. Either you buy them out or they buy you out. Oh, I see. And so um, we put most of put all the money that I've saved to go to South America uh, into the business. I see. Um, and uh, so we most of the business we owned. Can you remember what your, your mindset was at that, at that moment or those moments? You know, when you – because there's nothing – there may have been, but I think so far you've not really. You said paper round. You said a few other jobs, but you've, you've not really had much experience of business at this stage, right? You've been a university student 
were you learning as you went? I mean, oh, totally. They basically um, at that point in time, it was like, well, they've got no. There's no way they can buy us out. We've the only option is to buy them out, or we've just lost the oh. fifteen thousand dollars that we've Everything saved up to done. put in there. Um, and so we did that. And so Susie basically took over the production, and that's where she got Chantal in um, right. to help right. her out. And yeah. then I've taken over the retail and done the best I can. And the whole process was get more art in, get more people in, get more art in, get more people in. So I constantly sitting on this front counter, just thinking of ideas of ways to Mm. get artists in the door and ideas of ways to get people in the door. We used to have these quirky ideas where we'd come up with these street signs, which would uh, get the artist to paint up. And some of them had, remember Susie designed some with little bits of um, uh, barbed wire on top of them and little cows on top of them. People would constantly steal little ceramic cows and stars and things like that. And we'd put them down the corner and, at one point, I remember I even um, uh, Dinah bolted them to the shop oh. uh, shop down the corner. <laughs> you just reminded me of something. Um, now I'm going to struggle to remember the Clinton. Clinton is is there a, is there a ceramicist called Clinton who's living in Cornwall in England now? Friend, we saw him when we were over oh, there. Oh, um, yeah, do you know the guy I mean? Is it Clinton? I think I've got his name right. The reason I mention it is that he makes, he, he's got to say, he's got Lincoln, Kirby Lincoln, Bell. sorry, not Clinton. Uh, pardon me. Mm. Pardon me for getting the name wrong. Sorry. Um, Lincoln. So we went to see him in yep. his, um, in his, in his studio. Yeah. Lovely guy. Lovely guy. Really yep. nice guy. We went and saw him in, um, oh, my mind today, man. Gee whiz. Uh, we've got St. Ives on the brain. It's not Penzance, right? Just mm-hmm. out of Penzance. Yep. And he gave us, uh, or we, we bought from him a, a, a dozen or so little discs with uh with with images that he made out of clay and he makes obviously makes beautiful big mm. pots and and all sorts of wonderful stuff uh, out of clay but we go around the world we left one in the mojave desert we left one hidden outside david bowie's last studio in new york is that is he someone that works was he oh, a, he was him and chantal yeah. um basically uh used to run market stalls in London together and so they came over, came back to Australia and they were two of the best ceramicists yeah. in Adelaide at the time by far and he used to put stock a lot of stock with us and uh, yeah know. used to used to walk out the door and so yeah both of them are very so responsible they, for helping us so they come in at the same kind of time as, as he, he wasn't one of the ceramicists who worked in our studio oh right but he was one of the early ones who put work with us right, right. and um, yeah I mean we were very fortunate there were a lot of I guess it was a time and a place Um, where the jam factory was sort of trying to look after the corporate market a lot more. And so we gave this whole... um, Jam factory. Jam factory being the um, uh, renowned government-run institution uh, that was originally in a jam factory in Norwood and uh, now has a big uh, premises um, just off Morfitt Street. Uh, and they have in, in, this is in Adelaide yeah the and they have uh, massive glass kilns and are world renowned for the glass that they produce uh, and uh, also have a big ceramic studio big furniture design studio yeah. basically most design uh, not most but a large number of design graduates um, go on and either a study or um uh, have a residency at, at the jam factory and yep. learn their craft, particularly if in, in the world of glass blowing, for example, because right. you can't really have your own glass studio; it's too expensive. 
So uh, it's an opportunity for glass blowers, and it's uh, it is the uh, as, as certainly renowned Australia wide, if not worldwide, for mm. uh, their glass blowing. Right. Um, so Jam Factory is um, is exists before Urban Cow, before your oh, your Jam Factory exists twenty years before Urban Cow, probably. Yeah, and they and and they are, are supporting you in some way, helping no, you. No, not at all. If anything, um, they're <laughs> considering us to be the. Uh, um, the rebel, rebel right, cousin, or right, whatever, if right. you like. So, so why did you bring Jam discouraging, Factory? discouraging people? To- so, how does Jam Factory come into our? Because a lot of the people who are either working at the Jam Factory yeah. or trying to stop work at the Jam Factory are being turned, uh, having ninety um, percent of their work turned away, and yeah. they're making this beautiful artwork right. that they've got nowhere to sell. Uh, and the Jam Factory is very right. much geared at the time, and particularly due to the uh, the people who were employed to run the jam factory at that particular time and uh, they were um, making their money off of thousand dollar of ten thousand dollar pieces of uh, uh, glass right. really not having giving an opportunity and that's probably changed a lot now there's a whole opportunity for jewelers uh, and ceramicists and other people who can now um, you know exhibit their work right. there right yeah. okay so there's a very sort of um sort of it's an overused word but organic beginning to your business you know it's, it comes from your it has been with each of the three businesses <laughs> <laughs> is that, we'll, it, we'll get on to them shortly <laughs> <laughs> but is that fair to say I mean it's like I mean yeah, you haven't, yeah. you haven't, you haven't uh, gone look, and done a business there was one time I was travelling overseas um, many years later and I was travelling I think I was travelling on my own again um, and I was uh, this was a few years after having started Rhino Room and I was telling the story um, to one of the I think I was in a tour group up the, um, might have been up the, uh, up the Mekong uh, oh. Delta or something like that. Um, and I, I guess I was uh, we're sitting there getting fed in this little thing and everyone's get talking about what their occupation was. And so I just uh, spoke a little bit about, uh, a couple of minutes about Urban Cow and about uh, Rhino Room um, and how I fell into both of them um, through, you know, no choice of my own. <laughs> and one of the one of the ladies who was um, from another country and was sort of struggling to keep up with the English a little bit, she sort of turned to me and goes, "Oh, um, sorry, can you explain? Are these is this your work or is this your hobby?" Right. And it was very much a right. case of yeah. yeah. And I've never and I've always felt very much like I fell asleep and woke up in them because right. Um, that's a, that's a, an interesting um, you know idiom or axiom. Mm. I mean, very words, much the same way I fell you, into Rhino Room. I was, uh, but you um, said, but the words you chose were uh, th- uh, through no choice of my own, which is isn't that just interesting that 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 implies uh, some kind of a, you know, um, divine guidance or something, doesn't it? You know? Maybe there was. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because, you know, if you when when you look back, which which is basically what we're doing, um, there's there's been this wonderful sense of. Um, uh, well, I, you know, I guess um, determination and clear sightedness that even if you didn't, even if you weren't sitting there, sorry to use a G word again, but back in Gawler when you were 16, um, I'm going to own my own business, you know, and run a, you know, mm-hmm. what it came to be. Um, there was, I, I've already had a sense that, you know, when time came and, and uh, 
you had to make those decisions. You did the work necessary to either learn or teach yourself or ask the right questions or ask the right people to make a success of these things, even if it perhaps wasn't in the, the plan that you'd set out for yourself in the early days. And were, were you somebody that always had, did, did you always plan ahead? In, in terms of, are you one of these people it's that's pretty got pretty clear that I didn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I just, it's a silly question really. Isn't it? No, look, that's not true. Look, I've often, often planned. Like uh, five-year plan, plan ten-year plan thing. Yeah, but I'm not one of these people who sit down uh, and uh, do it that, uh, that strictly. And things. Are you forced to now, when you reach the level of success that you've had, are you, are you forced to? Is, is, you have to. Is your no, going, not, not at all. We need I mean, five-year we think, we think about, I mean, of course you think about uh, when you're signing leases and when you're signing these sorts of things yep. and, and uh, you know, when you're deciding whether or not to build a balcony on the Rhino Room and these sorts of things. Do, yeah. you, do you spend that sort of money or yeah. uh, is it something that's really not going to be around in um, five years or ten years. How do you make this then? What you, you built? Your, oh no, no, that, those sort of things it? are very much. Uh, you do look forward. And, I mean, how, do, how does anyone make those decisions? You do very much look forward and just decide what's going to what's going to be the best choice at the time. Well, that's the that, but that's the. I suppose that's that's the question. There is okay. You said you look forward, but you know, I, and this is where I can't. I, I don't even have the language because I know that businesses use various methods and 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 science and and all sorts from surveys and um i guess studying markets and all sorts but is that is it is it head and heart you know is it gut instinct is it if you rely on more the instinct side of things or are you more does the old engineer side of you come out and and work stuff out no very much instinct very much gut feeling there's very little done um uh based on um that sort of planning as in um you know business models yeah. and, and market research yeah. and all no. that stuff yeah uh, okay all right um do we get on to song i think we <laughs> should <Song> three <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, i knew i knew it's gonna be fun to with you all right but the thing is i'm trying to we might have to do a part two well, we i'm might. not sure i'm gonna last and three and four <laughs> no you will you will there's no backing out of this now mate we're in this together okay. um Okay. I was trying to. So I, we've, the we've, thing is that there's so much to up. talk about, and we're already we've, we've reached the end of a relationship, and you're travelling on your own. Still got two more relationships. I know. To get we're on. We're on. Um, uh, so we've. we've <laughs> perfect day is the song. Perfect day okay. is the song. Okay. We're, we're nowhere near the song yet. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't let me get to the song. You haven't let, let me get to the I'm overseas. So interesting. <laughs> It'd be so okay, wrong so if I was going. Look, just okay. get to the song, mate. So, just get to the song. So <laughs> I'm not interested so in So we've that. been five years in Urban Cow. <laughs> we've, the marriage has broken up. We've decided, oh. uh, Susie's been lovely and said to me, okay, let's, uh, let's go, um, uh, go, for, go for your trip overseas. You saved the money yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. You really want to get overseas and you really want to, you really want to um, you know, experience. South America. Uh, South America. Why South America? South America. Oh, look, the rainforests are being destroyed. Yeah. Got to see South America. Right. Um, you just got you got a passion towards something there. Yep. Um, uh, also got a friend in um, in San Diego. Can yep. Do a stopover on the way. Yep. Soften the blow from travelling away on my own for the first time. Um, You've not been overseas down, at all. Not been overseas at all. Wow. Um, and so six months in South America. Fly from um, San Diego down into Ecuador uh, and get uh, madly reading the. Uh, uh, Lonely, Lonely Planet. Planets. Yeah. Read that plenty along the way. Ended up just bumping into an Irish guy, and he's taken me to a hostel 
with him, stayed with stayed in that area in Ecuador. Oh, no, no sense, no idea that you might go with a mate. Or, or, or a travel friend? No, not even any idea where I'd be staying when I got off the plane. But did you, was it actively you wanted to be travelling on your own or was just no one available? Uh, I don't know, really. Hmm. Yeah. I think probably actively I wanted to travel on my own. Right. Um, but in those days, you didn't pre-book hotels. Yeah. Each, each place we got into, um, as, we, as I meandered my way through what they call the Inca Trail, yeah. from Ecuador, Ecuador down south through into in Peru... Uh, and then down into Bolivia, um, and then eventually up into Colombia. Yep. Um, you just you just stop. You just travel with whoever you're travelling with, and then you go to places. Sometimes you're lugging around a massive backpack, and you're living on a hundred dollars a week. And you're um, you you go into a hostel that uh, might be five dollars a night, and you're debating whether to pay ten cents more to uh, stay in the place that's slightly more upmarket next door. Yeah. And um, we did that for. Weeks on end. You and the Irish? Uh, no, 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 no. I travelled with him. Uh, that was, I, I think I left him in the first town. And then I travelled with two Aussies for a while, an Australian girl and Australia, not at all connected, but they just, I travelled with them. Um, top of a train through Ecuador. And top then, of a train? Yeah, and then through... Uh, sitting on the roof of a sitting train. Sitting on the roof of a train through uh, parts bit, of Ecuador. Sounds a bit and, dangerous, mate. Yeah, you used to have to duck, duck down as you as you go down through tunnels and <laughs> wires and things. And oh, they were the they were the least of the concerns sometimes. Traveling right. traveling up uh, into uh, doing jungle trips up into Ecuador uh, with a couple spiders. other guys, a couple yeah. other Australian guys. Um, you just meet various different people along the way and travel with them. And um, I remember down in I sort of travelled through uh, Peru and we were doing just done the I was about to do the Inca Trail, and I became good friends with these uh, English couple, and um, they were about to do the Inca Trail then, and this was back when you could do it on your own without any Sherpas as well. Um, so we did the whole trip ourselves, and I remember. Uh, do you get do you get um, altitude sickness at all? A little bit, mm. yeah. Mm. But um, yeah, travelling around there, you'd. Um, uh, I remember uh, uh, there were these German guys that were in our group as well, and I remember saying to Giles, the English guy, I mean, look, nothing wrong with these German guys, but why are they coming on the trip? You know, what's how you good mates with them? He goes, no, no, you, you'll see. And then as we we're uh, halfway, like as we've started the trip, uh, out comes the water purifying equipment and the, uh, <laughs> oh, right. you know, every... <laughs> And they're, as, and they're, they're, they're organised as well, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> and we'd be hiking along, and we'd be sl- trying to keep up with them right, all the way. Right. And there was this one point where, uh, if when you ask about the altitude sickness, it, you, there's this pass you have to do that's at four thousand two hundred right. meters. Yeah, that'll sort you out. And um, it's a fairly high climb t- to just go over that uh, that sort of dip in the valley, and uh, but you have to go over it. There's no way around it. Um, and uh, so I'm thinking I'm just going to plod along and just keep keep walking. I'm, uh, I'm not going to stop. And so I'm plodding along. And as I'm going, I pass one of the German guys and I pass another one of them. And yeah. I think I pass the third one and get to the top. And I got got to the top bit first. And then, yeah. I, then I turn around and there's Giles coming up behind me as well. And he's even struggling. He's normally struggling more than I am. He gets to the top. 
high fives me. He goes, there's one for the Commonwealth. <laughs> I think was, the German guys made it, did they? No, they made, they made it. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought there was an airlift situation no, no, going to no. be there. No, not at all. Because that, that's it's unpredictable, right? You know, you don't know. Nobody really knows until they until they go to altitude if they're going to suffer from altitude sickness. Yeah, really yeah. I mean, 4,200 is not too bad. Mm. You, there is, uh, I mean, um, this, this town, uh, the city of La Paz in uh, Bolivia yeah. is almost that right itself. Yeah, and yeah. Cusco's not too far off as well. But, um, yeah, I became very good friends with these guys, uh, so much so that after um, travelling through into Bolivia and uh, past Lake Titicaca and all through there, they uh, then... Um, uh, we just came out of another jungle trip uh, in Bolivia and I sort of had this idea of, okay, I've got no idea where I'm going now. I could go, there was, I think I had five different choices of directions that I could either go up into the uh, salt plains in Bolivia or back to um, the capital, which I hadn't seen much down to. There was a Chilean guy I'd tra- uh, that uh, was doing some um, commercials and that down in uh, Chile and wanted me to come down and join him. And there's all different avenues, but I ended up jumping on a boat with these uh, English couple. Mm. And it was uh, a boat that started on uh, uh, one of the tributaries of the Amazon mm. in um, Bolivia. And then we spent a week floating up the uh, Amazon uh, into uh, Manaus uh, in Brazil. Wow. Uh, and we're just lying in, just basically sleeping in hammocks. Uh, Sounds like you the... made the right choice, mate. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. Except the um, only trouble was when I got to uh, Manaus, um, I planned to go on to Colombia because I travelled with a lot of South Africans throughout my trip and they were all, a lot of them were meeting on the north coast uh, of Colombia for Christmas and I thought that sounds like a bit of a plan and a couple of the Australians said they'd do the same as well So uh, and I arranged with uh, Philippa and Giles to meet on the north coast of Colombia for uh, Christmas and, uh, but they wanted to do Venezuela first so I thought I'll head up there myself and so um, I was in this town, town Manaus and um, I basically was trying to find a way to get to into Bogota in Colombia, but it was getting really, really like it was really expensive. It was um, uh, well over a thousand dollars to get there, and back then that was wow. you know, a lot of money. Yeah. And so I was thinking, <clears throat> shit, I'm stuck here. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'd been wandering around town all afternoon trying to work it out. It was getting dark, uh, starting to get dark. I hadn't got a hotel, and then I ran into this um, Swedish guy who happened to be wanting to do the same thing. And he goes, look, I've got this idea. He goes, there's a, um, what you do is you fly to the border of uh, Brazil, you catch a cab across the border into Colombia, and then you jump on a plane there and you fly into Bogota. Right. And each of the, because they're not international flights, they're a lot cheaper. So he said, I've managed to put my name down on a uh, 11-seater plane. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the second, um, second um, what do you call it, standby passenger. Right. Uh, and God. the plane's only $120 or something. And then, then uh, once we get across the border, you, we'll get another one. And so I thought, okay, no worries. I'll, um, I'll put my name down for that as well. And um, he went back, he found he had a hotel organised and went back and stayed there as well. So we both wake up around the same time. We had to get up at six o'clock in the morning and hopefully there were three people who didn't turn up for this 11-seater flight. And three people didn't turn up right. for this 11-seater. So I've managed to get myself a flight on across the Amazon in this 11-seater aircraft, which was probably the most amazing flight I've ever had in my life. Good amazing or bad? Good amazing. It was incredible. Because right. the, the whole build-up to that story could so easily have been, and that was the last time I saw the Swedish guy, like a Buddy the, Holly type The Swedish situation. guy actually becomes my angel 
in this story. Right. Um, because oh, uh, we're, we're flying across the Amazon and uh, the plane had to land three times on a little dirt strip in the middle of the Amazon to deliver mail and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> deliver mail? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're on a postal, an 11 well, not, postal plane? Not just mail, but, you know, supplies and that sort of thing for these little supplies. little towns in not. the middle of the uh, Amazon, I guess. And they, we're talking a very short strip. So This wasn't Pablo Escobar's uh, <laughs> maybe, plane, was it? Maybe it was, maybe it was. But the plane, it's we're talking very light aircraft, so right. you're flying not very high above the Amazon. Yeah. You've, you look down below, and the, the palm trees and everything are just below you. It's amazing. It's it an incredible amazing. flight. And, it, and land, the way they landed between – I mean, I think it was the third time he landed, he almost, the plane almost went sideways because he's trying to land on this dirt strip. It yeah. did get a little bit scary. It sounds utterly bonkers dangerous. Well, at that point, I'm starting to feel a little bit – sick i thought it was just the fact right. we'd gone up and down so many times oh, but right, yeah. um i think i picked up um what they tell me later was possibly dengue fever yeah. or certainly something very it was the most uh, i was to become the most sick i've ever been in right. my entire life oh boy yeah um and i was just starting to feel like i've, I've got a really bad flu this is when you know it's come in yeah. and it's oh dear yeah. and yeah. by the time the lap plane landed the last time on the border of brazil I'm feeling sick as a dog, and yeah. I've uh, turned to my Swedish mate and said, "Look, I, I I can't do another flight now. We've let's just stay overnight, yeah. And um, you know, we'll we'll fly the next day, yeah. And he goes, "No worries. Let's just go down the airport and we'll see what's uh, see what the deal is. Yeah. So we jump in a cab, cross the border, do our little border crossing, pull up on the uh, Colombian side of the airport, and anyone who's been to um, South America, a lot of South American places, or perhaps even you know, a few places throughout Cambodia and and uh, and uh, Asia, you've got that uh, typical groups uh, of touts running up to you and saying, yeah. Bogota, 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 right. you Bogota. And, <laughs> and uh, we've sort of looked at each other and he's gone, come on, you can rest when you get to Bogota. Let's just take the plane. It's yeah. only an hour or something yeah. and you rest when you get there. And so this time, like I should have probably clicked but i'm not feeling 100 percent. so you're shaking you're you've got a high temperature sweaty heads pounding you know i'm feeling sick as a dog terrible and i'm um we're in our uh, basically our our jungle gear which at that point in time i think was happy pants and a t-shirt and a pair of thongs or something like that yeah and the guys grab our basically grab our um uh, baggage off of us, our backpacks and put them under the plane and this is no longer an 11 seater plane this is actually a full I can't remember jet aircraft, but the size of a jet aircraft right. might still be a propeller, but we're talking a very large plane. Jet prop here. or something, yeah. yep. And Turbo probably prop. should have clicked. There was only us two and there was a guy from Bogota and then they lead us up, but there's just basically a ladder to climb up onto the plane. There's no, not <laughs> one of those, walk, we're not talking one of those walk-up step things. Yeah. We're talking actually it's literally a ladder. a ladder. Right. So I'm starting to think straight away, this is a bit weird. Yeah. But next thing, we've walked up the ladder, into the plane, stepped into the plane. They've shut the door behind us. There's no seats in the plane. Jeez. It's just this whole big cabin that's basically full of uh, fish from the uh, Amazon. Fish. Yeah, frozen frozen fish in hessian sacks. I thought you were going to say something else, but yeah. Full of fish the size of bodies, though. So Fish the size of bodies? As in massive... Uh, Giant fish. Yeah, fish, but all, uh, probably not just one fish, like whole lots of fish wrapped right. in hessian sacks and then frozen right. into these, you know, massive body-shaped things right. lying in there. Which and we it's initially, freezing cold in the plane? Or it's is not it? cold yet, but right. uh, we're going up to how yeah. many thousand 
meters, I guess, with, and they want to keep their fish cold, so they really don't want to turn on the heating too much, do they? So <laughs> initially we uh, think it's a bit funny, but then we're sitting on this uh, fish. fish and um, the plane takes off and the, it starts to slide and move, so we're hanging on for dear life. So you've got no, no seats, no it's just seats. you and the it's fish. completely Hessian. open in there, Hessian sacks. And so um, then we've got dengue fever, you've got temperature 42. Starting to fear. And then next thing, it starts getting colder and colder. And I just start shivering away and shivering and start getting sicker and sicker. And how long is the flight supposed to be? Probably an hour and a half or something, something like that. Longest hour and a half of your life. Yeah. And we get into Bogota. And of course, like I said, we haven't booked a hotel. And so we're driving around trying to find somewhere that's affordable. And this takes another half an hour. You land, you land in. As well, because taking off's bad, but landing oh, yeah. on, sitting on a frozen fish has not got to be fun with, with Oh, no, they're fever. sliding all towards you this time. Right. You know, so <laughs> the whole thing was, a, was an experience. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we was... Uh, so you I'm, get into Bogota. Yeah, get into Bogota. I'm probably pretty dizzy at this time, really don't know what's going on at all. A bit delirious, probably. Yeah, very much so. And, um, uh, you know, my Swedish friends organised a... Um, Doctor? Well, no, so uh, we basically just got us a cab and <laughs> driven around until we found a hotel and yeah. then put me to bed. And then I've basically just so been sick. So, for so, just, so go back. You said to him, look, I feel terrible. I can't make it. He goes, come on, let's just get a cab. <laughs> you find yourself sitting on a frozen fish in an aeroplane. So far, you, you spoke positively of this Swedish well, bloke. He's he's left me a, uh, a whole bunch of euros to get by in the end oh, because nice. because I've had had no chance to get to a bank and no money to buy any food. I mean, okay. I couldn't couldn't eat for a days anyway. So he jumps in a cab, leaves you shivering in the hotel. No, room. no, he stayed stayed there a night or two, right. but I think he was scared of actually catching what I had. I can't <laughs> right. remember how long he was there. It could have been a day. It could have been a couple of days. Right. I just remember um, a few days later. I was managed. I managed to spot this um, little food stall down below at the bottom of the hotel, and I managed to get down there and buy some food and water and right. and survive oh. that way. And I did that for a few days. Managed to survive a little bit longer, and then eventually the money ran out, and I had to get to the bank. And I remember even at that point in time, banks in Colombia, you actually have to walk into a bit of an airlock so they check for weapons and oh, all that sort of thing, right. and then. And by the time I got into the bank, I actually was feeling faint again. I actually had to sit down in the bank in the line and wasn't surviving. And I managed to get there, get my money, get outside the bank, sit in the footpath and was vomiting my guts up in the footpath. And then I realized to look around and I realized there's all these people looking at me and I'm in uh, Bogota, Colombia, still probably wearing these same pants that are looking pretty worse for wear at this you point are, in time. Yeah, vomiting my guts up yeah. and everyone's probably looking at me thinking I'm some full drug oh, addict. It's awful. But awful. I managed to survive. I managed to get through it. Thank and, God. Um, and, and, and as mentioned, this this uh, soundtrack, the... Uh, well, just wait a cop pick a minute because interviewee... Yep, yep. Interviewer. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Tina warned me about this. As I left, she went, you know what's going to happen with Mick, don't you? And I said, no, no. Right. You've done well. You've held, you've held court well. I, I've hardly had a chance to get to get on a roll. Oh no, you have. <laughs> <laughs> Au contraire. Yeah. Hey, um, 
but but at some point you have the uh, the, the thing that seemed like the height of technology at the time. We entered the digital age with a yeah. with a with a Sony Discman, right? <laughs> yeah, Sony Discman. We've entered. Yeah. We've entered the disc the, the digital age. And I don't you, know how many discs I've got. I've probably got seven discs. <laughs> right. <laughs> to get me through because it was tricky, right? You have to carry the Discman, yeah. which yeah. Way, which is like a house brick, and you've exactly. also got, you've got the, to carry the disc. You've got to carry the disc. Yeah. But you've got the train spotting soundtrack, which by any um, I think well. Okay, taking bias out of it, um, but for for a certain period of time was a was a sort of was a cornerstone of of a lot of people's listening, wasn't it? It was a I mean, it's amazing. It's an film, amazing soundtrack. Amazing soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, there was yeah. uh, was it Born Slippy? Was the I was, was about to say Born Slippy was probably going to be my choice of song because right, uh, I do right. love uh, Underworld and it's a it's yeah. a really it's something that was probably even the one that. Um, was almost stronger than um, Perfect Day, but oh, I think. Oh, but what a song, though! I'm so glad you picked this. And, and Lou Reed, and also yeah. um, you know his time in the Velvet Underground as well. Yeah. The the I was probably into the Velvet Underground before I ever bought uh, Transformer. Oh, so I you're in, you're in the Velvet Suite. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I've got both albums. Uh, well, I've got Velvet Underground albums, and I've got Transformer here. Yeah, so I haven't yeah. got a lot of other uh, Lou Reed, but yeah. I contemplate. I'm sort of was flicking through some the other day at a secondhand shop, looking at a couple that I was going to buy. But, um, but yeah, I do listen. So what, uh, so what is it? This why why, why have you picked? Um, why have you picked this? Well, song? after this point of getting finally getting well, Nearly I remember. Died. I actually remember a time I'm coming down um, the uh, the hill because Bogotari, you are sort of up on a from memory you're up on a bit of a high well, where I was heading to I remember actually coming down to Cali I think it was Cali Medellin and uh, the winding in this bus trip down the hill with my headphones on and I can actually really remember for the first time having come through that yeah, feeling of sickness yeah, and yeah. you know what it, yep. you know what Amazing. it feels like to just finally feel yep. good again yep how good it feels when someone stops hitting you on the head with a hammer so i'm i'm uh, i'm so you're feeling the, that. the clouds everything you're clouds descending parted. you get more oxygen because you're coming down yep. a little bit in altitude yep. and so i'm, I'm playing i'm playing this uh, soundtrack and it's yeah. making me feel and it's sticking with me and it's been with me at various other points throughout the trip as well and it's yeah. really with me and then i um i get down uh, to uh, Carly and um, I still haven't remember I haven't really spoken to anyone in a conversational sense for probably well over a week yeah uh, and I'm you know pining for conversation so I meet up with this local guy and um, we spend the afternoon um, going around to bars and drinking uh, beers and that sort of thing having a great time yeah, great. and um, then uh, just the guy just the, lo- up, just the local guy just a local guy yeah. who ends up uh, setting me up with cocaine, and I get uh, busted with cocaine <laughs> right the, in Colombia. Right to the right to the uh, issue. All there's, right, a, well, there's a story behind that, it. but I don't think we'll delve into that. Well, one. let's. Um, how, could we, how could we not? How could we not dive into that story? All right. Well, let's listen to Perfect Day, and um, um, just for the record, Lou Reed was not writing about heroin. He was writing about. Everything he said in this song was 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 about his going to Central Park with his with his wife, I think, at the time. Um, and I just, I just think this song is so. I mean, it's it's a beautiful song, but the the playing in it, the bass, the bass line in this, um, it's a German guy whose name escapes me for a moment, um, but just plays this 
such an unusual bass line. There's this moment before each chorus where it almost sounds like he's made a mistake, but obviously he hasn't because he makes it the same the same mistake four or five times. Um, almost this dissonant sound. There's just such beautiful playing on this. I'm, I was so pleased. I mean, Born Slip is a great song, right? But um, And the album was a great album, I think, as a compilation. Mm. But I was so pleased that you picked this song. Um, so let's listen to it, then you can tell me about the cocaine bust. <laughs> Just a perfect day Drink sangria in the park And then later When it gets dark we go home Just a perfect day Feed animals in the zoo then later, a movie too, and then home. Oh, it's such a perfect day. I'm glad I spent it with you. Oh, such a perfect day. You just keep me hanging on. You just keep.
Can you tell the punchline on the... Uh, on? <laughs> you want to record the punchline? <laughs> so we're coming to the end of the cocaine bust story here. And, uh, and yeah, so the guy, the cop's got the camera around his the neck. Duke's a hazard cop, uh, as I like to refer to him, because he's uh, got this big hat on. This is um, the, the story works best if you don't explain what you told me. If you just come in at this end point. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's basically uh, uh, holding my passport uh, by the door, and uh, he's got my, he's my camera around his neck. And I've walked up to him and uh, managed to scoop everything else back into my bag that they've been trying to find, get money and yeah. cards and everything from me, and I've. Uh, Said uh, passport, uh, uh, passport, per senor, and uh, he's looked at me and uh, given me my passport. And I've looked at the camera and thought, no, you can keep that. Yeah. And uh, I've gone to leave, and the uh, uh, the guys from the cafe have uh, grabbed me and said, uh, you come back here with uh, um, two thousand dollars US, or we're going to kill you. And I'm like, see, si, senor, and I've run off, and then I've ducked through parks and run yeah, back yeah, and got yeah. to my hostel and packed everything up and left the country for a briefly, <laughs> gone back into Ecuador for a little while. <laughs> you did some parkour, you did some free running all around the streets and to yeah, get away yeah, from absolutely, them. absolutely. But it created a beautiful situation where I... Did they I, leave your disc, man? They didn't, did they? I think I still had that back in the hotel. Oh, you didn't? I don't think I was out Because they would have nicked that, that as well, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, I travelled back with these two local guys and uh, it was so beautiful. They were... Um, uh, musicians and uh, stayed in the hotel we stayed in across the border uh, they slept in the same little bed together because they didn't have any money and then yeah. one of them when I got back into Ecuador two little Ecuadorian musicians took me back to their house and his grandma cooked up uh, boiled eggs and uh, maize for me and I sat around while he tried to teach me uh, Quechua and the Incan language and to ask, oh, so what other languages in Australia do you speak? And yeah. it's embarrassed by the fact that he, yeah. he is speaking, you know, Quechuan yeah. and Spanish and whatever else. And, you know, yeah. we don't. But um, but no, I went on to um, eventually work my way up to the north coast of uh, Colombia and stay on this uh, beautiful. How many months into the whole beach. thing are we now? Uh, virtually the end of the six months so now. six months now. Yeah, so and had no intention of going to Colombia, but everyone I'd been travelling with is, you you must go there. And back then yeah. there were people getting guns held to their heads and all sorts, yeah. but it was really a case of, no, you, it's not because of that, it's in spite of that. It's just the the energy the place has. It's an amazing place. I've been back there twice since and it's just beautiful. And was this, was this entrapment situation a, a, a common Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And well, look, I probably was uh, a little bit naive, but I did know that you... Um, but at the same time, that was the going rate for a grams of cocaine or whatever yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah, And, and presumably so, there, were, there were ways to purchase, not that you ever did, of course, but there were ways to purchase powders and whatnot without it being a, a sting. Oh, absolutely. On the on the north coast, they'd, they'd always say to look out for the deaf and dumb lady and she would uh, come through and point out the best person to get <laughs> Look out for the deaf and dumb. She would point out. And then, yeah. Was she was selling the stuff to deaf and dumb? No, no. no. But she was, she she was, was like the, the go-between. She was the uh, um, classic lady in the Miramar, Mirror, the classic Miramar Hotel, which was on the north coast, um, was a, uh, a like meeting a point for Sounds like a David Lynch film at the moment. It was, it was very much like that. And um, I've been back there twice since, and the owners have right. uh, uh, remember me when I go back there, and uh, it's right. just a beautiful. Um, so, where does the deaf and dumb lady come into it? She uh, works at the hotel. She's right. she's the uh, a cleaner in the hotel. Oh, she's a cleaner with air, yeah. air quotes. It sounds a bit like this apocryphal lady that sits on the Trans Siberian Express and feeds everybody tripe that goes from. Uh, 
Yeah. Have you heard about that? There's always yeah, the yeah. same. There was the same fat lady giving giving you tripe if you got on that train. Yeah, she's, she was. We'd heard about her in the right. in the in the. South. Maybe it's a series of deaf and dumb ladies on the north coast yeah. of Columbia. Yeah. So but, so you um, go back there. When so sorry, what she does? She's like an agent for the drug dealers. No, no, no. no. She's just a cleaner. But uh, <laughs> what's, that, what's that got to do with <laughs> nothing at all? Nothing at all. Anyway, we make it out to the beach. To get to the beach, you've got to catch a four-wheel oh. drive for. Forty-five four-wheel drive bus for four, uh, for an hour or so, hour right. and a half, and then you've got to walk for another half an hour to get to the coast, and then another forty-five minutes to get to these uh, various beaches. And that's the beach. Um, when you when you asked what what would be your location for your yeah. thing, well, but you it was do that. you do you do because you, you've you've got you've got the place where we're sitting now, mm-hmm. and you've got this beach. Mm. Right, we can, we we can, we can, because I'm feeling it's a bit too linear at the moment, Mm -hmm. you know, and and also, stop trying to guide the interview the way that you want to do it. (laughs) I've just got to tell you one thing about no, that was stop, stop, stop. no, I will, I am. This is your captain speaking. I'm uh, just because you brought it up, uh, your virtual reality. Yeah, virtual reality pod. I am so torn between my home's beach Mm -hmm. view. And the beach I spent Christmas and New Year on north coast of Columbia during my first trip overseas. You decide in the end to go here, where we are now, right? Not the place in Columbia. Oh, look, it's a really tough one. Don't forget, you're on a space station. You can't interact with anybody. Yeah. You're you're, you're a passive observer of the of the view. Yeah. You see, this this point here was uh, probably the most the biggest life changing. That getting busted there and then mm. not having anything you know like we said earlier there was there was no internet there was no uh, um email i couldn't contact anyone um i've actually at that point of um i've, I've called my mum and dad but not able to talk about it uh so i've called susie who i've broken up with in this marriage and been traveling away from for six months and uh, her basic response was, well, serves you, serves you right. And by the way, I'm with somebody else at the moment. Right. So I've then hung up from that phone call and it's That's been be a, a low point. It's a complete low point. But it's also, like we said earlier, it's one of those points that in your life you gain strength and you become the person you are from that point. Sure. And so then going out to this this beach and arriving at this beach and then running into the six six of the other travelers who I traveled throughout South America with I remember that moment the of, reunion of of the people you've met before just the reunion them meeting me as I've got to the beach mm-hmm. but then me st- stripping down to my bathers and mm. running into the ocean mm. lying back in the ocean and looking back over this gorgeous um, vista, which is basically mm. palm trees on the in front of you, but then a beautiful hillside because on the north coast of Colombia, um, it ha- it's a very very steep hillside that um, goes up the tropical jungle, going all up the hill. Yeah. So you're looking at this vista there. I remember lying back in the water and literally bursting out laughing. Yeah, and I was just the laughter was just that release of. See, I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say burst into tears. No, this, it was. I, it was, act, same, I was actually the same a, things, aren't they? They could it yeah, could go either way. Yeah, couldn't totally, it? totally. It could go either way. But I actually felt no. I am. I am going to survive. Mm. I am. I actually am going to yeah. be uh, go on and enjoy and live yeah, my life. Yeah. 
Uh, and not only had I got through that, but I'd also felt like at that point, then I'd got through this breakup in my marriage yeah. as well. So yeah. it was a whole thing of being able to all of a sudden um, feel... So it's like an epiphany. You had yeah. almost an epiphany. Absolutely. I mean, and what you're talking about really is, is um, I mean, you've described coming through a trial and, and um, uh, you know, you don't get, well, people, some people would disagree because people try and teach it now, but, um, you know, to come through something like that, that's how you build resilience, right? Absolutely. You know, you've, you've, you've gone through by any, and you've only spoken of a few of the tribulations that you've been through, but I'm sure there are a whole lot more oh, plus the breakdown of marriage, plus, a, you know, a pretty tough conversation with your, your, your recently ex-wife, um, and you're on your knees and yet you survive, you come through. And you, you, you're now from this point on aware of just what you can, what you can uh, withstand. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why that place was so special. So much so that I've uh, been back there twice since yeah. as well. And it is a very. That was a risk, wasn't it? To 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 risk going back to somewhere that's so magical, so important, and then. Oh, absolutely. Because most places you travel to, um, they they are different yeah. and ironically the second time I went back there uh, there was um, you weren't allowed to stay on that same beach right. that I, there were, you could had to stay a bit further in a different spot yep. um, and then the last time I went back which was 13 years after the first time uh, I went back there and then you could stay on that beach and I remember um, sitting there uh, watching this and there was basically a hill little hill on the on the uh, edge of the cove and on the first trip we used to go up there and um, you know drink some rum at the end of the night and watch the moon set or the sunrise and that sort of thing uh, and then on this last trip uh, when we went back there there was actually a sort of a construction a house up on that section mm. um, and we were still staying in tents or I stayed in a hammock the first time I'd stay in, stay in a hammock and just roll out of my hammock I stayed there for two weeks and three weeks in a hammock <laughs> just um, you know swim in the ocean for a shower and that sort of thing we were talking about how difficult it is to sleep as middle aged men yeah. right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. different story yeah. in those days but the last time I went yeah. back there after the 13 years um, sitting there I we were in, me and me and Jolie are in a um, uh, tent on the beach, and we see this massive storm blowing across. Mm. And it was um, some of the storms there are just insane. Mm. Nothing like you see in Australia. It's just this massive storm coming in. So we thought, oh shit, we're going to either be stuck in our little two-man tent for mm. ages, or one. Well, let's run up to that uh, place. It looks like it's sort of vacant new, up there. Yep. Yeah. So we've gone up there and um, we're sitting up there watching this storm blow in and we're drinking some rum and then all of a sudden we hear these footsteps and these guys come in and they're like, um, no, no, you, you're not allowed to be in here. They're talking to us in Spanish. Mm. And we're, we're like, oh, lo siento. We're saying we're really sorry. We, um, you know, we, uh, we'll, we'll leave. And then uh, like, tranquilo, it's okay. You know, hang, hang with us for a while. So we're hanging there chatting to him and it turns out one of the guys is the guy who owns the beach. Oh. And so uh, we tell him the story and it was uh, he's he inherited the beach at age 21 just a few years prior to wow. um, me going there the first time. How's that? Inherit the beach? Yeah. God. And um, he'd actually, we said, well, last time we came, you couldn't actually camp on this beach. Um, but uh, now you can. He said, yeah, he got sick of uh, tourists and the way they treat the place, yeah, so he actually yeah. banned them for a while, mm -hmm. but he's allowing it again. And, How does he yeah. enforce that? Has he got, cause has he got the, 
Is, it, is he a rough bloke? He's, he just, he's obviously got some cash. No, you you can only stay in the areas they allow you to. What's there's, his business? There's police, Apart there's guards, all sorts come along the beaches still. Does he employ all those guards? Oh, I've got no idea. Yeah. Because, mm. I mean, well, yeah. all right, maybe... Interesting question, but I, yeah, I don't know the machinations of it. I'm sure yeah. there is. I mean, like, uh, like happens, I guess. In I mean, we've got friends who are opening a bar in Bali and mm. um, they've got a pay certain guys right, to exactly. get away with certain things and, you know, that sort I of mean, thing. Otherwise, you just, you can't run the business. I mean, we talk it's certainly like that in Colombia. We talk about, you know, we've spoken, I spoke, you know, about the slight outlaw element of our society here in Australia. Um, but you, so, you can sort of take for granted the, the sort of, you know, people, it's easy to get, fed up with red tape and bureaucracy. And I'm, mm. I know you've got a lot more experience of that than I have, with, you know, being a business owner. But, um, you know, trying to navigate the sort of chaos of, of um, you know, being arrested, you know, mm. for example, uh, when, it's, when, it's a, when it's a plant, when it's a stitch up, you know, having to bribe your way out of a situation. These are issues that don't, don't face us every day in Australia. Especially when you're on your own. I Especially when you've been travelling with somebody, it's be a lot first different. time overseas as well. Mm. I mean, but then again, I come back to, you know, who knows uh, how, in, in what unseen positive ways, as well as the obvious ways that this has affected you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to have gone it through It made that. me who I am. Right. I mean, it was not long after that that I then, um, came when I came back to Australia, that I um, started Rhino Room. Right. God, you're a pro, eh? <laughs> and this is when we talk about the rhino. <laughs> uh, see, I've got this natural now. I've got this natural sort of. I've got this this childish desire to subvert the process and, yeah, I know, and, and I know. derail your ordered presentation of your life story. So, so should I explain how I fell into rhino? Or if I do, I tell that story? No, no, okay, what we're going to do is. <laughs> We're going to go to, we're going to go to song five. We're going to go to Danny Warhol's Screw You, Craig. Oh, we're going to miss you. Screw okay. You, yeah. Craig. That's oh, good yeah. because it actually um, introduces. I hope, all of the, I hope all of the comedians and staff that you have been working with over the years are enjoying this. This is for you guys. <laughs> Craig is not the boss. <laughs> sitting in his they, house. Will, they will enjoy that because they'll know exactly how you feel. <laughs> I'm fighting. I'm fighting. Probably Rachel, particularly. Right, right. So it's probably good that we've hit this song because Rachel will be home home soon. So you're trying to. We've got Danny Warhol's plan. This is all. This is all part of your plan, right? (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Right. No, I do. I. I. Again, I feel like I'm saying this for all your songs, but I. I I won't be saying this about the Hilltop Hoods simply because I've heard of them. I don't know any of their stuff, but I. I love this song. Um, Danny Warhol's Bohemian Like You. now I'm gonna. I'm just gonna uh, quote you word for word because I think it's beautiful, and I'm sure you'd say the same thing um, uh, given the chance. Although I might say it more succinctly than you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, that was unfair. All right, I was introduced to this song by the love of my life, and, and I believe we're, we're about to see the love of your you life. Probably, so. She's probably hovering outside. Yeah, scared waiting. to come in. That's right. Uh, that. Um, and, and it still reminds me of her. Luckily, I'm married to her. That's very sweet. How, how long ago did you get married now? Six years. Six years. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's very much a song that also takes me back 
to the many Adelaide fringe parties we would have at the basement bar at the original Frome Street Rhino Room, where Craig Egan would throw it on the decks to make me stop what I was doing, talking, and, <laughs> and get up on the dance floor. Yeah, yeah? yeah absolutely. Um, so beautiful. So, so race. And those parties were, were uh, incredible. Yeah. Great, great end of night parties. Yeah. They would almost start at three o'clock in the morning when oh, everyone yeah. had flocked back from the uh, fringe club. They, they still, not quite the same now? Still, they still happen? Oh, they they definitely do, but um, will we be doing them in not, a couple of months' time? Yeah, probably not quite to uh, not every Friday and Saturday to the same extent that yep. they used to. Certainly, the last night of the fringe, and certainly on certain Fridays and Saturdays um, of the fringe, absolutely. Uh, are they are they invite only, or can general no no pu- general public can pop okay. into the downstairs bar and come party with us? We've got a couple of so just tell us just tell us now for the record where 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 you're based these days that you're and and when people because we've got where yeah we're just under two months away from Adelaide Festival again yeah Adelaide yeah Festival again. so one thirty one Peary Street yep and not only is Rhino Room the upstairs which has been Rhino Room for a couple of years now two yep. and a, two and a half three years um, but also we've got two performance spaces in the basement which yep. is the old faster faster. And that's where the bar is down there as well. And uh, that's where there'll be DJs playing later. And cool. uh, the comics will be hanging out. In fact, we created a little area outside um, in under the vines last year. And um, there were it was um, uh, very, very popular amongst a lot of the comedians out there yeah. that would hang out there. I want to talk to you more about the comedians. Do you say comics or comedians? Do they prefer comics, oh, comedians? Don't really mind. Both. Yeah, we often debate whether what's what's correct there. We do because you know it's it's become a through Mark Maron and and you know mm. just just and him being my entry point to all sorts of great comics comedians I wouldn't have mm. known about. This and we we spoke a lot, didn't we? At Luke's yeah, wedding about, about this whole issue. So yeah. I, I do want to get you on that later. Yeah. Um, uh, but the anyone any particular names that you've got uh, signed up for this year uh, for the for the fringe any any comics that we can talk about now or is it all a bit too soon? oh no 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 most of them have been signed well all of them have been signed up since um, uh, October oh okay um, yep. so uh, Jeff Green's back oh um, great he's actually yeah, at the Howling yeah. Owl this year yeah, but brilliant. he's he's um, one of Love the Jeff Green. Uh, Amos Gill of oh, course he's yes. he's our uh, probably our flagship along with uh, Dave Callan uh, yeah. and then um, the, we've got uh, the uh, uh, burlesque show going on yeah. as well, yeah. um, which is uh, Chrissy and Boo Dwyer, who'll be, right. who will uh, be have Mickey D come along and host it. Right. So yeah. that's a great show. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a lot of a lot a lot of uh, local comics as well. Local guys. Uh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, well, let's let's listen to this brilliant song. Um, you were introduced this song uh, by Rage. Yeah, I so, was introduced to Danny Warhols by Rach. Actually, it was one band I hadn't really stumbled but this across. Is, but this is like a nine. Yeah, absolutely. Song, it was right? one I'd sort of skipped over and yeah. hadn't really, uh, yeah, had the pleasure of enjoying. So, yeah. and particularly since it, I love them so much now, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's really, really cracking. Great. Are you going to dance now? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
You said that that was that was oh my god but oh, I do know that song. Um, <laughs> you said you'd probably come in there. That, that's great timing. <laughs> See, it's not just you who's a pro, mate. Yeah. Um, oh man, that good, was good timing for you as well. That was that was a bit uh, a nice upbeat uh, yeah. change to the tone of the uh, interview as well. Just starting to get a. In fact, oh, I feel like a weight's being lifted off me because uh, I think those first 30 years that I went through, I right. didn't realise how hard my life was. Really? <laughs> now, <laughs> no, we're the, that's now we're the fun stuff. Total, total rubbish, but <laughs> no, no. certainly once Rhino Room started, it's been a yeah. totally different life. Yeah. So totally like a pre, it's like divide your life into pre-Rhino Room, post-Rhino Room. Probably can, yeah. yeah and it, yeah. Was, it was, like I said, um, a bit of it was defined by that um, overseas trip and then coming yeah. back and then right over and starting and from then on my life has been a very different beast absolutely right. so you've see so you, we've we've got this um arts collective this urban cow studio and it's a shop and i know at some point my wife comes into the picture because mm. she's i'm trying to, oh she's been notice. in the picture well and truly we, did, like, we should have talked about her because she was back there right with chantal steady on. She, gets, yeah. she gets she gets a few mentions of these <laughs> tina i love you um the uh yeah, is she she's late late nineties or is she? Because uh, she went away traveling uh, to Africa as well, and I think when it she was probably her and uh, her and Chantal that even inspired me to travel because I think they'd already traveled right. together at that point. Yeah. So yeah, they so, were they were very much in Chantal particularly an inspiration to travel, but yeah. Tina was also a very big part. In fact, um, 
I remember coming back from um, my second trip overseas outside and sitting outside Rhino Room and because uh, the Rhino Room had taken a lot longer for us to start than I realised yeah. it was going to. Yeah. And I started with Charlie Hill Smith. Yeah. And um, uh, I remember sitting outside with Tina. Uh, I got back and it was a little, I wouldn't say a shambles, but it was sort of, I'd been away. This would have been open for six months and I'd been yep. away for three of it overseas <laughs> in Central America. Interesting approach yeah, to, uh, know, business. to business. Yeah. And uh, I'm sitting outside at saying, uh, with uh, saying to Tina and a couple other people, I can't remember who else was with me. Um, okay, we need to work out a format for the nights. And we sat down and worked out that we were going to do a comedy night on a, uh, a Thursday. We were going to do a Latino night on a Friday. Mm. We were going to do a, um, a cocktail sort of style with uh, a driller on, his, uh, on the uh, radio mic doing... Um, him DJing and doing cocktail music and then doing electronic uh, music with HMC and that sort of thing on Saturday night. Yep. And we sort of formatted the night sitting outside with your sister, with your uh, wife. So Sarah. this is, so, okay, so um, so with probably late late nights, before you went away to South America for the first time, Tina's probably already there. Oh, well with, and truly. She was yeah. involved with Urban Cow. She was decorating yeah. bowls at Urban Cow for us. Yeah. Uh, she was one of our major, uh, those um, personalised bowls that Susie designed. Yeah. Um, one, when she gave up doing them herself, we had at one point we had Chantal throwing them and Tina uh, decorating them. Yeah, and like uh, paint, painting them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, she was responsible for the different style uh, that occurred from a large portion of the bowls because people copied her style of of writing, yeah. which was much heavier than what Susie used. It was a much uh, darker, thicker uh, line work, yeah. um, whereas. Um, Susie's drawings and uh, like outlining and uh, lettering was much um, thinner and more childlike, if you like. Okay. Uh, cool. And then a lot of the artists that followed also followed Tina's style there as yeah. well. So, yeah, no, she was a very big part of what we did and worked in urban care for a long time as well. Oh, talented, mm. talented lady. Yeah. Um, and, that, you know, that, that um, not, not that it's about me at all, but, I, you know, it was just one of the many... Um, I want to get two meals and burn about it. But one of the many brilliant things about being married to her is that, you know, is the, this sort of world that I've, I've been introduced to in Adelaide, you know, yourself and, and Chantal and yeah. all these other artisans and kind of all tied in with um, Warumad in some way as well, you know, the music and the arts and the creativity, those things. So heady times. All right. That's enough about Tina. Um, love you, love. Uh, the, the, uh, the so in my mind when I obviously and I spoke about the how I want to talk to you about the comedy um but that's what I think of I guess when I think of Rhino in my mind goes to comedy but it's not just obviously comedy it's more absolutely but yeah. look um the comedy as well initially we were doing a night of comedy but it was a night of a bit of everything there was um not just comedy there was guys doing um uh, juggling not juggling but sort of doing these weird things with um uh, uh, reading crystal balls and you know all, just, all sorts of weird stuff going right, on, right, okay. uh, and poetry and all sorts. And then um, uh, Justin Hamilton came along and uh, basically um, took over running the comedy at Rhino Room. Okay. This was a few years, a few so about, so two like, or three years in. So you like gave him a night to curate so he or was something. Good mates, he was good mates with Charlie. I mean. Oh, we should talk about Charlie, shouldn't we? Yeah, well, look, th that was the whole reason Rhino Room started, really. Yeah. I mean, we'd been looking at doing something with 
the room upstairs, which was the ballet school. And so you have it already. You, it's part of your kind of. I mean, it become vacant, and yeah. we'd sort of you know put in dibs for. It. And back then, I didn't realise that you have to actually. Um, be approved to me it's like if a place becomes vacant in the building then I take over it you know that's what I constantly <laughs> did you know just yeah. wait for somebody to move out and I'll take over just it just spread the internet yeah, like a... slowly took over the yeah. whole building yeah. and um, we Charlie was doing a bit of visual art at the time as well and I think I've told this story a few times uh, is it a short one yeah very short one okay. basically he's got <laughs> we've got an exhibition going upstairs and the exhibitions back in those days were part, big parties as well yeah. so we've got so many people in the upstairs urban cow that we almost think the floor's about to fall in right and um, uh, everyone's uh, up there and I say, I'm saying to Charlie well you know we've got the space next door and I've already spoke, thought about doing things like um, uh, printed fabrics and t-shirts and jewellery expanding oh, that out yeah, there or yeah. possibly doing a bar and uh, I'm thinking there's so many people here. This floor's going to fall in. So I've opened the double doors that go into a, a rhino room and everyone spills into this big... It's a ballet school room. kind of area. Uh, yeah. still, I think it's still got the mirrors on the walls, but right. it's certainly got the checkered floor that we're the renowned for floors, at the time. Yeah. yeah, the black and white checks. Um, and uh, we're standing around sipping a glass of wine and Charlie looks at me and goes, oh, this is a great space because at the time he was... Uh, helping out um, Limo and Justin with Bolt's Cafe down on Rundle Street. Right. How, how did you meet Charlie? Just through exhibitions and stuff like just that. Yeah, and he's a visual through... artist. He's a filmmaker, yeah. quite basically, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Look, that's not entirely true. I also met him because two of our big artists, uh, Mel Terrett and Nick Stewart, two of our visual artists, were studying uh, with him. Uh, uh, studying with him. Studying at the Silver Mine. Uh, or not studying at the Silver Mine, working at the Silver Mine. Right. Um, and they had their studios there. And also Simon Eifold, who Susie, once me, I broke up with, went on to go out with and eventually marry. Yep. And it was at his 40th. This, this his is 40th. the guy that she told you she was with when you were on no, the No, no, it's a different, different guy. Okay. Uh, and, but it was at his 40th birthday that I met Rachel, just uh, as a segue. <laughs> anyway, uh, he also lived with Charlie for many years. Okay. So Charlie had okay. the silver mine and was very much into the art scene. The silver so mine was, is a... silver mine is a house up in, um, uh, what's the suburb, uh, up Glen Osmond Road, almost up to the freeway. Okay. And it backs onto the hills and it's actually got a silver mine in it. Okay. It's a massive house that yep. has got a silver mine. I and mean, there'd be big parties up there and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, anyway, we've, uh, we've basically spilled into this room, which is Rhino, um, which becomes Rhino room. Yeah. And he's looked around and he goes, Oh, this is a great space you've got here. We should put a stage down one end and a bar up the other and have a comedy club. Right. And that's Came what from happened. That. Yeah. So the first idea was a comedy club. Yeah. That was the first. Yeah, thing. absolutely. Yeah. And, and we tried, is... I mean, he wasn't interested in running. I mean, I left him with it for three months when I went overseas, but like is I said, Is this like 2000 back. now or? It would be, uh, no, uh, no, it would still be, because Rhino Room is 21, so that would make okay. it It's 97. 97, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's okay. what we did. And so you spill out, there's a party going on, and you spill out this great yep. space. Yep. Go, right, like, let's, yep. as you do, let's open a. Yeah, now open Justin's, a great, Justin's great mates with uh, Charlie, he has been for years through Bolts, and eventually Charlie speaks to him about coming in and taking over running it because, yeah. um, you know, we've had various comedy nights and they've gone okay, but not really done anything. And yeah. then 
um, just as a connection with every comedian in Australia, basically. Right. He's great mates with everyone from Already. Will, yeah. Anz- Will Anderson to Rove to right. um, Peter Hellier to all of these guys, probably th- uh, through the fringe festivals and that sort of thing. So how's he, so Justin, what's Justin's surname again? Hamilton. Justin Hamilton. So he's, he's not a comic himself. Oh yeah. He is. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great comic. So great storyteller. Right. He doesn't do comedy as much as, um, well, he still does, certainly does comedy, but uh, he's doing a fringe show this year and he's done a fringe show previously, which is uh, not straight up comedy. It's more so a show. Right, it's a great show, and he's a great storyteller. That's so it's like forte. a he's so it's a like a narrative, a narrative sort of comic. Yeah, we never know what what it might be. It's right. a, it's a, um, something which I think this one is, from what I understand, is uh, done over three hours or something like right. that. So okay. it's yeah, it's going to be. And that's really going that's going on this year. Yeah, it's over, It's on two days. It's a Saturday show and a Sunday show. Great. Yeah, it's going to be s- incredible. I'm sorry, Justin. I'll, I'll probably have seen you. I'm just um, hmm. just. I don't know if I've met, but anyway, okay. So, so Justin's got the contacts everywhere. Yeah, you and, and Charlie. So when when the late show comes along, now we have been at this point in time, we have been involved in a couple of fringe festivals, mm-hmm. um, which does form a little bit what we are. In fact, um, I think we sold to licensing that we were going to be a little bit like the fringe club. And when the licensing commissioner came up for the first time, and there's a, a DJ playing and a uh, mirror ball spinning. Um, he's uh, he's got a little bit put offside and really done his best to shut us down at that point. Right. Along with um, Nick Binns, who's got the exeter down the road, <clears> who's <throat> uh, sworn to driller at the time. I'm going to do everything in my power to shut these guys down. Right. So because 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 they feel that you're operating under full circumstances. Well, that's the, what the commissioner has said. But uh, that was back in the day where anything that starts in the in the area, you're yeah. treading on my turf. So there's not right. space for you around. Right. I mean, um, Gosher, who had the Austral for many years as well, felt very similar, not so much about us, but just about anything, until Q, Q Club burnt down and eventually she uh-huh. realised she'd lost half her uh, late-night patronage. Uh-huh. And it's actually good to have something in the area. Yeah, because it actually attracts people exactly. to the area. But, yeah, you know, old-school sure. mentality businessmen yeah. don't yeah. realise this and they uh, they try and shut down anything that opens. So, so was that, um, I suppose... And, we, and, and what we spoke about, I suppose, during the last music as well, we might not want to get too much into the shadier sides of things, but um, we will, I suppose, feel free to touch on the, the story we're talking about with the hip-hop nights and, and all the stories. But was there any any other, we, we could call it turf wars, but was there any other, you know, uh, protection money situations? or No, we were never like involved. In, in fact, ironically, we didn't even have security. Um, right. which was a bit odd considering yeah. we're having hip hop nights, which could yeah. get a little bit gnarly at some points. But so even um, for those you didn't have, no. But you never had the you never had the um, the fellow that I saw on the on the hog or the motorbike earlier on come around and demand cash no. for protection. Nothing. Like no, that. they're just I guess the sort of weird place that we were. It, it never uh, there wasn't enough. I guess not enough drugs being sold, not enough nightclub atmosphere, that sort of style right. for the bikers to ever actually make enough money out of us yeah um i mean we did occasionally employ security through arty from down the austral but um you know sometimes you didn't know who you were getting getting hold of there i remember a christian coming up to me one time with this uh, running up to me with this uh newspaper saying look at this look at this see this is this is george and i'm like george and he goes yeah he did security for us for a bit 
and it was the drive-by shooting that happened in Flinders Street, and oh, he was boy. the one in the car that did the drive-by. Wow. So yeah. that was one of the guys that was supposedly our security guard there yeah. for a bit. It's so. like the Rolling Stones at Altamont. Yeah, I mean, quite often you're almost almost better off uh, without them. I mean, you can't yeah, get yeah. away with them nowadays because things yeah. are different. But yeah, back in very, those days... All, you have to have licensed, and they've all got yeah. numbers. And, and, oh, you did back then, but look, the way we were operating was just a little bit different. It was a little okay. bit out of the ordinary. And, um, I mean, we started these Friday nights that turned into a massive thing called Flavour. Um, and there was a girl called Jodie Crocker, and she sort of... Um, uh, Justin was actually dating her for a little while there back in the early days. Yep. And she was actually set up running these nights. And they sort of uh, alternated between um, hip-hop, funk, uh, drum and bass, and Latino. And eventually it just sort of all turned into hip-hop and it was hip-hop but done in a um, sort of it wasn't although some of the live hip-hop shows we had were very you know uh, lyric driven masculine style hip-hop that had mainly blokes standing around swaying to uh, most of the nights we did on a Friday night were very much um, you know uh, DJ Stephen King used to play and he still still plays around to this day and the sort of music he played was very much I, I was up on the dance floor most nights myself right. it was it was fantastic yeah in fact I was when I was choosing the songs I was very much trying to almost pick a song from that era that really got me up on the dance floor but um, you went with Hilltop Hoods because basically they I mean they they would play often um, live no no live. they weren't actually uh, contrary to popular belief they didn't actually they used oh. Rhino Room for rehearsals and oh, they hung okay. out at Rhino Room a lot and they actually oh. quoted us on, in Rolling Stone magazine as their favourite bar to oh. ever hang out oh, at oh really and they'd rock up at, uh, during the Fringe Festival even sometimes we packed out with all the comedians and see all these boys rock in with their entourage like oh no what's well, going to happen they're Australian we hang out with, yeah Adelaide boys but, but when you say all of them, I mean, how many of them are there? How well, many? there's only the three of them, but yeah. they'd bock in with a huge entourage. Oh, and so you've got all these, and you know you don't want to, you, you really want to look after them because they're great guys and they've, yeah. um, you know, done a lot for the place as well. Yeah. But then, as it turned out, they really blended in well. Like, um, I mean, Fleety, for example, one of the, you know, Greg Fleet, one of the well-known comedians who's been with us yeah. for many years. Yeah, yeah. He's good mates with the guys from right. the Hilltops. You know, these right. sort of guys, and so, so is Justin. Just and knows them a little bit as well and yeah. you know these sort of they, they'd, it'd be a place that they'd hang out at so it was never never any trouble caused through them or their crew yeah. as such but occasionally you'd get problems just through outsiders like yeah. there was this one time um uh, Shep, who was uh, one of our regular DJs as well, um, and he's put, he used to put on a lot of hip-hop shows and he put on one down the German club and he's put on this uh, show that's got a little bit, uh, all of a sudden, at one, we've had some band, normal bands play, just rock and roll bands, and then he said, oh, can I come back for the after party? And I'm like, yeah, no worries. And um, we've gone from having like maybe 30 people in the room watching these rock and roll bands to 200 people rock up or 150-odd people rock up, pack the place out, and um, take over the decks both downstairs and upstairs right. and the whole place. And we're there, me and a couple of the other bartenders are there oh, without goodness. any security whatsoever. And we're like, oh, fuck, here we go. And occasionally you'd have shit go wrong. And there's one time there were these guys over from Melbourne and they just um, you know, obviously didn't give a fuck and had no respect for the place. And they've started this fight in the stairwell 
and me and Nico have done our both our best. Um, Nico was one of our long-term bartenders. Have done yeah. our best to sort of muscle them down the stairs and get them to the bottom of the stairs. And uh, Grub, another bartender from downstairs, he stepped in as well. Lucky he's a big hefty guy, and we've managed to push him outside and get him outside and shut the door on him. Mm. And then we realise young Pippi, who's tiny, tiny, pretty. Gorgeous little girl is working on the uh, door the outside oh, no. there. She's, She's still outside. outside. Oh, boy. <laughs> Straight away, we've the door up. And she's down in there and she's bawling her eyes. And I'm like, oh. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Turns out the only reason she's uh, crying is because I've been punched in the face and my lip's bleeding oh, at the time and wow. she's just upset for me. Are the guys still there at the time when you open the door as well? No, it? they've all luckily sort of moved wow. away a bit and we've and got her not, inside. They're not a hip-hop crew or anything. They're yeah, the, they were one of the couple of the performers, I right. think. And, wow. And so I've gone around the place and I've been really angry and I've gone around and I've gone up to the DJs and shut the DJs down. Like, what are you doing? I'm like pointing at my mouth, that's face that's bleeding. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've shut everything down and I'm standing in the upstairs bar and there's still 150 people around yeah. in the place. And I look out and across the way, the police have pulled up and um, they've... Uh, they're talking to these uh, two guys from Melbourne and next thing I see in the guy, uh, guys from Melbourne start swinging at the police. Clever. I'm like, um, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> and luckily I thought straight away, this, oh, this, is, a bad, this is a bad look. Uh, so yeah. I've gone straight away and opened up the beer garden, the back doors, and everyone started yep. shuffling everyone outside and getting these 150 people outside as quickly as I possibly can. And next thing there's um, eight, ten police cars outside yeah. and uh, they've arrested these guys. And we're here the next day. They've arrested um, 14 people yeah. and um, the two guys from Melbourne are in the lockup for the following week right. sort of thing. So, okay. So there's only two guys from Melbourne. Two guys from Melbourne. but Caused then, all that trouble. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Wow. So, yeah. And you did, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't want to paint you into a corner, but you, you did allude to perhaps that being... More of an issue with with the hip hop type. Uh, well, back in the nights. day, we were very lucky because of guys like the Hilltop Hoods and um, Terra Firma, and um, you know, uh, uh, you know, Trials and these guys. They were they would sort of help keep things. You know, if they got too out of control, because they were the young, respected by yeah, by, by, by they'd pull the young guys into into crime. They could, right. you know, obviously couldn't always do that, but they yeah. were very much a respect for the venue. Yeah, so they would um, make sure you know things didn't get too out of control. And that but was, it was what, a very big big period in the time. Yeah, that was what I didn't understand. I think so. I I, I imagine that they were performing, but no, they were just hanging out at the club, yeah. listening to the music with everybody else. Yeah, but exactly. If, if one of the hoods hoods said, "Hey, pull your head in, son," mm. then they would. They would listen to them, yeah. and they would yeah. do that. Are they still? Are they still going strong? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, they've just released some more music recently. Are they? Are they sort of big overseas, or you know, for all of our again, for all of the people listening overseas? Look, I imagine they probably are. I had no idea how big they had become Australia wide. I mean, I'd seen them. Uh, I remember a. Um, big day out watching them on a side stage yep. and they'd been put on this side stage and yep. obviously things were a little bit bigger than they should be for the side right, stage so and uh, the, the balustrades on the in the showgrounds on this on this top level were almost getting pushed over and there was almost this massive crowd crush yeah. because of what was happening I, I, I uh, knew then that they were quite large but I'm still thinking god that's on a Adelaide level and then they um produced this film that they uh, kindly invited us along to see at the preview at uh, Mercury Cinema and we've gone along and it's basically a film, you know, about them and mm. their um, 
you know, showing various concerts around Australia and the size of their crowds at that time. This is in the early days, even the size of their crowds that they were pulling in uh, Sydney and Melbourne and yeah. around Australia. Um, and I mean, to give you an example, Australia wide, um, the, you know, the Triple J Hottest 100 mm-hmm. um, that we do in Australia, um, uh, at least once if not more often they've been the highest ranking australian artist on the list for example so, so right. they're, they're yeah. just that, that well that's great loved. yeah good to good to hear local local band doing good and are they are they um you know two rappers and a, and a dj or yeah, a, yeah. exactly okay yeah okay. and you know they've been lovely we've run into them at airports as we're leaving yeah. uh, town and uh, you're you know, right yeah, yeah and sort of uh don't want to sort of go up and hassle them up they sort of come up to us oh hey how's it going oh, and chatting nice. away to us so yeah, yeah. really lovely guys alright and this is and I, as I I think I just mentioned after the end of the last song I actually do know this song of it. so this this is obviously one of the so you've you've um, you've got the nosebleed section yeah and this is one of their biggest hits it was it was one of the original uh, big hits I guess that right. sort of helped get them on their way yeah yeah all right, nosebleed section. There was no, there was no, no allusion no, to your no, own. <laughs> <laughs> no relation to that at all. <laughs> all right. But it did. But it was a tidy segue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You little pro. Yeah. <laughs> For my people in the front, front, in the nosebleed section, section. This is for the headsets, loving the mix My people in the front, oh, covered in spit Batters in the box, uh, suffer the piss Hilltop hoods, oh, up in this bitch And we the punk leaders, punks you can't beat us We bump and pump meters, we drunk you chumps need us So jump with us, down the front if it's Your flavor, come get drunk with us This life turned out nothing like I by now I should have had some land, some money in my hand, round about 50 grand, but I got nothing, nothing. I write rhymes on the bus, I keep suffering, suffering. Fuck the lines of the dust, you keep sniffing. That shit is for the punk host, that shit is for my bros, my people win the front row. You When I make love Wanna hear some lyrics when I wake up Right rhymes to get me through a breakup Bitch! Rough up whiskey straight No chaser Went through 50 breaks No favor Till I found this one And made the Bass hook with the drum My savior I come back on that Sharp like a thumbtack So tight James is saying Get my foot back One track, a track, a that residual Noise man, fuck that We clean with the digital toys I'm the Apache, you're failing to match me Throw your hands in the air Like you're hailing a taxi I move to the funk floor You're stepping, are you drunk, bro? This is for my peeps and the freaks in the front row Around, face like no I'm It suffers in here And you win the front row Or covered in beer And club bonus don't say The place is wrecked as your fault uh-uh. If the roof is on fire It's an electrical fault Man, I you a bowl When I bring it live Like Friday night 40 in my hoodie I can hide I 
Dead life on the brakes, I'm a pace one Lads, if you're heading to the bar, grab your mates one Ladies, come chill, come rock with me, honey I got like half a meal with Monopoly money There's no stopping me, honey So you can take my hand, we can lay on the beach And count grains of sand and take a plane to Japan And drink sake with the mafia Fly to Libya for some Bacardi with Gaddafi Dinner date, followed by a funk show We'll rip off the tops and jump around in the front row You Money and it's not for the applause, uh, no. Uh, it's for the noise, please, sex, no. sex, sex. I love the production in there. That's such, it's, I love the, the samples and the way that the... Um, the way that those beats are mixed in. Very clever song. Yeah, they've done well. I think um, a lot of hip-hop lacks the um, the tapestry behind that really makes yeah. the beauty, beauty in the song. But yeah, yeah they definitely... Uh, watching them, part of the film um, I was talking about before, watching them actually uh, showed them actually making the music. Yeah. And you really see how they um, put the different... Uh, parts of music together and yeah. it's really interesting oh, it's just it's yeah. mind-boggling to me you know mm. you know it, 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 that it goes back to my sort of general mistrust or fear of um, you know inability to deal with digital things mm-hmm. um, that I'm just so intimidated and amazed by the these these guys I mean now if you listen to uh, no disrespect to Hilltop Hoods but you know you go back to even like, run the MC you know my girls have been getting into that, you know, my Adidas and all the rest of it. And and it's basically just a break beat and yeah. the guy's rapping. And then it goes through. And now you've got someone like Kendrick Lamar, you know, mm. who's basically using jazz and mm. this incredible stuff. I mean, you know, mm. mind blown that, that what these guys are putting out, I think. And, you know, that old, that old cliche, you know, is rock, that question, is rock and roll dead? You know, it's easy to dismiss, I think, non-band you know, hmm. music that's not four guys or, or girls standing around with, with guitars and drums and things. Um, but, you know, the music evolves, doesn't it? And what what some of these hip-hop acts or rap acts are doing now, the grime stuff is just mind-blowing. I, I had, uh, it's so naive, but I had no inkling of how big hip-hop was going to become right. back, um, even <coughs> on a worldwide basis. I mean, sure. I know through the 90s there had <coughs> been a lot of, uh, you know, even even dating back to Grandmaster Flash and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. There was a lot of stuff that uh, um, previously that had already you know, being big worldwide, but I just yeah. didn't see uh, how mainstream it was going to become, That's I guess right. is the word, That's you right. know. Um, there's definitely, yeah, for a while there, took over, I think, from uh, rock and roll. Yeah, it, it, it moves on, doesn't it? And yeah. it's, it's kind of, I'm, I'm trying to, not trying, because I don't, I don't have to try, but I think it's, I think it's just a, a good idea to try and just stay open-minded. If it's good, it's good, right? Oh, totally. if, if, if music's good, it's good. Yeah. Which brings me tidily to comedy, um, um, and and just to just to rest this interview again back from your 
um, your iron grip. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I, I, I do dispute that. I think no, no, I know, you, no, you guided it very strongly yeah, yeah, for the first it, uh, three quarters. Yeah. It's easy for me just to blame it on you. I'm, um, I was thinking on the way over here, I was listening again to another uh, podcast, WTF podcast, and um, Mark Merrin was talking to um, Seth MacFarlane. The, the guy from yeah. um, uh, Family Guy yeah, know, yeah. And, and everything. Yeah. <clears throat> and one of the things they were talking about was this, um, uh, how to put it, the the, 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 the difficulty that, that people, but comics, comedians in, are having in, in the era of, you know, uh, trying to do the right thing by minorities, by women, you know, the hashtag, uh, Me Too movement and and everything that goes with it. Absolutely. Um, the difficulty f- finding finding that because the good comics can often operate in that grey area, right? Where it's where it's on the verge of being offensive or it is offensive to some people. You're, but to some degree, you oh, I wouldn't say you, you have to, but you um, you can be a clean you, comic, right? But can, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, uh, well, it's not so much as hard to be clean, but I think it's uh, it's hard to confine yourself in any sense. Sure. Whether it's um, you know th- uh, that or whether it's uh, you know other confines you put on comedy, I think as soon as you do that, then yeah. it does stifle the medium. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So. I suppose the question is, I mean, with your, what are we saying, coming on tw- well, 25 years of Rhino Room. No, 21 of Rhino, 21, 25, sorry, 25 sorry, Urban yeah. Cow, yep. 21 years of Rhino Room, um, and you, I know you've got a load of these top comics, worldwide top comics, mm-hmm. your mates, you know, when they come to Adelaide, there was that beautiful video a few years ago when they there was this montage of these talking heads explaining how... And, and that's on YouTube still explaining what the yeah Rhino that was for is. my fiftieth. I was so stoked uh, with that. Yeah, it was amazing. Can people really find was. that still on on YouTube? Is it a, probably yeah. yeah. I, I recommend everyone to watch yeah. it. But um, my question is, you know, talking to these, you know, giants of, of of the comedy world, right the way down to local guys starting out, is it something that's that's a, a topic of conversation when when everybody gets together to talk about? you know, life about comedy, you know, about how this is affecting their ability to, to tell jokes and to be funny. Look, it certainly <clears throat> was, uh, particularly at the beginning of that uh, movement, and yeah. it was, uh, I think <clears throat> I think it was almost to the stage where it was, they were so nervous about it that they didn't know whether to even talk about it sort of thing. Right, um, even, even reference it. Well, you the- start referencing <clears throat> it and you risk the risk the thing of, uh, I mean, are you saying that this YouTube, um, Me Too movement should not um, be occurring mm. uh, just by just by me saying that it creates difficulties? Mm. I mean, I've seen that not only in the comedy mm. world, but on the, um, on, uh, you know, TV and, uh, you know, an interview s- uh, scenario where, um, you know, one member of the, um, the person interviewing might actually still feel strongly about the movement but might just be um, questioning um, whether or not it's appropriate in some situations because it actually can make interaction between males and females difficult and then them being thrown back in their face saying, well, if that's the way you feel, then clearly you've got a problem sort of thing. It's like, well, no, there is going to be difficulty. It's going to create a difficulty and it's Mm. a difficulty we need to work through and create new boundaries and it's not that you shouldn't create those boundaries but it is going to take some working through. It's not something yeah. simple by any means. And it, I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. It's interesting you bring that up. It's, I think you're definitely right that that is um, 
probably more difficult from a comic sense. Mm. But to be honest, it's not something I hear a lot about. It's not yeah. something um, that I've been um, privy to a, com- a lot of conversation or heard a lot of people talking about. Have you noticed the, um, I mean, it's, I suppose it's silly because each comic has his, mm. has his or her way of, uh, you know, uh, um, style or, or but have you noticed that a change in the content have you noticed that things comics seem to be taking less risks as a as a whole analysis of what you've seen no i haven't actually um i think perhaps in the comedy world um things have probably taken a big turn from the 80s anyway mm-hmm. so back in the 80s i think comedy very much uh, was a um bit of a What's the word? Um, uh, Talk about the alternative comedy boom that happens? No, no. I think um, a lot of comedy involved um, almost having a bit of a go at the audience or having a go at uh, parts of society or having a go at... um, uh, When I say having a go, that's perhaps being a little bit too um, simplistic with it. But it did involve... um, Oh, I remember it's like the Dennis Leary style of um, uh, almost what's the word when you're when, yeah having a go at the it was it was what's taking the piss as we say in Australia taking the piss or yeah. or, or even um, setting yourself against the audience and uh, daring them to absolutely dislike absolutely you. and even uh, even with um, I mean even to this day the whole idea of I'm not going to sit in the front row because the comedian's right. going to pick on me right sure yep. the com- there's every chance the comedian will have a conversation with you and, and pick on you. Yeah. But chances are, um, I mean, they, the, the chat they're going to have and the, the bit of banter and laughter that they make about your situation, whether it be your, your job, your um, uh, background, your um, ethnicity, your sex, any of that mm. sort of thing, mm. isn't going to be something that's actually um, belittling you yeah. or putting yeah. you down anymore. Yeah. That was something that was in the past. Yeah. Whereas these yeah. days, uh, those things are, are still done, but they're done in a sort of, uh, like you would with one of your mates, Yeah, you know, so yeah. you, you haven't, you don't walk away, uh, leaving that audience member feeling generally, you don't, uh, that audience member doesn't feel, um, like they've been put down or anything yeah. like that. You still get a few comics who do that. Yeah. Um, but generally, um, I mean, one of my, uh, close friends and favourite comics, uh, Lindsay Webb. Mm. Um, that's his forte. Is crowd work. Crowd work. Yep. Yeah, you would have would have seen him, and he's uh, he's been a uh, he he goes around. In fact, he did a his fringe show one uh, one uh, year was um, uh, what's your name? What do you do? Uh, I right. think that was. A, or, or I might be misquoting. Yeah, it might not be sure, verbatim, sure. but that's basically but what that's it was. It. Yeah. 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 And um, he'll go around and um, he'll he'll make a joke out of what people do yeah. and who they are and that sort of thing. Nice but ballsy, it won't, right? To go on stage like that. It is, it is. Your wits like I that. remember um, listening to a podcast between him and Will Anderson and uh, Will saying how he still loves to, uh, loves that uh, um, roar. Uh, is it adversarial? Is that the word we're looking yeah, for? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of- yeah. Uh, but I remember Will sort of talking to him, saying how he uh, uh, he gets scared enough going on stage and feeling uh, nervous about uh, doing it. But he uses that nervous energy. But his mm. his work's rehearsed, whereas Lindsay goes out there half the time Amazing. with uh, you know he'll have material that he'll fall back on, but yeah. it's uh, it's completely um, uh, you know unrehearsed the whole thing. So, uh, but it's done in a way, and I think this is the same with most comedians of the modern era: is they do it in a way that. Um, yeah, like you said, is not adver- adversarial. Yeah. It won't uh, leave the person 
and um, everyone else laughing at them. Yeah. It'll leave, yeah. uh, it'll leave them laughing with, yeah. with everyone else. Yeah, and I think not. because that has changed, then there wasn't such a need to make a change to a lot of the material as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm sort of hoping that's the case anyway. I mean, um, there's always, uh, there's been a, a, thankfully a great, um, uh, I don't say awareness, a, a great um, movement towards uh, not racially vilifying sure. anyone. Yeah. Uh, whereas perhaps previously in comedy that, perhaps was considered to be something funny right whereas now yeah. you can still make jokes uh involving different races but yep. it's done in a way that does it that in, that feels makes that person feel that they're still um a valid part of society like you said it beautifully like a like a friend's um, in a good-natured way, ribbing each other exactly. rather than rather than making somebody feel terrible. Exactly. Yeah, they still feel like they're part of the laughter yeah, rather yeah. than people laughing at them. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, there's that thing. I mean, there's 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 what is it? Uh, discomfort comedy where you know the the intention is, and there's like Stuart Lee, you know, where you know maybe you, you might the audience is feeling a little bit uncomfortable at various times, certainly in his older act, but then. There's that wonderful thing when you just know that you're in the the hands of a master, right? That um, I think it can be very uncomfortable. The audience wants the com- comedians to be funny, right? Yeah. That's why they're there. They're, yeah. they're, they want to feel. They want. We want to laugh. We're here mm. in a comedy club, absolutely. And so when you're in the when you're in the hands of you know a, a Stephen Kamos or mm. um, who, who's the American? I've been trying to remember the American dude that was here a few years ago. He does a lot of his work in England. Curly hair, really kind of. Um, sort of hangdog, uh, pissed off, hardly ever smiles. Um, uh, God, he was funny. He played across at the... Uh, anyway, yeah, he, his name might come back to mean, me. Yeah. That you're in the hands of a master. Um, there was, there's the guy, um, is it Ak- Akmal? Uh, yeah, Akmal's a great one. God, man, I, tell, I swear I didn't do this thing in Geelong uh, once and the guy, he, did, he went to do some crowd work and I don't know how it went down, but for whatever reason, um, this this young man, heavily disabled, you know, physically and uh, to a degree intellectually disabled man was in the audience and there was no stopping him. He was, he volunteered to be, and, and it, the whole crowd went, oh my, you know, yep, yep. how are you going to deal with this yep. guy? How, how are you going to take the piss out of this guy? Yeah. And And it was just, he just dealt with it. So beautiful, fantastic, yeah. made everyone laugh, yeah. including the guy, including exactly. his carer, and it was wow. And I think a- that is the skill of the um, modern day comic. I yeah. think I think they have progressed so far from yeah. what um, you know. Don't want to name names of uh, certain comics back mean. in yeah, the eighties, but it was Those really guys. was a, <clears throat> that sort of very different sort of humour. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, well that's 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 brilliant. I, I, on, I, I really this could be a, a discussion about comedy because as I was saying at Luke's wedding, I'm just I'm. You know, I'm fascinated by it, and and it's still would, such a big part of my world, right? And 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 exactly, and you know so much mm. about it, and you've got so much, and such a big part of Rhino Room, yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess we've got to, yeah. And you probably <laughs> segued really well here again Good. because the the other really big part of Rhino Room, yeah, um, involves the uh, this at the new Rhino particularly, and this started back at the old Rhino Room, um. But I feel this. The, yeah, I do feel this next song. Yeah, 
um, embodies the strokes. it embody yeah, and it embodies. Um, there's a there's a guy called uh, Ross, and he uh, um, he actually uh, runs um, Lane Laneway Festival in Adelaide, and he yeah. also does a spin off festival. And he's been running club nights with us for a long time, and he is really the other half. Whereas Craig Egan is the the comedy man at Rhino. Yep. Ross is uh, runs the other half of it. Yep. And um, uh, yeah, the Strokes reminds me not only of everything he does, but just of the new Rhino, if you like. Yeah, why is that? Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a band that I love. I mean, it is yeah. one of those songs. I mean, um, there is a, there's a few songs that they would label as their songs, but he runs this indie night called Transmission, and mm-hmm. Strokes is one of the bands that play, gets played a lot there. Yep. But I just fell in love with them. I, I thought the Strokes were one of those bands that have been around forever that I just didn't pick up on, a bit like Dandy Warhols. But yeah. I realised they have been around for a while, but not that long. They are a fairly modern band, and yeah, they are... Right. I think it also marks a bit of a different time in my life again. You know, when I, like I said, in the beginning of my 20s, when I started um, listening to a whole lot of different style of music, mm. um, this here, and maybe it started uh, with Rach when she introduced me to Dandy Warhols, but also um, I've just gone back to my roots a bit, but back not listening to older bands, but listening to a whole lot of new bands a lot of them it's funny i've looked through this list and i've noticed the very besides hilltop hoods we don't have any other australian artists on there yeah okay, but okay. the weird thing about that is i think i mentioned to you early on i used to listen to a lot of australian music um you know midnight oil cold chisel um hoodoo gurus uh Sunny Boys, all this sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. But probably do even more so now. Like um, now we, I, I love, you know, um, bands that were around in the 90s that are still playing like Regurgitator mm. and Super Jesus and bands like that. Yeah. But also um, British India and Smith Street Band mm. and um, Violent Soho and Bad Dreams and these sort of bands that are out now. Mm. I've got albums of theirs and I listen to them uh, not just in the live sense, but I sort of put them in that same, almost that same genre as uh the strokes mm-hmm. uh and i they're the sort of what i listen to a lot now yeah um you don't need to apologize for not having more australian bands on this no 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 it's, it's um, not so much an apology it's just an awareness i struck and then i thought yeah. i thought about oh do i not listen to them? but then i thought about it and i thought no actually i probably listen to more australian bands than not okay but um it was just interesting that this point in my life <clears throat> My music taste hasn't, I wouldn't say it's changed, and I do still hark back and I th- occasionally throw on a Rolling Stones album and I, um, you know, occasionally throw, I actually play probably a bit more Lou Reed than I used to, but yeah. um, there is a lot of bands I used to listen to that I uh, only throw on occasionally, whereas a lot of the new bands... Um, so new stuff still gets through the gate. You're open more to so. New, yeah, right, I actually probably right. listen to new music. It's right. funny, a friend of mine, um, Sean Powell, who loves loves his music as well and has been to, I think, one more big day out than what I have. And <laughs> oh, when I talk about different right. festivals, I mentioned the Falls Festival, I went, oh, yeah, I was there. And I mentioned a different one. Oh, oh yeah, I was there. Wow, he's really... He loves it. He's, yeah. just, he's only a couple of years younger than me. And um, a good friend of Kevin Jenks's as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he's uh, right into his music. And he's, um, I see him out at gigs uh, around the place these days. And he said to me not that long ago, he goes, yeah, I don't really listen to old music anymore. I just like listening to right? new stuff. Huh. And it's like, to be honest, probably over 50% of what I listen to now as well is actually new music. Okay, that's, an that's another question I, I like to ask people, a bit like mm. the, the lyrics versus music yeah, question. Yeah. I like to ask, it's a, it's a length and breadth question mm-hmm. if we can ignore the double entendre we um 
and, and a mate of mine, um, Foz, proclaimed. He said he he's he's somebody that listens in in Melbourne. It's the uh, you know three triple R um, and P, PBS, I think it's mm-hmm. called. Um, you know, real supporter of that, um, and he's he's always trying to tell me about new music he's listening to, um, and. And he classes himself as a breadth. In other words, that he he's always on the lookout for new music. He's listening to new stuff, a bit like you. Yeah. Whereas he classes me as a depth, as in I'll go back to the same music, you know, a hundred times. I can still get something new out of it and go back. Yeah, I, okay. But since then, the uh, phenomenon of phenomenon of um, Apple Music and, and Spotify, ah, interesting. you see, yeah. Has, and, and, and then that was going to be my... Uh, question to you. Are you so when you get now this new music that you've yep. said that you're yep. into are you somebody that that uses local radio still or mates telling you all of that or apple spotify look i've been a big listener to triple j over the years yep um live music as well going to the laneway festival that most oh, so actually go down the uh, best way down. yeah actually hear a band play live and yeah go, yeah and good. i've heard them um you know bands that i've hardly known and that's usually when i Grow to love a band. Right. You know, that's what got me into Smith Street Band, for example. Yeah. I heard a bit of their music and then I saw them live and it's like, oh, is this a cover? No, that's their music. Oh, this is amazing. I love these guys. Right. Um, oh. Violent Soho, seeing them live, yeah. um, sold me on them. Um, so uh, British India, uh, me and Rach saw them up during the Blues and Roots Festival. We go to regularly up to Byron for Blues and sure. Roots. And then in the Great Northern one time, oh, what's on? Oh, British India. Oh, they're all right. Go in there. There's only 10 other people there or something. We oh, listen to great. them. Yeah. Amazing. And yeah. gone to see them down in the Gulf and other places since. So, yeah. yeah, probably live music is the way I get into it, I think. Oh, that's great. That's, yeah. that's great. Isn't it? That's just, I'm sure there's a lot of people like me love to hear that. And certainly bands do because, you know, mm. it's, God damn, it's hard to um, to make a living in music. Oh, and, and, absolutely. And, you know, to, to play to play venues, <laughs> great for you, but for that band to play a venue to, to 10 people, you know, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's hard, man. You know, mm-hmm. not everyone gets to be the Hilltop Hoods playing to tens of thousands of people. I just got back into vinyl by getting everyone at my 50th to uh, bring me some vinyl. Oh. A lot of it I got was shit, but a lot of it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and I've made a resolution this year. I've got a uh, many half, got? Uh, half 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 yeah. of that cupboard there uh, yeah, with hundred or so. 50 yeah, 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 yeah. Between fifty and hundred, I've made a resolution to try and. Um, I, I suggested one a week. I don't know if that's going to quite make it, but we've got a little record store just across from oh, us yeah. um, at the uh, um, Howling Owl, and they do a great selection. I was over there picking cool. rate some uh, some records. Yep. and uh, I'm going to go in there and uh, try and. Uh, most of what I've bought has been secondhand, but they've got such a good selection. I'm going to try and uh, make a regular trip over there most weeks of the year and yeah. pick up some. Uh, I've already got my eye on some uh, Courtney Barnett. And, oh, really? Uh, some, yeah. And yeah. Some, okay. There's um. There's a there's a an argument for uh, searching out the the old the older the better in terms of the pressings because um, uh, all the new stuff all these. 180 digitally grand remastered yeah so yeah. they're all pressed from uh, digital yeah yeah masters rather yeah. than the original and you know I don't know about you I've got 500 or something 600 records and the older ones they, this 180 grand thing didn't exist no. until until a marketing guy at Sony in the last 10 years decided it was the thing that audiophiles had to have or whatever yeah so Although I think in some places in the world, a friend of mine uh, who's passed away now, he owned this massive collection of records the size of this room here, oh, every wow. wall filled, wall yeah. to ceiling with wow. records. 
and he had pressings of oh this is a pressing a German pressing or something yeah. that it had was uh, oh but this one here it's a better it's an American one oh, and it's like, yeah. you know it was very there was actually all these variations that we probably just they didn't love that know. yeah it's crazy oh, what's his name uh, Chris oh. yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Where, where's his collection? Um, I really don't know, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I hope it stayed together, right? Yeah, I do. Would be nice. Yeah. Would be nice. Okay, so uh, so the Strokes and you picked last night. Yep. Cracking Party song. Party, Party song. I mean, just like the, I bet you, I bet you this one gets you dancing around. It does, but you know, well. out of all these bands, um, it's the only other band besides Lou Reed who I haven't seen live. Ah. Uh, the two times, they've, uh, rec- uh, recent times they've been in Australia, I've been overseas. Right. Last time I was in their hometown in New York while they're in here in Australia. Oh, <laughs> no. And I find out after I book, you know, you book an overseas trip a few months in advance, yeah. next thing you find out they're coming. And it's like, no. Right. One still, day still, I will. They yeah, play? they're still playing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah they'll still, still be putting some music out, I'm sure. Yeah. Although... Um, uh, the lead singer, I can't think of his name. Julian Casablanca. Yeah, Casablanca. has obviously done a lot of other uh, incarnations and Is different he? things as well. Yeah, absolutely. I sort of lost track of them because um, this 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 album, their first album, just exploded. Yeah. Right, it was yeah. it was all around the world. That was this kind of new New York, you know. I guess coming off the back of nine uh, eleven, right? Coming off around that it would time, have been almost yeah. It was kind of. Yeah. Um, Around then, New York was becoming hip again, and yeah. you know, uh, and they just they were cool. First time the centre of music since the punk era of right. New York Dolls and stuff like right. that. That's, that's true, probably yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know, uh, since CBGBs yeah, and, exactly. and, and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, which, by the way, oh no, hold on, Cafe Wa. I had no idea the Comedy Cellar was like three doors away from Cafe Wa. Yeah, I know, crazy. crazy. Yeah. I went to the Comedy Cellar when I was there uh, in in September. And I was sort of going, oh my God, that's where Jimi Hendrix was signed by, you know, yeah. Chaz, by Chaz Chandler. Anyway, okay, listen to this beautiful song. Oh, this fantastic song.
going to say that you know in the in the world of uh, you know high end stereo and, and and various pressings and this and that there's a, there's a there's a there's a deal of emperor's new clothes and all that stuff isn't absolutely it? you know, it's like oh really yeah. you need a better stylist to go with that and he's going oh, okay can't really hear the difference um, all right well then let let your um, let let your interviewer guide you through this. Uh, we were just talking about the um, the ways we can we can run up to your your last choice. Um, why don't we do? Why don't we speak about your book and film? Sure. And then we'll finish up with a song. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got Bible. You said. Yep. You've got no saying, no yep. proverb. Yeah. Life of Pi. As Life a book. of. Okay. Although I did um, I did hover over authors yeah yeah know. we mentioned the mentioned the japanese author that haruki murakami yeah and you and really had trouble Kundera was a, you know oh, Kundera. Yeah, that's yeah. you're asking me before unbearable lightness yeah things. and um you're sort of trying to get a description of uh, why i like yeah, Haruki yeah, murakami yeah. before um if you know uh, milan Kundera's works and how uh, uh he uh, has such a descriptive, interesting way of saying something, but a way that actually makes you think about uh, life mm. in in general. I remember, still remember a um, section of an unbearable lightness of being where uh, um, this guy's on a, a train and he's uh, so it's twenty years or so ago since I read it, but he was uh, on a on a train heading um, away from this uh, girl that he's uh, had a relationship with. And he's at this train station and he knows that if he gets off the train, his life will go in one direction mm. and he'll be back with her. And if he stays on the train, he'll move away from her. And Got he's it. debating yep. what he should do and deciding. And then he realises it comes to him that he's only living this one life. So whatever decision he actually makes at this point in time, there is no right or wrong. Mm. He's never going to have another life to compare it to, to say, mm-hmm. oh, I actually made the wrong decision there because I should have actually done this. Mm. And it's actually something that I should really hark back on and, and live by a lot more. Yeah. Um, Rachel's always pulling me up on, because I often have a habit of saying, oh, oh, I should have really done this or I should have done that or something like really? that. It's like, okay. Yeah, not in a bad sense. Yeah. It's not in a sort of... And usually when I say it, it's not actually wishing I'd uh, I've made the wrong thing I wish I'd done this it's just I'm always thinking oh what would have happened if I'd done this or what would have happened if I've done this sort of thing so thinking just musing rather than regrets yeah, totally, nothing totally. you Not want to change so much regretting yeah. but uh, just musing over it but yeah. uh, she, uh, to her she does see it very much as a um, uh, oh you uh, you've you're never looking forward and mm-hmm. I am but at the same time I probably should a lot more I probably should um, uh, look look back at that sort of uh what uh, you know uh, unbearable lightness of being uh and that t- uh, moment in there where like it points out like he put Malankandra points out clearly you uh, you are never going to have another life to compare it to so you will mm. never know whether that was a was um a good or a bad choice in life and i think um Haruki Murakami does a lot of that sort of thing as well in his beautiful way of writing, which I think, like you pointed out, is not always um, real life. Sometimes it tra- takes you off into other little worlds right. and that sort of thing. But it is generally very much you know, in the real world, but it makes you, th- it does, I think, make you just think about your own life. And same with Life of Pi as well. I yeah. mean, that was very much, um, was not just a novel about um, a boy in a boat with a bunch of animals by any means. Uh, It was um, very much metaphorical. So, 
Yeah. And do you ever, you know, I'm sure you could, I'm sure we could come up with a list of maybe books that we read or were read to us even as, as very young children or, or children um, that had, I suppose, the literal meaning and that, that you know, that meaning. And um, and then there's this whole other world of allegory that comes, you know, down the track. Um, and and is, is so Life of Pi is the book you've picked to go with you on 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 Deep Space Station Gideon. Is it the sort of book you might have enjoyed as a child? Yeah, probably. Just for the story yeah. itself as well? Oh, look, even as a child, I may have seen, um, you know, I, I mean, I think Life of Pi probably, I could reread it now and see a, a different side to it. And, and look, that's perhaps why I'd like to take it with because it's one of those things you could yeah. probably read and read Dip and read again. It, yeah. and How long is actually, it? How many pages? Or? Oh, gee, it's not that long. It yeah. might be 350, <clears throat> yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. When, how old were you when you read it? Have you read it more than once? Ten years ago? Yeah. No, I've only read it the once. Travelling? Uh, no, it was actually just here in Adelaide, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Someone give it to you? Uh, it was suggested to me by a girl called Katie who worked for me at Urban Cow. Right. Yeah. Before the film was made? Yeah, yeah. Well before. Yeah. Yeah. You very rarely like seeing uh, reading books after the film. I always yeah. would much rather read a book before because um, I think... Part of the joy of um, of reading a book, you create a picture in right, your mind. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, although there was that, that's actually funny you say that because uh, there's a line in a David Lynch film um, where, uh, uh, I can't recall the name of the film now, but he says, um, it's got <clears> Nicolas Cage and he's, uh, they're sitting in a, a bar and uh, the, the guy comes up to him and he goes, I, I have a dog. And pauses and he goes, before I tell you what sort of dog I have, you have already formed an image of that dog in your mind. <laughs> in fact, maybe you picture Toto from Wizard of Oz. Right. And it's such a bizarre thing to say, but sure. it actually is so true. I yeah, mean, sure. as soon as somebody says something like that, you're already conjuring up an sure. image in your yeah. in your head. Incredible. And, um, and I think that's part of the joy of reading a book is yeah. you create your own images. Yep. That that rich internal world, yeah. Um, and do you do you remember your 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 overriding emotions as you went through this book, The Life of Pi, ten years ago? Was it was it joyful? Was it inspiring? Was it you know? Did it make you? Oh, look, totally uh, totally inspiring. I think. Um, and look, it was. Uh, and look, I, I had a lot. I think, as I mentioned to you, I had probably had a lot more trouble choosing the book than the film, just because. There are so many books that yeah. have given me so much um, insider about the world and about myself and yeah. about um, that. So, yeah, I guess um, Life of Pi, uh, although I chose that one, perhaps no more so than a lot of other books I have read yeah. uh, as well, you know, <laughs> and in different ways. A lot of so many books have opened up my world to a vision in so many different things that you don't don't even think about until yeah. you've uh, read. That's just, it sounds very much like that's the sort of book you enjoy the most. Yeah, that style absolutely. Of book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. Um, all right. So uplifting, inspiring um, book. I don't think anyone could, in, uh, could describe The Shining as being uh, uplifting or, or really, or, or maybe inspiring if you're a filmmaker because, you know, well, Forget what I think, but um, you picked The Shining as your film, and I and I just I thought that was a magic choice. Um, 
you know, I, I was going to say surprising, but why would I, you know, there's a million films, how would I know what you were going to choose? But I just thought, wow, what a great choice. Bleak in the, in the inky depths of space. So what, what is it about The Shining that's, 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 um, that's made it your choice? Was it an obvious choice for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've right. often thought of it as my favourite film. And Amazing. Wow. I um, Look, I, it's one of those few films that I have watched. I don't really go back and watch films much either, yeah. um, but it is one of those few films I have watched several times. Right. And in um, several different states of being. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, I just... Uh, it still comes back to me just... Um, the emotion that it wells up inside of you um, as the film goes on. And I think... What sort of emotion are you talking about? I think the um, it, it almost makes you feel like you are there. So I mean, obviously, a, yeah. a large part of the film revolves around the, um, you know, going... Um, uh, what's the term? The stir crazy term sure. when you've been locked up in a stir, stir um, crazy. Yeah, uh, you know when you've been confined in a particular space for a, a period of time. Cabin fever. Cabin fever. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so it really does give you that feeling, and I think that's mm. the success of any film. Um, claustrophobia in a massive hotel. How, yeah. how, how can you be claustrophobic in a? You're in this most beautiful part you know mountain snow uh, you know pine forest this huge hotel and yet yeah you know this absolutely overwhelming sense of claustrophobia and panic and rising dread and, yeah and brilliant brilliantly acted as well oh, by yeah. all of the actors yeah in so but still the question uh again you know and and you know <laughs> i you might have worked out i'm a huge kubrick fan i, I think you know you, you can you can lose yourself in 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 his films and the every you know it's that cliche you you can quite literally you could pause his films and and just take that frame and blow it up and hang it on your wall because every single frame of every minute of every film is like a work of art they're just so beautifully shot and set up absolutely i mean i think that's you, you've partly hit the nail on the head there i mean i guess i watch a film for a different reason than reading a book mm-hmm. um i i read a book I guess to immerse myself in the world, but also to see how that world reflects against my world and to expand my world and Mm. to, um, whereas I can watch a film that is just visually stunning for that side of it. Um, I mean, sometimes if a film is, if the substance of a film is too confronting, Mm. I actually probably don't enjoy the film as much. I would rather read mm. that as a book. So Clockwork Orange, <clears throat> you would find... A- I did find that very confronting, yep. yeah. Yep. Uh, but I guess even Clockwork Orange is confronting um, more in a uh, in a direct physical sense. Yes, whereas, Yeah, uh, whereas... Um, uh, what was that one recently... Um, about the black American slave, uh, chat, uh, once, once a, yeah. once a slave, once yeah, once, yeah, that, that uh, there I yeah. found really, really difficult just and I was glad to watch it, but emotionally challenging. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those sort of films I really probably don't enjoy, mm. uh, where, um, <laughs> mankind has been treated so poorly. And 2001? I know, 
2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, it's been a long time mm. since I've watched it. I really, I should rewatch it. I really, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So, you, so, you, so you said I was half, um, half on the right track with with the reason why you picked it. So it's partly because it's the the sort of way it's shot. Yeah. Um, so what was the what's the other part? Well, the, of the- I guess uh, being visually beautiful, but also for that uh, the way it's shot and being visual, and the uh, the the actors being able to take you in yeah. to feel the emotion of or fear or yeah. that sort of thing. And maybe that's why I don't like some of those uh, films to the extreme where a certain part of society is being so yeah, okay. maltreated or yeah. mistreated because um, if it's done successfully and I'm taken into that, I feel so angry and so abhorrent sure. and so worked up that I almost can't deal with it. Um, whereas if it's a film that's just more threatening me or threatening mm. uh or mm. that doesn't even have to be threatening you know it can be something uh, look i've i've loved some films which almost are uh, a little bit absurd in a way um like the dressmaker was a, a favorite of recent films of mine mm. which is almost a theatrical performance if mm. you like in an australian uh, sense and where some of the things you would almost say are not going to happen but the way they dressed these characters up and and portrayed them and you know uh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert right. you know, things like that and yeah. um, you know Muriel's Wedding and these yeah. Australian films which are so Australian um, and you know it's almost like going to th- the theatre where yeah. watching it you're you're actually not uh, it's not quite real but yeah. it's it's uh, yeah, portrayed so, in such a way that it's, it's yeah. so beautiful yeah it's arch and it's hyper real um yeah and, and it's reflecting a, an image of society back to you that that you're aware of but at the same time it's uh is that elevated yeah uh, unfamiliar somehow um i mean yeah great examples there right priscilla every, every australian knows that landscape yeah but it's presented back to you in this in this somehow kind of unreal way yeah. so i'm 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 hearing as you just looping back to what you said before about uh you know how certain uh you know immoral themes or or um unsettling uh because of an injustice uh you know presented to you within the film i'm seeing a i'm seeing a scene going back to your um original decision to to move away from your engineering degree um into your into your parks and uh, conservation course right it was that it was that sense of something not being right not being fair the injustice of of um in that case an environment but in in the filmic sense uh, a person or people being mistreated there's a there's yeah, a there's look, a certainly there. to a degree certainly to a degree i mean i think if um uh I don't know, a bit of a tenuous link there, I think, you know, I, spe- I specialise in them. <laughs> that, could be, that could be another look, subheading of Inside yeah, the Sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay, tenuous link. Um, look, I think <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'd hate to think that I don't have that sort of um, uh, empathy, but I'd like also, right. uh, I think <clears throat> that's carried through my life now um, as well. Like Can we a, call it compassion? Yeah, I, but I think we all, all maybe we don't, maybe not everyone has the degree of compassion that other people have. I mean, I know I don't possess the same compassion that uh, Rachel has, for example. She has almost too much compassion and, yeah. and can't even deal with seeing uh, a number of things um, 
that are perhaps presented on the news just because yeah. they were so uh, uh, abhorrently wrong. Yeah, right. um, whereas I would rather, uh, in that case, usually watch something and uh, and try and you know be angry about it or even think of a way of dealing with it or yeah. something. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I think um, I think that's just human nature to have that and and perhaps. I'm lucky to have been brought up by great parents that were uh, that sort of endowed me with that mm. as well. Oh, that's, as, a, that's a see, that's a lovely. You just loops back all right. I start the interview and that. Well done, mate. That's a nice. I love hearing people speak kindly of mm. their parents. That's a nice thing to say. All right. Have we? So we've done film, done book. That we said all we need to say about yeah, about the shining. Yeah, is that is that okay? I reckon it's probably a good segue back to my uh, song. My song, song which I was seven. almost going to throw in at the beginning, and and mm. probably probably should have in some ways, but it. Uh, I thought I would leave it to the end since it's what I yeah termed my funeral song. Okay, if there is such a thing. So there's there's a, there's a there's a there's a couple of heavy uh, subjects wrapped up in this in this song choice for you. Am I right? It does. It does remind me a lot of a close friend of mine through school who became my best man in my first wedding, mm-hmm. and uh, he used to play it uh, on his acoustic guitar um, when we were in high school, uh, and probably soon after high school too. He had a little property just out of Gawler, and we'd sit around and he'd play play it then, um, and yeah, he sort of had some tough times after I went through this period where I was in heading off living in town and my life was changing and I wasn't really catching up with the uh, Gawler crew so much anymore and um, I didn't probably realise that, um, you know, he'd gone through a really tough time um, and ended up years later uh, after his marriage breaking up and having had a few kids... Um, ended up rocking up at the Rhino Room one time. Um, I hadn't seen him for a long, long time. And at, time, at the time it turned out um, he was homeless. And um, I guess at the time I was, I don't want to say I was naive to homelessness in Adelaide, but I didn't see how easily, there wasn't the education there is right now. This is going back over 10 years and I was, not quite the education that we have now, how homelessness can easily happen to anyone. And so to mm. see this friend of mine that had been put through this uh, and and even, even some things a bit worse, um, he really educated me and, and um, brought my thoughts back to, I guess, what... Um, like I said, how easily this could happen to anyone, but also the dangers of being homeless. I um, I remember naively saying to him something like, "Well, you know, talking about because we we sit up until six o'clock in the morning every mm. every day. It was during the Fringe Festival, and I'd sit around with him, um, and he would say to me things because um, I'd say to him things like, "Oh, well, it, you know, at least it's summertime. At least it's not middle of winter where it's cold and." Mm. you don't understand it's uh it's you sleep out on the street you're uh you feel 
you, you're in danger all the time. Mm. You don't know if somebody is going to come up and steal your shit and mm. you don't know if somebody's going to come up and mug you and this sort of thing. And, mm. and he was also going, um, having a few other issues where he, you know, just, he was just having a real tough time of it. And fortunately he's got himself through that. I actually let him stay in our um, beer garden briefly because he needed somewhere to stay. So beer mm. garden was a venue at the time in mm. Rhino Room. But um, after hours he'd... Um, crash out there after the fringe had finished and then um his son um came and picked him up and um uh, looked after him and i knew he'd moved up to the gold coast and i kept in touch with him and he's actually moved back to gaula now and he's he's i've gone and visited him once and me rach keep saying how we're going to pop in and visit him again soon yeah. um, but he lives just down the road from my parents and i see him he's a facebook friend and i see him on there and he's doing yeah. doing all right now but it uh it does just take me back to not only him but that <clears throat> time in those mid high school mid to late high school years when mm. as you probably made me feel through this influence uh, through this interview that um times were i wouldn't say tough for me but as a child as a young adult life is probably a little bit sometimes a little bit harder mm. and um you forget that when you're older and how I don't know we go through tough times now but at least we seem to have a lot more control of our lives now and for those who ha perhaps don't perhaps those who are going through harder times now makes me appreciate that yeah they've that we've got it really good well, th thanks that that was beautifully spoken thanks thanks for sharing that mate there's that compassion again um do, can we say that your, your mate's first name uh, Marty is my mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, uh, you you reference several times uh, what what you experienced at the beginning of this interview, and and uh, you know, obviously, I, I'm completely guileless um, in because I, you know, I I clearly didn't mean to stir anything up. Um, and it's not like you were sobbing in between uh, no, no, conversations, no, just... but but clearly you hadn't. Well, my my reading is that you hadn't um, prepared, perhaps, to go down that that particular rabbit hole in your own mind. You know, in in thinking about where this interview might go and what we might talk about, it seems to me like you were sort of almost uh, taken un yeah, unawares I, a little bit. I probably, I don't know whether I did it subconsciously or not, but after I'd made my list and I, I sort of even mentioned to you early on, oh, I've, uh, I've left out a whole lot of um, songs that I could have put in my uh, in my early years, yeah. even though music was a big part of my life. But you took me there anyway, and it, <laughs> and it was it was, it was probably I was un <laughs> not only unprepared, but I uh, looking back um, halfway through the interview i think i i said it very clearly when i um i got through that uh, story of being in south america and actually uh opening rhino room yeah i, said, I think i said well, actually i probably didn't say it on air i said it to you off air i think that uh yeah it's like a big weight had been lifted off my shoulders yeah. was, i was into a part of my life where i feel totally at ease and comfortable with myself and with my surroundings and with my life and um it reminds me how um you know happy I am now, and it's not a control thing, uh, is it? Probably. Are you, are you a, I use the word. Don't You know the words I'm about. I won't say them, but <laughs> you know, I mean, well, okay. You're a, you know, Rachel's going to be listening to this. Yeah, yeah I do. I do. I, do. <laughs> I won't say the, the words, but you know, we, everyone listening to this knows the words that I was going to yeah, say, but yeah. um, I won't say them. But um, oh man, I've got a swirl of things. Um, the, the the main thing I wanted to say was that um, in all seriousness, this this inside the heliosphere, I've I've been at pains to say 
individually to people that are kind enough to, you know, subject themselves to this. <laughs> um, and also, and, and in this, and, 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 and in the recorded sense to everybody that would listen to them, that the purpose of this is not to, you know, go digging for dirt or to, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to do a enough rope situation where, where I'm trying to make people get all emotional upset. I think, so, and so that's a kind of disclaimer. And, and, and so my, my innocent um, poking around Gawler was more to do with, you know, <laughs> just wanting to know more about your early yeah, years. Yeah, no, and, it, was, it was lovely. And, and a was... part of Australia that I don't know yeah. anything about, you know. Yeah, so yeah. that's that. That's the disclaimer. But <clears throat> it strikes me as well that, that what happens with these things um, is that through music, there's a... a, a an opportunity to maybe consider your life or you know one's life um in in a format that you don't often get a chance to to uh enjoy i'll use the word enjoy in 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 both senses of the word um and what i mean is not to sort of big up this as a concept and isn't this wonderful it's more just that i get an awful lot from of 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 happiness or um peace of mind from hearing people that i love and respect and um, sometimes know incredibly well my parents you know all the way through to people i've only known for for a few short months i get an enormous satisfaction from being able to hopefully help people to tell their stories um but without meaning to dig in uncomfortable areas to... Uh, you, you must really enjoy it to be able to put up with me prattling on I, with this. I really do. Oh, I really do. Yeah, and yeah. and, and I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll talk about this with you and Rachel afterwards, but I feel like <clears throat> I, I come away from these um, conversations or interviews with a deeper connection. And what I hope is that in some small way, people that listening, that, that don't know you, that don't know me even... Um, feel some peace of mind you know some sort of serenity if I, if that's not too pompous to say it but just some you know slow down listen to a, a, an eloquent person such as yourself tell their story um with music as the kind of uh you know the the key that unlocks some of those thoughts and memories but i don't want to ever take somebody to a place that they don't want to talk about and uh you know go somewhere that's that's painful or uncomfortable for them no not at all not at all there was uh probably a lot of uh other places we could have ended up that could have, sure. could have been more uncomfortable <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> all right so Mar- so marty's um hopefully gonna listen to this because yeah. I, I think you said get, getting back on track sorry uh to wish you were here by yeah Pink floyd um uh and i really look forward to catching up with him again yeah. sometime really soon um, and, I, and Marty, if you're listening, uh, isn't it great that you've got Mick in your corner and uh, you, you sounds like you're striking up your friendship again and uh, p- picking up where you were left yeah, off? Yeah, I'd certainly love to. We haven't sort of really been in that much in touch yet, but I yeah. think it's, yeah, it's good. I just feel good that he's doing all right again. All right. Yeah. Should we listen? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and um, neither would you, Derek, this star nonsense. No, it is it. I'm sure of it.
you think you can tell Heaven from hell Blue skies from pain Can you tell a green field From a cold steel rail A smile from a veil Do you think you can tell
Right, so you get so you want you want the Wish You Were Here album. You don't want one of the compilations or Delicate Sound of Thunder or anything like no, that. No, the Wish You Were Here album. I actually used to have it on vinyl as a um, kid. And yeah, guy uh, shaking hands with his with his suit on fire. And yeah, all that. and then when um, I collected, I went to collect records off of my parents. They're like, oh no, no, I don't think there's any here and I spoke to my sister Kathy and uh, she oh no I'm sure uh, I'm sure the Pink Floyd uh, records are actually Janine's oh. and I'm like Definitely no, they're not. <laughs> it's just the same Janine that was into what was it, Flossie? Ab- Abba. No, no, that, oh, was, that was Angela was into Sherbet. Sherbet, that's yeah, it, not yeah. Flossie. But, um. <laughs> but uh, in the end, since I've started uh, collecting vinyl a few years ago again, I've managed to end yeah. up with two copies of it. Back into it. One, uh, one from a secondhand store and one um, of the new digitally replaced. And you can't hear any difference to so? No. No. I don't want to be. This is your house, and I don't want to be even ruder than I've already been, but I think you need to upgrade your stereo, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. rude, wasn't it? But, but you know, you, you're... Um, we definitely do. We need some uh, some of the new, these new Wi-Fi speakers that people talk of. Yeah, and don't That sort of thing. Get, Get some a nice turntable and an yeah. old analogue amplifier. Yeah. Um, all right. Okay, so... Um, so that's for for Marty and um, and also for, for your uh, how many how many songs you got on your funeral list by the way? Oh, look, to be honest, that's probably my only one. Only really, one. yeah. I got a mate. I got a mate at work who um, who's told me. <laughs> Tom, if you're listening, he's he's got a playlist. He's got a whole playlist ready for his okay. funeral, and he's told me where to find it. And if he, so if he goes before me, I've got to go onto his laptop. I don't know how I'm going to do yeah. this. Pass his passwords and God knows what else. He's left that with me and. Yeah. I've had this low burnt, Tom, if you're listening, I'll, I'll try, mate, but you know me and computers, this low-grade anxiety that I won't be able to get in and find the list. Absolutely. Look, I um, I, I do understand this whole concept of uh, let's turn the funeral into a, um, a party rather than a, right. a wake um, as such, but... Uh, you know, if that's going to be the case, I'd almost rather still be part of the party. Let's have the funeral it's before the, I die. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that's, that has been done a few that's times. That's a thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was going to say it's a thing. But The um, trick is the timing, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> hopefully it's... <laughs> it doesn't really work for a car accident or something like that, does it? For a heart attack. Uh, but, you know. I don't think we're quite ready yet. No, I'm, hope, I'm hoping not. And it's not something that I think of, you know, it's not something I've brought up a lot. I like, um, I like Billy Connolly's take on it. I think it was Billy Connolly who said, um, uh, I don't plan on dying. I'm, I, I plan on being immortal. So far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think it was Billy. Um, all right, Mick, um, we're, we're four hours and uh, three or so. That's yeah, all right. Yep. That's, um, and uh, Emmanuel, if you're listening, mate, I've, I know I've just interviewed you as well. Um, but I'm going to have you in season three. Mick, you're going to close out season two. I think I mentioned it before. Um, and I, I just think it was a brilliant way to, to end it. Thank we, you. Having said, we, we, we've known each other now, I'm guessing 15, 16, 17. Be close to, I reckon, Something yeah. Something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and in my rambling monologue before Wish You Were Here, I was, I meant to say, if I didn't say, um, that one of the things that's brilliant about this is that we walk away from this four hours with 
this sort of I, I think and without getting too sort of metaphysical about it this sort of deeper connection it just just happens it's not the same as turning up and having a cup of tea and a chat this this it's a completely different thing that you oh, just... look at you very differently now don't worry I feel like I've got to put, put an interview together for you now <laughs> oh boy join <laughs> the queue join the seriously. queue there's a there's a there's a couple of people that want to do that I've said maybe season maybe season 10 or something yeah um no, but seriously, brother, thank you so much. No, thank you. Um, I, I know there's going to be a ton of people around Adelaide that... Um, that, that, that oh, I don't be... know if I'm interesting enough to get four no, to listen to for four on. hours. But There's going to be a ton of people that are looking forward to listening to this. Um, it's been fascinating. You, you definitely spin a good yarn. Um, I'm only sorry that we couldn't get more of the South American... And, and other travel uh, odysseys. I mean, there might there might be a book one day. Yeah. <laughs> There's enough stories for Rhino in Rhino Room for a book. Yeah, oh, exactly. Sure. You know, and, and so many thing. stories I could have touched on there. Oh, we didn't, um, and we've 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 sp- spoke about Urban Cow and we spoke about Rhino Room, but we haven't spoken about um, what's what's the name of the bar? The Howling Owl. Howling Owl. Right, Your, Rachel's baby. Rachel's yeah. every. So just give us just. Uh, I was wrapping up beautifully, and then I've remembered I I wanted to just mention Howling Owl as well. So. What's the, what's Howling Owl? Howling Owl is our gin bar mm-hmm. that, um, and everyone's probably heard this story before, but me and Rach used to go over to Kangaroo Island every Australia day and drive around and enjoy ourselves over there, and we thought we'd seen everything. And then one time we stumbled across a gin distiller, and it's Kiss, on, Kiss on Kangaroo Distiller. Yeah, right. Australia's first gin distiller, John Lark. And uh, at the time, he was only stocking the Hilton Hotel in Adelaide. And gin wasn't a thing, Australia or worldwide. Mm. It was just a mother's ruin and something that old people drank. And yeah, Gin Alley, um, the Hogarth, uh, the Hogarth uh, etchings from London in the 18th century. Yeah, Not I mean, there name. was places like the Gin Palace in Melbourne that did mm. specialise in it and were doing well. But and really the, the idea of... The marble bar below the Hilton in Sydney, I think. Anyway, yeah. but yeah. But, but, look, um, but gin's become a thing again, it's right? It's crazy. And we just happened to be in uh, on that level. And and, and the name as well, um, Rach uh, came up with when we were up at a Blues and Roots Festival and there was the uh, uh, little place called The Owl and the Pussycat. And mm. we were... Uh, sitting in there having a few drinks and we we're throwing all these names around and owl, howl, a howling owl came out. <laughs> we loved it. Don't you love stuck that? Stuck with it. Don't yeah. you love the way that out of, out of those conversations comes a, a thing? Yeah. You know? um, so uh, open three years, three and a half years? Oh, no, open no. six years. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, before yeah. you moved premises? Yeah, open three years before okay. we moved and three three years since. So it was the okay. little, the little uh, cute bar in the bottom uh, of the previous place, which... Yep had about a 40 to 60 person capacity and a yep. few people outside. And we've gone from oh. that to something which is now, um, what, uh, 150 capacity almost uh, downstairs. Three, if we open up both sides, it's 300 capacity. Wow. So it's crazy. But um, so big off. function space upstairs. It's a beautiful area that we're in. I so mean, where's, it, where's it in relation to... Um, to um, uh, sorry, uh, to right next door room. to the uh, the new urban cow. Um, so it's no, not really. It's ten minutes away from Rhino Room, right. but okay. not far from the Exeter Hotel, the cin- in, in the cinema okay. place. Okay. So as you go in oh, towards yeah, the yeah, cinema, yeah. it's right on the corner there. Gotcha. So it's a great building. Got beautiful, um, you know, the greenery outside and yeah. all that, and you know, two outside areas, and it's yeah, it's just a great place to hang. We're there 
seven days, six days of the week. Oh. And then I um, popped down to Rhino on a Friday night to hang out with the comedians, basically. What a life. <laughs> I, I just realised I want your life. Uh, I've just oh, realised I'm actually envious of, of Mick Craig and his, and his um, that's, Adelaide. That's definitely saying something because there'd only be a few people you'd have at the end of yourself. I think you've got a bit of, a bit of the life yourself. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Yes, no, I do. I do. Um, I do remember now. I think in my in my salad days or my drinking days, I, I, I think I, I think I did go to the. Old yeah, you were definitely at the old one yeah. with us a few times. <laughs> you, you forgive me if my memories were a bit sketchy yeah. in, in my salad days. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So that will be pumping for obviously for the festival season. Yeah, we've is, got the space upstairs. There's going to be a performance yeah. space, three shows a night, and then um, yeah. Well, I mean, we're open from eight in the morning for coffees and all yeah. that sort of thing oh really yeah oh, okay. so you have to come and join us now you we now come, you're off the booze come and join us for a coffee yeah i'll come for a coffee yeah um, i mean that's all i'm drinking most of the day anyway keep yeah. me going yeah well i'm um yeah we're obviously me and tina and the girls are coming back for uh we're certainly for the long weekend anyway for for Wome adelaide weekend fantastic so i'll um but everybody put aside an extra day and come and see a little yeah. bit of comedy I think we're going to go and have some food tomorrow night, right? Yeah, I reckon so. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. Mick. Nice one. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Cheers. See ya. <laughs>